Tonight on the Best of Art Bell, Chancellor Broadcasting presents Classic Art Bell. We reach deep into the archives to 1993 for an all-time favorite show. Three hours of Art's fascinating and captivating interview with Al Bielek, who details his personal experience with the Philadelphia Experiment. The show is from deep, deep, deep in the archives, the Clint Montauk Experiment. And now, hour number one, featuring Art Bell and Al Bielek on the Philadelphia Experiment. Without any more delay, let's go talk with Mr. Bielek in uh, Phoenix. And uh, good morning, uh, Alfred Bielek. Yes. Welcome to the show. Uh, thank you very much. I, uh, I almost don't know where to start. I guess the best thing to do is first find out about you. Uh, whatever we can. What is your background, uh, Alfred? Well, my background is I'll be like, as I was an electronic engineer. That's from for 30 years, from 1958 to 88. But that had no bearing, whatever, on the Philadelphia experiment and my history with that. The history for the Philadelphia experiment involving not only the USS Eldridge but some earlier ships and experimentation goes back a long ways. Actually, goes back to 1931 when the first experimental considerations of the possibility of making an object invisible were engaged by Dr. Nikola Tesla, Dr. John Hutchinson of the University of Chicago, and a staff physicist by the name of Dr. Emil Curtinauer, all of whom were at that time at the University of Chicago. Tesla was a man who got around quite a bit, and unlike the uh, stories which have been told about him being a recluse in his little room in the Hotel New York for the last 12 years of his life, that was anything but true. He was very busy, perhaps busier the last 12 years of his life than in the previous period. But these three people <clears throat> were involved in the consideration of how do you make an object invisible. And this was what we would today call a feasibility study, and this took place at the University of Chicago for about three years. And at that time, it was moved to the then rather brand new Institute of Advanced Study at Princeton, New Jersey. Mm -hmm. At that time, it was a think tank, if you will, and it was perhaps the premier think tank of the world, because the initial staffing, which started in 1933, involved people like Dr. John von Neumann, Albert Einstein, <coughs> a Dr. Alexander, and a Dr. Oswald Veblen. They were the four original staff members, and many other people came on board at uh, various times after that. Tesla worked with them at the Institute, but he was never a staff member. He was one of the people who came and went, if you will. He was still maintaining a lot of other experimental work, a lot of other jobs he was doing. He was, in fact, a member of the team of RCA Corporation from the day of its inception in 1919 until he retired in 1939. In the last four years of his life, he was vice president and director of engineering worldwide for RCA Corporation. It's not a fact that is well known. In fact, it is rather uh, well, shall we say, swept under the rug. Because various interests don't want the public to know the position that Tesla actually held. Al, um, a lot of the fictional accounts of invisibility uh, from The Invisible Man, which is a fairly recent movie, to The Philadelphia Experiment and a number of others, all seem to... Um, uh, deal with um, a very um, high energy electromagnetic fields. That's, that is correct. The original work uh, involved electromagnetics, but it's actually electromagnetics going beyond the range of electromagnetics. 
Uh, the work when they transferred it to the Institute in 34 went onward. In 36, they had an experimental test, which is partly successful, but anything but fully successful. Gave them an idea of the fact that they were in the least going in the right direction. And by 1940, they, the Navy in the meantime had funded this project almost from the beginning with some uh, research funds from the Office of Naval Engineering. They, uh, they were interested from a defense point of view, obviously. That's correct. Yeah. That is their the object. And uh, Franklin Delano Roosevelt was very interested in this project from the beginning because Tesla was an old friend of his. And that friendship goes back to World War I in 1917 when Roosevelt, then Undersecretary of the Navy, invited Tesla to do some work, uh, war work for the government, which Tesla readily agreed to do. Tesla was, among other things, a patriot. He didn't believe in this country very strongly, and he did a great deal of work for the government. And then when the war was over, he became part of the new organization of RCA. There's a great deal of history for Tesla, which I could go into, but it's not germane, really, to the subject. In any case, they went onward with the research work, and by 1940, they had a fully successful test at the Brooklyn Navy Yard involving a small Navy ship, the Tender. And there were two ships adjacent, one starboard, one port, which carried most of the heavy equipment. And the balance of the equipment, the special coils and the antenna, were installed on the ship, which was to be made invisible. And the important point of that test was while it was completely successful, there were no personnel on board. It was completely deserted insofar as any uh, people, uh, any personnel of any kind. So they made a smaller ship disappear in when, 1940? 1940, uh, late in the year, <clears throat> at the Brooklyn Navy Yard. And with that test, they knew that they had a successful system. Everyone was elated, including the Navy, Franklin Delano Roosevelt, and of course, they immediately classified the project. Up to that point, there was an open research project conducted by the Institute of Advanced Study. It was not classified, and it was purely <coughs> research uh, conducted by the Institute with some Navy backing, Navy funds. Now, Tesla was named the original director by Roosevelt in 1934, and Tesla remained director for this project until 19, well, March of 1942. Now, there's a lot more history in here, and I'm going to have to fill in and uh, let you know how I got involved in this thing. All right. I was not born Al Bielik. I was born Edward Cameron, and that was in August 4, 1916. Somewhat at variance with my birth certificate is Al Bielik, which says I was born in March of 1927. Hmm. I was actually born in 1916. My father was Alexander Duncan Cameron Sr., who was a Navy man. And he went into the Navy, since we can't find any records to show when he went in and when he went left, estimated in 1910, because he was born in 1891. Why, why is there this disparity in your birth certificate and your real age and real name? Well, you have to get into the rest of the story to understand why. Uh, there was no secret about my history at that time, up through that entire period. Oh, no, my brother, who was Duncan Cameron, who was born about seven months after I was, same father, different mother. Father was a, shall we say, a ladies' man, and uh, he had uh, quite a few under his wing. Two uh, common law marriages at that time, the first two wives were not legal, but from that point on they were legal. In any case, 1917, the war became... The hot issue, he was called by the Navy to go to sea, and he abandoned the two women, and uh, we were both raised by Andy Cameron in Long Island. Andy Arnold, actually, is her name, married. And uh, 
we never saw a father except maybe once a year. Mm-hmm. We both uh, had uh, the advantage of a family with money and a social position, and we were admonished by father to go get a good education, which in the Depression years, of course, was probably the appropriate thing to do because there wasn't much else to do. Sure. So we did. We both had quite an education in physics, a PhD. I first went to Princeton, then I was transferred to Harvard at Dr. Von Neumann's suggestion because I met him at Princeton. Took a PhD from Harvard in the summer of 39, and my brother Duncan from the University of Edinburgh, Edinburgh, Scotland, and also the summer of 1939. By father's insistence on arrangement, we both joined the Navy in September of 1939. So you, you have a PhD in physics. Under the name of Edward Cameron. I see. Not as our Billick. <clears throat> I have to stress that because of what happened later. So we both joined the Navy. We were given, uh, shall we say, a 90-day wonder school treatment by the Navy for officers who were for special assignment. We were given commissions upon enlistment mm-hmm. of Lieutenant J.G., which was quite standard at that time. And then in January 1940, we were assigned to the Institute, the Institute of Advanced Study, where we were brought up to speed on the project. We didn't know really what we were going to be assigned to, but we knew we were going to be on some special project. And that's how we became, both Duncan, my brother, and myself, became involved in the Philadelphia Experiment. It was not called the Philadelphia Experiment in the early stage. It was still known as Project Invisibility. (laughs) Uh, It's correct name under the (coughs) code name given by the Navy when they classified it was Project Rainbow. So we were brought on board at the Institute here in 1940 in January, and then they had the test in September, and then it was when they classified it and it became Project Rainbow. It was still Project Invisibility when we joined. Now after that, they set up offices in the Philadelphia Navy Yard. Of course, they had a lot of space there. And the classified aspects of this project there were continued at the Philadelphia Navy Yard, and of course the project was also still continued the Institute in uh, Princeton, on the Princeton grounds. And the Institute was not part of the university. It was on university property. It was a totally separate entity. Mm-hmm. And a separate control, separate financing, and the whole nine yards. It was a separate entity. So the project was ongoing. <clears throat> and with a successful test, Roosevelt told Tasma he was giving him a somewhat larger ship to make invisible, literally a battleship. And he said, Tesla, if you can make that invisible, you can make anything invisible. So we proceeded to prepare for this, had a water equipment, do a lot of further work. And I might add that this, at that time, Tesla was, up until 1939, still involved with RCA, and he only showed up in the project maybe once a week. I did meet him a couple of times. And uh, he was ongoing still with his other lab research and lab work. And he had not been a recluse by any means. I'll give you a quick thumbnail of what he had done in the period from 1931 onward when he was the alleged recluse twiddling his thumbs in the hotel room. In 1931, he had successfully produced a source of, uh, shall we say, free power, which was successful enough that he converted a Pierce Arrow automobile to an electric drive with a 75-horse motor under the hood and a little black boxy carry around with him, plugged into the dashboard when he wanted to go somewhere to demonstrate this car and its feasibility. Mm-hmm. Drove all over New York City, much to the elation of the press, and there was a lot of press coverage at the time. Eventually drove upstate New York, 
and all over New York State. And eventually the car was abandoned somewhere, as so I do not know the history of what happened to the car. He was also working on uh, such things as particle beam weapon systems. He had a successful one by 1935. Now, I've heard uh, a lot of this uh, about Tesla, and I've always wondered if Tesla had all of this incredible technology developed then, yes. what happened to it? In other words, what ha happened to the documentation? He was a scientist. I presume he documented his work. Early. Why is it all lost, Al? It's not lost. It was, shall we say, swept under the rug here in the U.S. after he died. It was not lost at that time. He still had his laboratory going. He was in communication with other governments and scientists all over the world. The particle beam weapon system is quite curious in itself. He offered it to the United States. He went through a uh, process known as a military board of review. And uh, they were at first in favor of it, but the final vote uh, cast it out. They were not, in, the, in terms of the final vote on it, interested. Well, that's Star Wars today. What I was saying about Tesla and the particle beam weapon system, he offered it to Canada at that time in 35 approximately, and they turned it down. It was offered to England not once but many times from 35 to 39. They turned it down. And they offered it to Russia in 1935, and they bought it. Uh, this is not well known, but they bought a working model and a U.S. consultancy for $25,000 cash. And a friend of mine here in Phoenix who had access to the Russian embassy in recent years found, he checked that story himself, and they, the Russians admitted that, yes, they did purchase the working model from Tesla in 1935, but it was lost during the war years with all the bombing, shelling, and everything else that went on during the war years. Now, how was enough energy uh, available at that time prior to nuclear power for a particle beam weapon? Well, it doesn't use that much power. It used high voltage, 200 million volts for a full-scale system, uh, lesser voltage for a smaller system. It did not require high power. It required high voltage and a relatively minor amount of power because the output tube, which I've seen and do have photos, or I should say sketches from more working sketches from his notes, showed a continuously evacuated tube, uh, which was evacuated on a continuously pumped basis because it had to have an open end for the discharge of the particle beam. And uh, the full-scale system would have required 200 million volts. The model's much lower, but the voltage was a very low current. All right, you say continually evacuated. Uh, I understand particle beam weapons are much more effective in space, where... Oh, this was intended for ground use on the surface. Right. In space, they don't have that problem. That's very true. In any case, that was only one of the things he worked on. He also worked on a death ray system demonstrated in 1938-39 at White Sands Proving Grounds, and our friend had those notes for a number of years till they were taken shall we say by the government, found out he had them in private uh, holding, and they were removed. Now, he left RCA and had more time to spend on this project and his own laboratory work, because he was still very active. And uh, in 1940, the successful test, and then he went on to prepare the battleship for a test at a later date. Now, in 1941, uh, the Navy tapped Duncan and myself on the shoulder and said, it's time to find out what the Navy's about, and sent us to sea for a year. It wasn't exactly a year. It was on the USS Pennsylvania. And from January of 41 until approximately October, we were all over the Pacific, and then the Pennsylvania came into dry dock for overhaul in Pearl Harbor. And that's a matter of public record anyone can check. And we were on liberty and leave. We went to San Francisco on July, I'm sorry, December 5th, we were 
to return to Pearl Harbor. We're about to board a plane at the Naval Air Station in Alameda. And we were stopped. Naval captain said the orders are canceled. We were taken to a room and we were interviewed by then director of the Office of Naval Engineering, Hal Bowen Sr., who told us that we expect the Japanese will attack Pearl Harbor within 48 to 72 hours. We consider you people to be too valuable to send back there, so stay in San Francisco, which we did. And we returned to the Institute in 1942, and of course, Pearl Harbor on December 7th is history. Now, we returned to the project, and preparations were well underway and nearly complete for the battleship test. And Tesla was having considerable misgivings about it at that time. He knew because of the extremely high power required, electromagnetic power, that there could be damage to dead sailors because the equipment was going to be on the deck and the rotating fields were very powerful, and any personnel on deck would be exposed to them, and he expected there would be serious problems. And there's a good cliffhanger point. I've got an additional quick break and a couple of them coming up here, so stand by just one sec, Al. The Philadelphia experiment's what we're talking about. Al Bielek is my guest. This is the CBC Radio Network. Are you overweight? Would you like to lose an average of 8 to 10 pounds in the next month? Well... It's pretty well known that fiber takes fat right out of your digestive tract like a broom. Gone. Reducing the amount of fat your body can store as excess weight, there is a new fiber called chitosan. It's a natural one. It comes from shellfish, and it not only takes out fat, but absorbs up to 10 times more fat than any other fiber, and here's the deal. You can get it in a product called chitoslim. Everybody's asking me for this number. So, please write down the number I'm about to give you. Run and get a pencil. It's effective, you see, because you can lose weight without changing your eating habits. That is a very attractive idea, isn't it? Here's the offer, the guarantee. You buy 90 days worth of Kaito Slim. You get an antioxidant moisturizing cream, free of charge. And if you don't lose the weight as advertised, you get your money back. And you get the cream uh, uh, to, to keep free. Call them. Want to lose weight? Call them. 1-800-557-4627. That's 1-800-557-4627. Good morning, everybody. Welcome back. I'm Mark Bell. My guest, Al Felix. Uh, in Phoenix of the Philadelphia experiment. We're getting up to it now. Um, Al, you say that Tesla was having misgivings. I want to stop and ask you for a second about um, uh, about electromagnetic fields. I, I have a bad back, Al, and I had an MRI once, and I had a demonstration by the technician of the strength of the, uh, uh, the magnetic field, and it was quite incredible, very strong. And yet, other than being able to see inside my body, there was no measurable uh, effect. Now, in, in suddenly, in our modern society, we're all of a sudden beginning to say, well, maybe there is an effect on the biological human being from electromagnetic fields, you know, the, all the controversy about the power lines and all the rest of it. So apparently, there may be something. But I always thought magnetics, uh, as a general rule, didn't have any effect at all on, a, on, a, on flesh and blood. Well, if it's a DC field, you will find a little or no effect. Uh, the problem is that it's an AC field at certain critical window frequencies. These have been charted, of course, since that day. 
in that period. <clears throat> that the information is well known now. There are critical window frequencies which affect the brain directly because the brain is affected and is receptive to magnetic frequencies and modulation in the magnetic domain. But, but only uh, alternating current. Uh... That is correct. Okay. An alternating field or even a pulse field over the course of the uh, Fourier series of uh, frequencies harmonics which uh, attain to a pulsed train, you have the same problem. Of course, a pulsed output or a square wave output, you have many more frequencies on the fundamental. Absolutely. Now, that was only part of the problem. The other aspect is that high-frequency electric fields, that is RF fields, will also affect the body and the brain if it's at the right frequencies. The Japanese did a lot of work on this during World War II. Oh, no, absolutely. In fact, uh, at high enough frequencies, you literally cook as you would in a microwave oven. It's true. And even without cooking, you have frequencies which will affect the mind and the brain. Mm -hmm. And the effect on the neurological system is not at the level of uh, RF heating, which was the old standard in the United States. The Russians long since have learned better, and of course they do know better here now, but the standard used to be one-tenth of a watt or 100 milliwatts per square inch was considered the threshold of heating of human tissue, and that was considered the danger point, and no consideration was given to the biological effects of much weaker fields. Uh, over long term as well. Uh, long term or short term, uh -huh. the window frequency short term. Now that, of course, is modern data, and it's all a result of the Philadelphia experiment and with the aftermath and all of the studies that were made. I don't want to get too technical on everybody, Al, uh, but I would be interested, what kind of frequency range are you talking about when you say window frequencies? Window frequencies, in terms of the human brain, the magnetic response, you're dealing in frequencies typically below 30 hertz. Oh, very low frequencies, then. That's correct, ELF. Oh, I'll be darned. And I thought you were going to say just the opposite. I thought you were going to talk about one gigahertz and up. Oh, RF, you will talk oh. about high frequencies in the range of uh, well, the spinal resonance around 450 megahertz. The uh, brain cavity resonance is somewhere, depending on the size of the cavity of the human head, anywhere from roughly 850 to 1,000 megahertz mm -hmm. or one gigahertz which also gets into the range of the cellular phone and the problem. I was just about to say that. These people holding these cellular phones up uh, ought to perhaps think better of it. One, one second, Al. Stand by. Uh-huh. Fascinating. We'll be right back. This is CBC. Would you like to see your child use perfect manners every day? They will with the help of It's Just Good Manners, a new video now available only in this special offer. It's Just Good Manners with host Eddie Katz teaches children excellent table manners, telephone skills, how to write good thank you notes, show respect for home and property, punctuality, and much more. No boring books to read. Children learn by watching a fun video that demonstrates good everyday manners. Parents will love the change they'll see after just one viewing, and children will watch it again and again because it's so much fun. It's Just Good Manners is not available in stores, so order your copy now. Parents and grandparents, order It's Just Good Manners now. Dial 1-800-255-7100. The video, $19.95 plus $4 shipping and handling. It's Just Good Manners. 1-800-255-7100. Have your credit card ready. Dial 1-800-255-7100. Imagine a world without trees. A dry, barren world. 
where giant dust storms roll across the countryside and blow away precious topsoil. A world where dust chokes people, plants, and animals, where parched crops can no longer feed the people. The Arbor Day Foundation asked you to imagine a world with trees, conservation trees, where tree roots grip and hold the topsoil, where trees' leafy canopies cool the hot summer sun, where shelter belts slow the wind, saving crops and fields, and where trees create pleasant wooded areas to enjoy. A world without trees is no world for me, or for you. Conservation trees make the difference. This is Eddie Albert urging you to write for your free conservation trees brochure from the National Arbor Day Foundation, Nebraska City, Nebraska. If you're overweight, the Catabolic Diet is the most effective, unbelievable program ever created based on over 100 foods that remove calories from your body. Did you know that every food that enters your body requires various body organs, such as liver, spleen, stomach, digestive juices, to complete digestion? For example, an ordinary piece of cake that has 300 calories may require 25 calories to complete digestion, but a catabolic food that contains 50 calories may require 100 calories to complete digestion, actually removing fat from your body. Diets based on catabolic foods result in staggering weight losses. According to the doctor that created the program, the diet works three times faster than starvation. One lady, written up in the Journal of Medicine, actually lost 256 pounds in a matter of months. Order the catabolic diet for only $19.95. Call 1-800-292-2060 to finally lose those unwanted pounds. Call 1-800-292-2060. I want to talk to your parents because I'm a smoker. I'm 16 and I've been smoking now for five years and I'm trying to quit. It's hard. It's really hard to quit. I mean, I feel like I need it all the time. So why did I start? I guess it, I thought it was like the thing to do. I wanted people to think that I was cool. I guess I believed all those cigarette ads. Now it's not cool to smoke. I mean, it stinks. All my money is going to some guy making cigarettes. And he's made a lot of money off me. You think he cares if I die? Don't let your kids smoke. So don't let them be stupid. More people die each year from cigarette-related diseases than from illegal drugs, murders, suicide, car accidents, and AIDS combined. It's time to do something about it. A message from this station and the American Cancer Society. Men are from Mars. Women are from Venus. Oh, you read the book? Not yet. Sounds good. Oh, it is good. You've read it? Heard it. I got it from my audiobook club. Wait, it's an audiobook, too? Oh, yeah, lots of bestsellers are now. The Celestine Prophecy, that new John Grisham, The Rainmaker, mm. Jerry Spence, How to Argue and Win Every Time. Ah, so that's your secret. But who has time for all those? I do, and you do, too. If they're audiobooks, I listen to mine while I commute. I could do that. If you'd like to listen to the books you haven't got time to read, welcome to the club, the Columbia House Audiobook Club. As your introduction, take four of today's best audiobooks for 99 cents. Call now for our book list. Pick any four you want for 99 cents. And remember, there's always time for a good book if it's an audiobook. Does not include shipping and handling. Members must purchase four titles over the next two years at regular club prices. Call 1-800-651-6900 for details. 1-800-651-6900.
You're listening to Art's 1993 interview with Al Bielik on this, the absolute best of Coast to Coast AM with Art Bell. Top of the morning, everybody. Al Bielik in Phoenix is uh, with us again, Al. Uh, that's just a little break for other stations to join the net. All right, Al. Um, that's a whole side issue, but... Uh, that comes into play when one uh, considers the final results of the test on the average. But let's go back to the basic story here. <clears throat> Tesla was concerned because he knew that with the amount of power that was involved that there would be serious problems with Navy personnel. He went to the Navy and asked for an extension of time. He says he was certain he could solve the problem, but he needed more time. And, of course, he received the usual answer at that time was, there's a war on, you've got a test date and need it. So... He had the choice of going ahead and uh, hoping for the best or, as he did choose, sabotage the test, detune the equipment so nothing happened and nobody was hurt. And, of course, he at that point... Was that was the first test, Al, on the, on the big ship? That was the first test of a big ship. And he detuned the equipment, actually took it off frequency so it wouldn't happen? That's correct. It deliberately sabotaged the test. I'll be darned. No one was hurt. And, of course... That altered his uh, historic record of having an impeccable history of never failing on any project. So he did on that one, and he bowed out and says, uh, the test is a failure, gentlemen. I have other things to do. I'm leaving this project. Well, the question is whether he left voluntarily or had a little assistance from the Navy. It doesn't matter. He left the project. And it was not very long after that, since it was March 42 in uh, January of 1943, he died. And that was on the 7th of January. But he was separated from the project at that point and turned it over to Dr. John von Neumann, who then became the director. And von Neumann looked at the projects, told the Navy, I'll have to look and see what went wrong. It didn't take him long to find out what was wrong, but he decided to avail himself of the time and redesign the equipment. Mm -hmm. And he went, unlike uh, Tesla, who was an analog man, liked to use continuous waves with special modulation waveforms, Von Neumann was a man who liked to do pulsed work. In other words, pulse the system uh, with energy. As you would radar. As you would radar, exactly. Uh -huh. Sure. And uh, he decided to redesign the equipment for that. The basic mathematics, the basic, basic approach was still the same. And the basic approach involved rotating fields, a rotating magnetic field outside of a rotating electric field, uh, both counterclockwise. And the equipment design involved some changes, and particularly upping the power. Uh, von Neumann went up to a 2 megawatt power output with a booster on each RF transmitter. Well, I, I can't say a standard AM transmitter, but a standard transmitter of the day, which they were pushing the state of the art because the output was 160 megahertz, which was high frequency in those days, but definitely within the realm of uh, capability because radar was functional in those days and they were running a still higher frequency. You say 160 megahertz? Right, at uh, 2 megawatts. Oh my gosh, uh, that's a VHF frequency typically used by uh, two-way two communications. Police are a little lower, uh, but it's in that area. But those days it was in the radar range because you didn't go to 400 megahertz range until, for radar until the war was over. Right. And. Uh, <clears throat> That was insofar as the RF transmitters were concerned, four of them, feeding a special quadriphase antenna, and I'm speaking of the final design for the Eldridge, uh, which was, the antenna was designed by T. Townsend Brown. He had been pulled into the Navy in 1938 to work on another problem, namely the German magnetic mines. But he was also an RF man, and he made contributions to the project. 
Now, in the redesign by von Neumann, he decided that he wanted a ship which was designed from the ground up for these tests. Mm -hmm. So this was uh, roughly in the spring months of 1942, and about, about roughly July, he went to the uh, Newark Shipbuilding Yards, which were not far from Philadelphia, picked a number off the drawing board, DE-173, and gave instructions how he wanted the ship modified. Namely, we're not con uh, completely complete and finish the interior of the ship. We leave it gutted for two rails along the bottom and leave gun turret number two unfinished so they could drop the heavy equipment in. In the case of the battleship and trying to outfit it without uh, designing it from the ground up, the heavy equipment was on the deck. So he wanted the two large generators for the four Tesla coils buried in the guts of the ship. They were 75 kVA each driven by a 750-horsepower motor with two right-angle gearbox drives, and that's some pretty heavy equipment. Yes, it is. And that went in the hold of the ship, along with the diesel-electric generator to supply power for the system, which was totally separate from ship's power. And that was a 8-megawatt monster. So they had some heavy equipment in the hold. And the ship came down the ways in September of 42, went into dry dock, they put the heavy equipment in board the ship, and then in September... I'm sorry, December of 42, the ship under its own power went to the uh, Philadelphia Navy Yard in the interior section, which was a classified work, and the rest of the electronic equipment was installed. Uh, I, w I wish to stop you for a second so that I can understand the, um, the layout of the fields again. You've got an RF field, uh, I take it first. Yes, and a special mast midships on top of the highest mast of the ship. And this produced a rotating electric field because of the design of the rest of the electronic equipment. Right. And the field was provided by four transmitters, each were pulsed at special pulse rates, which is part of the whole system, and a lot of electronics which preceded it. Now, in addition to that, you had four large conical Tesla coils. When I say a Tesla coil, not the full-blown type, which one is familiar with today with a primary and a secondary. Right. But a single coil, which was round in a conical shape, narrow at the top, wide at the base. There was one inch, essentially one inch copper tubing, hollow and cooled. And there was a single turn, like a spiral, expanding, and was fed at the top and the bottom in cables from the generator. They had two large generators, two outputs from each generator, and these were phased <clears throat> due to the rest of the electronic equipment so that you had a rotating magnetic field because of the phasing of the of the uh, generators and the associated electronics. So these four coils were placed on the deck of the Eldridge, two forward, two aft, right. and of course there were two in starboard and two port, and they were symmetrically arranged around the antenna. Okay. And they were driven with very high-powered current pulses. And there was a certain rate, approximately a 10% duty cycle, and frequency so that you wound up with a rotating magnetic field. Now this rotating field was outside of the electric field in essence. And without getting too technical on this... Was the R... I'm still trying to understand. I'm sorry, Al, don't mean to interrupt. Was the RF field rotating or was it a constant output? Oh, they were both rotating. They were both rotating. At different frequencies. At different frequencies and not, not, in, not in synchronization other... They were in synchronization, essentially, yes, because well, one was twice the rate of the other. All right. They were both tied, mathematically speaking, in terms of the rotating rate to what is a fundamental number 
for everything on this planet, namely pi over 2. All right. Uh, okay. Uh, I think I finally understand. Okay. Now, this, of course, was in the final embodiment of the equipment. Uh, the ship had to be outfitted with the electronic equipment and everything that went with it. Duncan and I were back on the project, of course, from uh, January 42 onward. And uh, <clears throat> we saw the failure of the battleship test. We saw the whole procedure for the development of the Eldridge, which at that time was not called the Eldridge. It was just a number, DE-173. It had not become the Eldridge until it was christened, which was in August of 43. Mm -hmm. Now, with the uh, outfitting of the ship, and there, were, there was a lot of testing and uh, some other problems, of course. They never tested the full system until it was out in the harbor. They also went through the Navy and decided, the Norman decided, and the Navy concurred to have a special volunteer test crew for these tests, all volunteer. How many were aboard totally? In the final test, there was 15 sailors and about six officers for the test, and each of the two tests for the Eldridge. Fifteen sailors and how many officers? Six. Six officers, okay. And I was two off, two of them included Duncan and myself. Right. As we were trained to run the equipment, in the hold, actually, which was a control room on the surface of the ship, behind steel doors and steel bulkheads. So you weren't able to see out on the deck? No, not with the bulkhead door closed, which was a normal procedure while operating the equipment. Right. In any case, a lot of prece preliminary tests preceding the final test, and von Neumann started to get the shakes about the personnel problem himself about, oh, roughly March of 1943. Mm -hmm. And he decided to add a third generator to try and produce a counterfield. And that never worked. It could never be synchronized with the other two. The other two required very special electronic equipment. What was the purpose of the counterfield? To provide some kind of protection in von Neumann's mind to the effects of the other main field to the personnel. The system never worked. It only succeeded in zapping a technician who was working with us in the control room. He was going to try and nullify the field in a certain area. Correct. It didn't work, and he consequently abandoned the, uh, the approach for the third generator, went back to the two-generator approach, and uh, was essentially ready for tests in July of 1943. Now, all of this equipment was aboard the Eldridge. There were preliminary sectional tests, and we were thoroughly instructed in what was to be done and how the procedure was, because you have to understand in those days there were no computers. Right. computer was invented by von Neumann, but at a later date, after the war was over. And everything was manually run, so that the concern at that time was to produce a field of invisibility, which would be both optical and, of course, by 43. We had very good radar. It was developed in the years prior to the war, but it was almost uh, unknown until 1941-42. So invisible optically and to radar. And to radar. That's only an extension of uh, one of the other, because the optical high frequencies are much higher electromagnetic frequency range than radar. Mm -hmm. Radar in those days was running around 160 to 200 megahertz. So the final test was the first test, not final, was decided to be held on the 20th of July, they spread it till the 22nd, and then they held it in the harbor of Philadelphia. There was an observer ship uh, with a man running the test. The man in charge of it was a Captain Harrison, now dead. And of course, on that ship was Van Neumann, another scientist, another Navy personnel. It was a carrier as the observer. 
So he was at least confident enough to be on board during it himself. He was on board the observer ship. Not oh, 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 I see. Then he wasn't. <laughs> he was not on the Eldridge. I see. No. The only people on the Eldridge are those who were involved directly in the test, which included Duncan and myself. Did they advise you of the danger of what you were about to do? No. No? No, they did not. There was no allusion to there being any real danger, but there was <clears throat> allusion to the fact that there could be problems. And Van Neumann did not expect any kind of a serious problem. Uh, in case of, for those who have saw, seen the movie, where they saw these banks and banks of electron tubes, that was quite accurate except for one thing. In the movie version, they showed miniature tubes. In the real version, they were using 6L6s in the large glass bulb size. 6L6s? Yes. Some... I know about a 6L6. That was the first tube I used in my first ham transmitter. <laughs> it was commonly used for many years, that's true. With a 6AG7 driver. Right. <laughs> 6L6s were used to drive the fuel coils of the generators, 3,000 of them. Wow. Uh, there was actually 300 per fuel coil. There were five fuel coils on each generator. Don't ask me why that configuration was chosen. I couldn't answer that one. I, I'm very impressed, Al, with your ability to describe the technical aspect of this. I'm very pleased about that. I know a lot of people in the audience won't understand it, but I'm understanding what you're saying, and uh, you're, you're very impressive. So on the 22nd of July, they were ready for a test, and we were out in the harbor, and we received command by radio to the radio operator to proceed with the test, so we fired up the equipment in the appropriate uh, order. And they ran the test for about 20 minutes. And the ship was invisible to the eye other than for a slight haze in the area where the ship was. It was actually in the water, and it was totally invisible to radar. It just faded right off the radar screen. Did that invisibility occur instantly, or did it sort of phase in slowly, or how did it? Phased in slowly. It did oh. not occur instantly. All right. How w would you be able to confine the field um, to precisely to the, uh, the the mass of the ship, Al, or did you actually take some some seawater with you? You took some seawater with you. Ah. That became the concern of Captain Harrison because he saw a large waterline, much larger than the ship, and uh, from his viewpoint on the deck of the carrier, looking with a pair of binoculars, all he could see was a big hole under the ship, and it appeared like the ship was floating in air. That is, there was a big gap there. He couldn't see the ship, but he could see that the, he knew the outline of the ship where it should be, and the waterline <clears throat> was much larger than the ship, and he couldn't see the bottom, so to speak, where the water was. It was a fairly deep section of the harbor. Wow. And he became very concerned that maybe the ship was floating in air. It wasn't. But the, to all appearances, sure. there was air there, and he was afraid because of the way the ship was put together with the gutted interior that the thing would break in half without water support, so he ordered the test terminated after 20 minutes. Well, let's let's go to you for a moment. What were you? What was your job? What were you doing? Uh, and Duncan were running the equipment. In other words, we had the dual responsibility, not only of turning the equipment on in proper sequence, checking the mirrors, knowing what the basic physics involved was, but also in case something went wrong, we had to diagnose what might have gone wrong and, if necessary, shut the equipment off. All right, now a dumb question, and then we've got to take a break. Uh, Once the invisibility occurred, uh, or, or, or that effect began, as you looked at your own hand, what did you see? My hand. You see, the effect was not on board the ship. As you, as you look, oh, I see. So. 
And as you looked at, at anything in the ship, it too appeared as normal? Internally to the ship and to anyone on the deck, the ship appeared essentially normal, except for one factor. There was a heavy haze around the ship, and that heavy haze was ozone gas, which was generated by these fields. Ozone, well, Al, what I'm going to ask you when we come back in a moment, I'm going to take a quick break, is where that ship went. Uh, stand, stand by right there. We'll be right back to you. Al Bielek is my guest. Wow. The Philadelphia experiment brought back to life for you this morning. We'll find out more. Top of the morning, everybody. Many of you have no idea that in our Senate there is a new bill, actually the second time around now for this bill, that will create a new money. A lot of people don't believe this for some reason. They just don't believe it. Well, there is going to be a new money. It'll be multicolored. There'll be two forms of it, one to use inside the country, one out. And a lot of people believe that eventual domestic devaluation of the dollar, uh, that is, faster than the, the normal slow erosion that's going on, uh, is inevitable. Now, if you want to see a copy of this Senate bill, my sponsor will send it to you without obligation uh, and free of charge. All you've got to do is call and ask. Tell them, I told you to call. Get a copy of this, show it to your friends. Then they will believe, too, because it is true. It's North American trading, and a way to get your hand on the bill is to call 1-800-877-9799. Let me give that to you one more time, please. 1-800-877-9799. That's North American trading. Are you making too many trips to the bathroom? If you are, you're not alone. These days, millions of men are suffering from enlarged prostate symptoms, like frequent trips to the bathroom and diminished libido. Well, we'd like to tell you about... Dr. Michael Toplinski's super prostate formula for an enlarged prostate. Dr. Toplinski is a medical doctor who's developed the formula for his patients and he's been using it in his practice for years. The results astounding. It contains about every known natural ingredient that's been clinically proven to reduce the size of the prostate and thus relieve symptoms. This formula made by physician's choice can definitely help those men suffering from an enlarged prostate. Therefore, I want you to take advantage of the offer. Two bottles, get the third free. That's a three-month supply for the price of two. Call toll-free 1-800-249-6060. Not available in stores, guaranteed to work or your money back. You've got nothing to lose but those symptoms. So call 1-800-249-6060. Again, 1-800-249-6060. <laughs> You are listening to the best of Art Bell. From the kingdom of nine, Coast to Coast AM continues with Art Bell. Al Bielik is my guest from Phoenix. He was there. He operated some of the equipment. And I'm very impressed with the uh, technical uh, aspects of this. And I hope that uh, the eyes are not glazing um, out there over some of the technical details. But uh, the devil is in the details, and I have never had somebody uh, as competent to discuss the technical details of something as incredible as this, and Al Bielek's doing it very well. Al, are you still there? Yes. Good. Um, so for 20 minutes, this ship disappeared. That's right. Uh, I, I'm going to ask a dumb question. Ask, where did it go? And you're going to say nowhere. It didn't go anywhere. It was still there in the harbor. There was, in fact, even a test with somebody coming by to launch to see if they could touched the hull of the ship, well, they were a little bit far away, but what they found was that there was a viscous-like resistant field. They couldn't even get their hand up to their elbow into it. It was resisting any attempt to penetrate it. 
to regenerating a field of a very unusual nature, and that field was outside of the ship by a fair distance, depending on the power. And actually what you had was a, a toroidal field, and the toroidal field was rotating, but it was also bisected across the donut, like you slice the donut in half across the full diameter. Mm -hmm. One half of the field was above the waterline, the other half was below the waterline. Huh. Produced a very unusual effect because the end result of that was your rotating magnetic field was essentially unipolar above the waterline. What happened to the biological entities, the people on board the ship? When the uh, order was given to terminate the test, and return to dockside. There was no problem. They did return the ship to dockside. There were certain numbers of personnel stationed on the deck to see what they saw and what they observed. These people, these sailors, were totally disoriented, sick, nauseous, uh, out of it as the saying goes, and uh, mentally very confused. They were not insane, and they were not uh, in the state which happened on the second test. But in any case, the Navy says, well, it's no problem. We have another test crew because they only took about one half of the special group who were trainees who went through a special 90-day training school at the Coast Guard Academy, headed by my father, believe it or not. And uh, they said, well, we have another crew for you. No problem. And so Van Neumann says, well, I've got to find a means to solve this problem. And he asked the Navy for more time. Well, they didn't initially give them a date for the second test. But what happened was that after about a week, they said, okay, you got a drop-dead date, the 12th of August, 1943. Complete your tests by then or forget it. Well, we couldn't figure out what the blazes this was all about. It never, it made no sense that anyone had ever given such an order before. And I went to Elbow and I said, where did this order come from? He found out it came from the Chief of Naval Operations, who was Admiral King at that time, which made even less sense because he was only concerned with the operation of the Navy's part in the worldwide theater of operations and running the war. Mm -hmm. Why should he be concerned about an engineering test? We never did find the answer to that till many, many years later. But in any case, came the 12th, <clears throat> we had a great deal of concern about it, and Norman did not have time enough to make any major change in the equipment. Um, we're almost over the news here, but why were your concerns greater about the second test than the first? Well, we were concerned more about the second test for this reason. Captain Harrison had decided that because of what he saw through the binoculars, he wanted special uh, additional tests run, like they put pressure uh, reading equipment on the hull, inside and outside. A special crew, additional crew, was assigned to the Eldridge. All right, Al, hold it there. Relax, we'll be back right after the news. Stay there, everybody. We'll be back. If you've missed any part of tonight's interviews with Al Bielek or Preston Nichols and you'd like to have a copy on tape, dial toll-free 1-800-917-4278 and ask for tape number 970217C. The cost is $33.50 for all five hours without the commercials. That toll-free number is 1-800-917-4278. You've got tax questions. Who doesn't? The important thing is, where do you go for answers? Well, try calling the Internal Revenue Service. Teletax is your 24-hour toll-free helpline. 
You'll have access to recorded information on about 150 tax topics, from deductions to dependents to business expenses. Just call 1-800-829-4477. That's 1-800-829-4477 for Teletax. At the IRS, we want to help. In fact, that's why we're here. In the next 60 seconds, I'm going to do something terrible to anyone who's ever wanted to play the piano. I'm going to take away your excuses. I'm George Maladin, and right now you can learn to play the piano using the See and Hear Piano series, the same simple learn-at-home method that's already taught thousands of people to play with a full 60-day money-back guarantee. How can we make such an offer? Simple. The See and Hear Piano series works using a simple step-by-step -step approach covering chord construction, voicing, chord progressions, runs, and the circle of fifths, our audio and videotapes will teach you how to play your favorite songs and improvise like a pro. Call this number right now and try the See and Hear Piano Series risk-free. Stop making excuses and start making music. Call 1-800-905-PIANO. That's 1-800-905-PIANO. Try See and Hear with a 60-day money-back guarantee. Things were really cooking at the safety belt stakeout. When we pinched them. Ouch! Betty gives us a ticket. That's right, and don't call me Betty. But we never wear safety belts. See, we're dummies. And here's something even you can understand. For a good time, call... No, this. A ticket? Police are now ticketing low-life scum who don't wear safety belts, so buckle up. Surely you can give us a break. No, and don't call me Shirley. A message from the Department of Transportation and the Ad Council. USA Radio Network News, this is Ron Jenkins. The U.S. Ambassador to the United Nations begins his new job today. USA's Connie Lawn has the latest. Former New Mexico Congressman replaces Madeleine Albright in the position. The U.S. continues to press the U.N. for reform, but many in the U.N. claim they will not listen until the U.S. pays the more than $1 billion debt it owes. President Clinton says he wants to pay the money, but a majority of leaders in the Congress oppose the trends in the U.N. and are in no rush to repay the funds. Tony Long, USA Radio News, Washington. Shuttle Discovery astronauts Mark Lee and Stephen Smith are wrapping up the fifth and final spacewalk this hour to finish upgrading the Hubble Space Telescope. They will re-enter the shuttle within the next few minutes. Mission Control says one of the final operations has just been completed. And Houston, the RPSC is removed. We can see it. Uh, the LGA uh, C, that uh, acronym standing for low gain antenna cover, that was a protective cover that's one of the first items placed on the bottom of the telescope to protect that antenna from uh, uh, any inadvertent bumping. That uh, antenna cover will be, uh, has been now removed. The Discovery crew will place the Hubble back in space orbit tonight, then begin wrapping up the mission after final testing of the telescope's new electronics. This is USA Radio News. If you had to retire now, right this minute, could you? Probably not. Retirement isn't supposed to be scary. It's a reward for a lifetime of hard work, but you wouldn't know that by today's headlines. Social Security is ready to collapse. Your company pension plan won't be there when you need it. Without a big fat nest egg in the bank, we'll end up on the streets. What these headlines don't tell you is that by doing one simple thing, you can put money in the bank and start looking forward to a carefree retirement. No matter how far behind you think you may be, or 
how much or how little you have in savings, even if you're over 55. Does this sound impossible? Let me assure you, it's not. Take the first step and make this call, 800 Gold KRC. This information is free and will show you how to put away an extra $300,000 for retirement. This is a zero risk offer. Call 800 GOLD KRC. 800 465 3572. The investigation into alleged influence peddling in the 1996 presidential election has brought with it 20 new subpoenas and word from the chief investigator that there could be more. Dan Burton, Indiana Republican and chairman of the House Committee on Government Reform and Oversight, is working alongside Senator Fred Thompson's Governmental Affairs Committee looking at possible foreign influence in the U.S. election process. Jeff Birnbaum, Washington Bureau Chief of Fortune Magazine, says Burton has a big job in front of him. Dan Burton, the chairman of the committee in the House that's looking into this, wishes uh, he didn't have such an extensive investigation, but uh, so much has been happening and so much has been flowing uh, perhaps improperly into Democratic coffers, that he's expanded his investigation and uh, looks like he'll have a lot of work to do. U.S. Secretary of State Madeleine Albright attended her first NATO foreign minister's meeting as she continues her nine-country tour. She's in France. This is USA Radio News. Does your home need a new roof this season? If your roof needs replacing fast, then call Sears Roofing now. A Sears authorized expert will examine your roof and give you a free estimate. Sears Roofing is sold furnished and installed by Diamond Exteriors, a Sears authorized contractor, so you know you'll get expert installation guaranteed. Not available in all areas. Sears Roofing is ready to help you, so call now. 1-800-452-6200. That's 800-452-6200. A Georgian diplomat expected to face trial in the U.S. for allegedly causing a fatal car crash and the death of a 16-year-old girl might serve some or all of his punishment in his native country. USA's John Decker has more. Georgian President Edward Shevardnadze suggested in a radio interview that his government would push to have the Georgian diplomat serve any punishment in Georgia rather than the U.S. Shevardnadze says there will be serious negotiations with the U.S. as to where the diplomat, if he's found guilty, serves time. Prosecutors are expected to seek a grand jury indictment charging the diplomat with involuntary manslaughter now that Georgia has waived his diplomatic immunity. John Decker, USA Radio News, Washington. Sources in the Chinese capital of Beijing say there are major concerns about the health of China's paramount leader, Deng Xiaoping. Sources say his health has deteriorated to the point that the country's chief leaders have cut short trips to the provinces to get back to Beijing. Ron Jenkins on the USA Radio Network. Erase it. You may not even know it. You and your eyesight are in a race against time. Because the longer you live, the greater your risk of developing a retinal degenerative disease that could lead to blindness. Even if your eyesight is fine now, diseases like retinitis pigmentosa and macular degeneration could catch up with you, like it has for as many as 6 million Americans. This is one race you don't want to lose. Call the Foundation Fighting Blindness at 1-800-683-5555 for a free information packet on retinitis pigmentosa or macular degeneration, including information about symptoms, treatment, and research. After all, the more you know now, the better your chances of beating it later. Call the Foundation Fighting Blindness for your free information packet at 1-800-683-5555 today. Because in the race against time, the cure in sight could be your own.
tonight, while Art Bell is recovering from the cold he caught flying home from Mexico, Chancellor Broadcasting Company presents the absolute best of Art Bell. We take you way back to the scratchy analog days of 1993 to vintage Art Bell and his classic three-hour interview with Al Bielik, followed by two hours with Preston Nichols and the subsequent Montauk experiment. It's a dandy and one of Art's all-time favorite shows. And now, hour number two, featuring Art Bell and Al Bielik on the Philadelphia Experiment. Al, are you still there? Sam. All right, let's talk second experiment. Well, okay. To continue where I left off, <clears throat> they decided they wanted to do some pressure testing on the hull to find out exactly what was going on, have a second crew placed on board, which was to operate that equipment only, and they assigned a submarine to go under the ship and find out well, what was going on with the water line or whatever. Makes sense, yeah. So all of this was set up for the final test on the 12th of August. And we had the crew on board and everything ready to go. And the last minute, something happened. They pulled the crew, the special crew, and put them on the sub, removed the sub, and then told us of the regular crew for the test to go ahead for the test. Well, at that point, needless to say, Duncan and I were very concerned. What's going on here? There's, we had that funny gut feeling that something was terribly wrong, but we didn't know what. So at the appropriate time, we were given the radio command to proceed. And uh, we had two changes. One, the Navy decided to relax the requirement for optical invisibility, or just radar, because they decided, if you understand, in those days, there was no lower end, no shore end and uh, none of the sophisticated navigation systems we have today or satellites or whatever. Right. And if you didn't have radar visibility, you better have some kind of optical visibility at night in a storm or you might be ramming adjacent ships in a convoy because right. it was typically the way they ran across the Atlantic was in a large convoy. And they were trying to thwart the German uh, sink rate, which was then approximately 50% of the shipping crossing the Atlantic. Mm -hmm. So there we were, and we had orders to proceed with the final test, finally received by radio, so we proceeded and fired up the equipment. And for the first, to, to those observing on the outside, and at this point there were three observer ships. There was a carrier, there was a Coast Guard cutter, and there was a commercial ship known as the SS Freyaseth, a merchant marine ship. Mm -hmm. The merchant marine, of course, was very interested in the system that worked. They wanted to immediately outfit some of their ships and yeah. crossing the Atlantic. So we had three observer ships, we turned the equipment on, and for about the first 70 or so seconds, everything appeared to be functioning according to plan, i.e. radar and visibility, but you could still see the ship through a haze. The ship was still visible, but not in the normal sense of visibility. It was uh, shrouded, if you will. Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden, there was a blue flash, and the ship disappeared, waterline and all, and there was no ship in the harbor. It was gone, and I don't mean visibly gone, it was physically gone, and it was gone for about four hours, and then at four hours approximately, the ship suddenly reappeared in the harbor, and needless to say, von Neumann and everybody was panicked when this happened, and there was no way to raise anyone on the radio, there was absolutely no radio connection, the ship reappeared, <clears throat> and uh, they immediately observed from the observing carrier, the principal observer ship, that there was something wrong. Part of the antenna mass, special one, was gone. There was some superficial damage on the deck of the ship. I, I, I can't stand it, Al. Where did the ship go? I'll get to that. Okay. 
And uh, there was some visible uh, crew running around like crazy, and nobody responded on the radio. So they had a special launch go out with a boarding crew, and when they boarded the ship, they found out much more about what happened. They found two men buried in the steel deck. Two men were buried upright in the steel bulkhead. The fifth man had his hand buried in the steel bulkhead. He lived. He's the only one of the five that lived. And they cut his hand off and gave him an artificial hand later. And uh, absolute pandemonium when they found this. And those who were still on deck were insane and uh, totally out of it. I mean, do mean insane. And those below deck were perfectly all right because they were shielded by the steel. Right. I mean, one man developed the problem of uh, intermittent and uncontrolled invisibility, but probably due to flux leakage due to the saturating of the steel. In any case, a special crew was put on board. The ship was brought back to dockside of the Philadelphia Navy Yard. And they had four days of inquiry and hearing what happened. So I made my report. I was there. Duncan was not. He was among those who were missing. And uh, nobody believed my report. Van Norman didn't believe it. But in any case, he told me, I'll talk with you later. They opted for one more test. Like the first test in 1940, that was successful. After replacing the uh, damaged equipment, uh, it'll be in the outer harbor, Philadelphia, late at night, sometime late October, 1,200 hours, 2,200 hours at night, and uh, run it on long cables, like a 1,000 feet of cable to the adjacent ship to control it. After the uh, ship was on station, remove the personnel, mm -hmm. control the equipment by remote cable, which they did, and the ship disappeared, came back about 15, 20 minutes later, Equipment in the hold was a smoking room, and some of it was missing. So at that point, the Navy washed their hands of the whole project. So they were scrapping it, put the normal uh, equipment on board the Eldridge, uh, reoutfitted for war service. That was done. <clears throat> so war service during 44 and 45, sometime in 46, was put in mothballs, and remained there until 1951, I think it was 51 or 2, when it was turned over to the Greek Navy as part of the uh, group that was ships turned over to the Greek Navy by President Truman. It was renamed the Leon, and believe it or not, that ship is still in service in the Greek Navy today. We've had feedback on it in the last two months. That's an astounding story. Uh, so now, if I can... Uh, what happened? That's right. What happened? You were on board. Where'd that ship go? What happened to us? That is Duncan and I. Yes. In the first 30 seconds, uh, everything appeared to be normal after the equipment was operational. Then we noticed strange waverings in the tubes, and then some strange electrical arcing started to take place in the control room. Now, this was totally unprecedented because there was no high voltage right there, and that we could induce such arc over. But nevertheless, it happened. It was continuing. We tried to raise somebody on the radio because in the, another change in the interim was they put a direct link to the radio transmitter and a receiver in our control room rather than going through a remote uh, signaling system and a remote link mm -hmm. radio tower, so to speak. And uh, we raised no one, couldn't hear anyone, so we were on our own. And we decided at that point, well, this equipment's going haywire. This is not according to plan. we better shut it down. Went to the main control handles for the main AC power to the equipment, and we yanked on them, grabbed on them, tried to force them, they wouldn't budge. We could not break power connection. Conditions continue to get worse in the control room, so we decided, let's get out of here. Opened the bulkhead door, ran out on deck. So a sailor's milling around very severely. No one was buried in the deck at that time. And uh, we've got the bright idea, well, let's jump overboard and swim ashore. 
we were both good swimmers. So we did jump overboard. Now, I must state that at that point, we could see nothing beyond the railing of the ship. It was just a gray fog, if you will, a, a gray something. We right. didn't know what it was, but we couldn't see anything beyond the ship. The ship was still quite visible of itself, though there was a haze running around on the ship. We jumped overboard. We never hit the water. We decided we didn't know what was happening, but we started to fall and fall and fall through what appeared to be or felt like a tunnel of some kind mm -hmm. and all kinds of strange flashing lights. And eventually we wound up standing on our feet on dry land, uh, quite a change from the expected water landing. I should say. Uh, dry land at night on the inside perimeter of a military base. There's a chain link fence immediately to our back. And suddenly there was a bright searchlight beaming down on us from what was obviously a helicopter overhead. Mm -hmm. and we didn't know what a helicopter was because in 43 there were still play toys, things which Sikorsky was working on, selling a few to the military, but they certainly were not a mainstay at that period. Today they are a mainstay of the military. So here we were spotlighted by a searchlight and MPs came out of nowhere. This is where the story deviates from the movie. They grabbed us immediately, took us to a building. In the building we went, but on an elevator, it took us down several levels. Elevator doors opened. <clears throat> we saw a lot of military personnel running around, and an elderly civilian came forward and greeted us <clears throat> and said to us, I've been expecting you, gentlemen. I am Dr. John von Neumann. He looked at him and said, you're who? And I said, I'm Dr. Von Neumann. I said, you can't be. We left him about an hour ago. He's a much younger man. He said, no, I'm sorry, gentlemen. You're no longer in 1943. I'm 40 years older. This is 1983, and you're at Montauk, Long Island, part of the Phoenix Project. Well, we thought he was nuts. Wow. However, he gave us the grand tour of the underground base. We saw computers which did not exist in 43 graphic displays, large screen color TV, and other electronic apparatus totally beyond anything we knew of in 1943. So we were not only impressed, we were thoroughly distraught. Finally, we sat down and watched TV for a few hours. So we found out later, we arrived at about 2 a.m. in the morning on the 12th of August, 1983, on Montauk, Long Island. The base was at the extreme eastern end of Long Island on what is known as the Montauk Air Force Station long since abandoned, but 1983 was still operational in terms of this project. So we watched Color TV, which of course didn't exist in 43. And when you see ads for 747 jet aircraft and men on the moon and discussions about the moon landings and the Cold War with Russia and a few other things, we knew something was terribly wrong. Holy mackerel, Al. And a few shots of modern freeways and traffic jams and, and that sort of thing. That that could be psychologically... It was devastating. Devastating is a good word. Uh, Al, hold on. We're going into another break. What an amazing story. What a turn. Thank you. Stay right there, Al. What an incredible story. This is CBC. The new year is clearly here, and a lot of you, I hope, have made a resolution to try and do better this year, and here's one way to do it. Trading in commodities, not something you do blindly, something you do only after an education in how to do it. And who better to give you that education than Ken Roberts? He is a nationally renowned financial educator and multimillionaire investor. 
and he has now taught tens of thousands of people how to invest in commodities and manage your own money without depending on a broker for advice, um, using as little as 30 min minutes a day at home. Does that sound good? You begin, you see, by, as, you, as you're learning, you trade on paper. When you're sure that you will be making money, then you begin using money. The number is 1-888-GOLD-KRC. Now, what do you get? Well, you get an audio cassette free titled Real People, Real Money. You get a 44-page report that tells you all about it. All of that is without obligation and free. Call 888-GOLD-KRC. Or, if you want the numbers, 888 465 3572. Are you overweight? Would you like to lose an average of 8 to 10 pounds in the next month? Well, it's pretty well known that fiber takes fat right out of your digestive tract like brooms. Thought. Reducing the amount of fat your body can store as excess weight, there is a new fiber called chitosan. It's a natural one. It comes from shellfish, and it not only takes out fat, but absorbs up to 10 times more fat than any other fiber, and here's the deal. You can get it in a product called Kytoslim. Everybody's asking me for this number. So please write down the number I'm about to give you. Run and get a pencil. It's effective, you see, because you can lose weight without changing your eating habits. That is a very attractive idea, isn't it? Here's the offer, the guarantee. You buy 90 days worth of Kaito Slim. You get an antioxidant moisturizing cream, free of charge. And if you don't lose the weight as advertised, you get your money back. And you get the cream uh, uh, to, to keep free. Call them. Want to lose weight? Call them. 1-800-557-4627. That's 1-800-557-4627. Now back to the best of Art Bell. Good morning, everybody. An absolutely amazing story. Al Bielik is my guest. The discussion surrounding the Philadelphia experiment. And, uh, Al, we're going into a series of small breaks now, so we'll have to capsulize this. Um, and I promise I'll get to these phone lines, which are all full toward the bottom of the hour here. Al, uh, here you are. In, uh, you jumped off the ship. You're on dry land, greeted by a helicopter with a spotlight, and you're on a military base, and you're in 1983. Correct. <laughs> we didn't believe it at first, but uh, after watching uh, everything, seeing the evidence, we actually went up uh, during the daylight hours up uh, above the ground on the base. They did not let us off the base, but we did have a look around. It was a very large military base, and it's still there, though it would be defunct at the present time. Uh-huh. And uh, defunct in terms of the surface buildings. That's another long story on the Montauk project. But in any case, finally Van Neumann told us, he said, well, gentlemen, uh, perhaps you're convinced now. I said, well, now we'll have to tell you the rest of the story. He says, I've known the whole story for some time. I've had it in my records. said, you will go back. We have to send you back to the Eldridge so that you can smash the equipment and shut it off. He says, we can't control it from here. It's still running. The ship disappeared into hyperspace and into a hyperspace bubble, which is a mathematical artificial reality. 
and it's sustained by the fuels generated by the equipment on board the ship, and so there's enough fuel there to keep it running for 30 days if something doesn't break down. So the problem is that there, this hyperspace bubble is growing, and we don't know what it's going to encompass and how large it may get. It could engulf the entire Earth. Now, if you remember from the movie, there was an allusion to this. Now, that is the movie, the Philadelphia Experiment, released in 84. Of uh, this growing huge storm and the uh, energy is oh. growing. Oh, yes, 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 Al. I'm, I've got it on tape. I'm going to go right home this morning and watch it. <laughs> and he said, you've got to go back and destroy the equipment on the average so you can return to the harbor in 43. And I said, well, that's great. Just how are we supposed to do that? And he says, we'll send you back. And I said, and just how are you going to do that? He says, well, we have complete control over space and time here on this project. We can send you anywhere we want. So we scratched our heads again. We didn't believe them, but they did send us back to the, de the decks of the Eldridge. And the Montauk project is another long story of itself. They did indeed have control of space and time, and that is another long total story. But well, then we obviously have uh, time travel. We've had it since 1945. Good heavens. And, and not just time, time travel, but, but apparently simultaneously through space as well. Yes. Now, that's a much later development. That was the Montauk project in the 60s and the 70s. Actually, it didn't come online without a key, but, but until 76, 77. What I'm saying is that actually occurred with the Philadelphia experiment, because that ship moved not just in time, but in space. Correct. That was not intended. It was an accident, so to speak. But the two experiments locked up, and you knew it. <clears throat> so he sent us back so we could smash the equipment. So we're back on the deck of the Eldridge. We go in the control room. We find axes, and we start smashing everything in sight. And eventually, <clears throat> with enough equipment, the lines cut and equipment smashed, mostly the 6062s and some auxiliary electronic equipment. The main generator started to wind down. And at that point, we knew the thing was over. So we went back out on deck. And then, of course, at that point, we saw the bodies buried in the steel. Uh, however, we still couldn't see the harbor, and one of the things that turned up was a younger brother by the name of Jim, who was six years younger than Duncan and myself, had enlisted in the Navy after the war started, wound up volunteering for that special test crew, and wound up in the second test, and he was dying in the bulkhead. His head and shoulders were out of the steel, and when he was crying, I went over and put my arm around him, and of course he died that way, and Duncan took one look at this mess. And looked at me and jumped overboard and disappeared. He wound up back in the Montauk project probably in 83. Records indicate that we found since that it was in 83 that he arrived. And that's another long story, but I will go back to what happened so far as the ship is concerned. All right. After Duncan jumped overboard, the fields collapsed. It took about two minutes because they had been building up for many, many hours. Right exactly how long in hyperspace you can't stay, but in terms of time at Philadelphia, it was four hours. So they collapsed. We saw the normal harbor. The ship was seen to return, and of course, they sent the launch out, and so forth. And I remained with the ship. I made my report. I told them what happened, where I went. Nobody believed me. Van Neumann later took me aside and says, I don't know whether to believe you or not. He says, we're going to find out. So he built a time machine there at the Institute, a small but workable one. And the technology for that was very little different than what we were dealing with in terms of the invisibility experiment. Uh, so we said, you're going back to 83, and you're going to get proof and bring it back to me to prove that you were there and that I was there. <laughs>
Oh, he did. He sent me more than once. And I came back with proof that he accepted. So no more of that experiment. And, of course, he was satisfied. It went into a report somewhere. And, of course, October of 43, after that part was over, he was part of the atomic bomb project of Los Alamos. He made his first trip up there in late October. I guess we could conclude, then, that the technology from 83 has continued. Surely that's not something they've dropped. No. So, so they have that and much more capability now. Yes, and furthermore, the project, though it was scuttled by the Navy in 43, was resurrected in 1947 when they asked Dr. Van Neumann to resurrect the project and see if they could salvage anything from it and find out what really went wrong. In uh, 46, of course, he was involved in the race with the British on building the first all-electronic digital computer, and uh, he won the race, despite what BBC says. And uh, the first computer was completed in 1952. The first working model is today in the Smithsonian, and there's a documentary on that. But in any case, the first one was completed, and he built a new system for the Navy, having solved the problem. In 53, they had a new test on another ship, and there was no personal side effects. It was declared a success finally, and of course, they reclassified the project again and put it under the code name Project Phoenix. All right, an obvious question now. Yeah. If we have this capability now, invisibility, uh, why not? Wh why are we building stealth aircraft? Why are we putting special skins on aircraft in corners that are non-reflective of radar and that sort of thing? If we have technology that uh, will do that, or is it still uh, to the degree that uh, you could not fit it, for example, reasonably on an airplane? Or no, they've long since solved that problem. Well, Fitted for aircraft. It's on the, used on the B-1 bomber, the B-2, which is a stealth bomber. You're saying this technology is being used for stealth? Yes, that's on all Navy fighter aircraft, or Israeli fighter aircraft, uh, the SR-71. Holy! All of the large Navy. Hold, hold on. Stay tuned for more vintage Art Bell on this encore presentation of Coast to Coast AM. Coming up after the news on this, the absolute best of Art Bell. Thank you very much. I'm Art Bell, and I do a different kind of talk radio. Not the standard cookie-cutter talk radio you can hear anywhere, anytime, but stimulating, interesting, even bizarre talk radio at times. I'll tell you what, you want to take a listen? week on Dreamland, Richard Noon, author of 55-2000 Ice, The Ultimate Disaster. Don't miss it. It examines two questions that demand a verdict. Is there life after death, and are we alone in the universe? I'm Art Bell. The program is Dreamland.
Are you aware of the fact that regular guys and gals are taking over the world? It's true! Every night of the week, a bunch of regular, common-sense Americans are plotting to return to America. Those time-honored values and ethics that seem to be lost. Listen to me, Roger Fredberg Radio's regular guy. You've got a friend in me. You've got a friend in me. When the road looks rough ahead and you're miles and miles from your nice warm bed. Last year, 23 medical schools added classes in alternative medicine to their curriculum. Alternative medicine has been our topic here on Here's to Your Health for the past 15 years on air. Hi, I'm Deborah Ray of Here's to Your Health, inviting you to join the cutting-edge experts in alternative health care each weekday morning and again on Sunday afternoons. Tune in to the leader for health care information. Here's to Your Health. Good health. This is close as your radio. Lose 10 pounds, panel of rec room. Hey, Rich, what's all this about? Oh, yeah. My list of New Year's resolutions. All right, well, let's have a look here so I can remind you when you fall short. <laughs> all right, let's see. Uh, buy a new mountain bike. Yeah, great. Take a nice school course. Very ambitious. Don't mail in my federal income tax return. Whoa, let's talk about that one, Rich. You know, I'd hate to see you get in trouble. Relax, Eddie. I'm going to file my taxes. I'm just not going to mail them in. Ever heard of Telefile? Um, it's a terrific service from the IRS. It lets you file by phone. Only takes 10 minutes. Yeah, so what's the catch? No catch. No forms, no stamps, no mail. Just punching your numbers and your taxes are filed. So what happens to your refund? Telefile works faster than paper. I can get my refund in about three weeks. Three weeks? Yeah, that'll be me riding my new bike to night school. <laughs> Watch your mail for a telefile booklet. If you qualify, file by phone. Why make work you don't have to do? Have you noticed that everybody seems to be trying to simplify their lives? But gosh, it's a hard thing to do. We keep doing things that make our lives more and more complicated. That's why it's so refreshing to find a product like the GMX Magnetic Water Conditioning System. Now, I've been telling you how the GMX system gets rid of all that ugly white scale on your faucets, shower heads, dishes, and swimming pool tile. And I've told you how the GMX system can make your water heater last longer and eliminate mineral buildup inside your water pipes. And, of course, you'll have water that no longer feels hard. But you know the thing that really impresses me about the GMX is its simplicity. No salt, no filters, no electricity, no maintenance. It costs less than many of those complicated systems, and it installs in minutes. That's what I call simplicity. There's even a 90-day no-hassle money-back guarantee and a lifetime warranty. 800-4060 GMX. That's 1-800-4060 GMX. Tell them Wiseback told you to call. This is Health Beat. Many people think it's more expensive to eat a low-fat, heart-healthy diet in order to lower blood cholesterol levels. But Columbia University professor of epidemiology, Thomas Pearson, says the opposite is true. When you think about it, chicken is cheaper than steak. Oatmeal is cheaper than bacon and egg. When you think about good, healthy foods, those don't have to be expensive foods. The National Cholesterol Education Program recommends that healthy Americans limit saturated fat to less than 10% of total calories, total fats to less than 30% of calories, and cholesterol consumption to less than 300 milligrams a day. A recent study found that a diet following those guidelines can result in substantial savings on grocery bills, an average of 75 cents per person per day. For more information on choosing and preparing heart-healthy foods, call 1-800-575-WELL. For the National Heart, Lung, and Blood Institute, I'm Bob Whitten.
You are listening to the best of Art Bell. From the Kingdom of Nine, Coast to Coast AM continues with Art Bell. Miss Bielek, are you there? Yes. Um, I would like to get the audience involved, if you wouldn't mind. Okay. Uh, I'll just finish that statement. Yes. That the large supercarriers have the capability, and it's even today down to a personnel size, individual backpack, uh, belt pack, if you will, where an individual can become invisible. Well, that's a disturbing thought. Yes. But for the rest of us, visible folk. Um, and as a reality. All right, we'll continue the discussion now, but let me get a little bit of some of the audience in on this. Uh, uh, line one, you're on the air with Al Bielek. Uh, yes, I was listening. Uh, I excuse my ignorance of physics, but uh, uh, I thought most of it, some of it just went over my head. Uh, many people, I'm sure, have the sense that is there a way to succinctly describe how uh, you made the ship, the ship invisible? Well, he, he did that. Uh, you mean for the layman? Yeah. All right, that's a good question, sir. Uh, thank you. Al, to the layman, All right. uh, how would you describe this? You can describe it as a special combination of electric and magnetic fields rotating, which because of the choice of frequency, which was mathematically correct, it interacts with the gravity field. And what it does in that case, you then, according to the unified field theory, which has been completed, and the government does have it since 1938, uh, we interacts with the time field. Now that gets into a long story, but I will state it very simply by saying you start to phase the ship out of our time reference, and you phase it out far enough, the ship is still physically here in our reality, but what happens is the fields act in a manner so that energy is no longer reflected from that object. Now if you don't have a reflection, whether it be light or radar, you have no image. So, in, in a sense, in the first part of the experiment anyway, the ship actually was not invisible. It simply was enveloped in a field that uh, um, uh, created uh, either to radar or to visual frequencies the appearance of invisibility. Is that about right? That's correct. And then in the later stages of the experiment, something radically different occurred in which That's correct. space and time were shifted. That's right. That was not intended. It was not part of the original experiment I set up. Holy smokes. Out of state, you're on the air in Las Vegas with Al Bielek. Where are you calling from, please? I'm calling from Little Rock, California. Okay, go ahead. Um, I have a really hard time believing this. Um, how come we don't own the world already, then, if we have this kind of technology? All right. That is Actually, that's a very good question, uh, Mr. Bielek. Uh, with this kind of technology that you say now is down to the point of a backpack uh, and an individual becoming invisible, we are more or less owning the world. Well, that depends upon who you consider is owning it, because you then get into a political arena involving who is really running the show in terms of a super-secret government who manipulated much of this technology, at least in the later phases. They did not in terms of the Philadelphia experiment, because that was a homegrown experiment involving the Institute of Advanced Study in the Navy. But then it got into the phases after 1947. You then start running into political considerations, uh, the UFO problem, a group called MJ-12, and the secret government. And the secret government is determined to have a one-world government, the so-called New World Order, which I'm sure everybody's heard the term, mm -hmm. uh, promulgated by abortion company. And this is the real just of it, the secret government. They have control of all of this technology. We no longer, as a nation, really control all of that technology. We no longer, as a nation, have the kind of authority and position we once had. 
All right, Carl. Uh, yeah, um, I, you know, like I said, I have a hard time, um, you know, uh, accepting the story. You know, accepting that this is real, but, uh, you know, I had a strange experience when I was a young child once that, that you know, I can't explain myself, and and uh, it was very real to me, and, and, you know, it has me thinking, you know, this guy could be telling the truth, but it's so hard to believe. I agree. Thank you. Al, um... How do you deal with that? I mean, do you find that people generally laugh you off, uh, uh, discard what you're saying, um, or do most people buy it, or how do you deal with the incredible aspects of this story? I mean, it is incredible. This beats most UFO stories I've heard. <laughs> well, I think you could say that in many respects it does. Now, the problem here is that, yes, there are a lot of people who have never heard the story before. They have not read any of the material that's been in the open literature since 1955 dealing with the Philadelphia experiment. Uh, there's much additional material I can give you on this, but nevertheless, the movie was made in 1984. It was released telling basically the story, but a lot of Hollywood fill-in with a love story in the interest of sure, running sure. around Nevada, yeah. California. They, they can't make movies without love scenes. Oh, right. None of that never occurred. The beginning and the ending is, the beginning is very accurate. The ending is nearly accurate. All right. But uh, in any case, there is a problem there. If you have not been exposed to this, yeah, how can this possibly be? I agree with the gentleman. To be hit with this all at once is There's uh, skepticism, but do your research. Eventually you'll find enough information that you'll probably agree that it happened because there is information available in spite of government suppression. All right. Line two, you're on the air with Al Bielik in Phoenix. Hi. Good morning. Um, there's a lot of questions, of course. It's kind of hard to... So I want to ask one very important one. Do you have what you said in a book? I'm sorry, what was that? Yeah, do you have what you, uh, this story that you've just told us, have you written a book about it, Al? Yes, as a matter of fact. Uh, well, what's the name uh, of it? I'm author with Brad Steiger in a book entitled The Philadelphia Experiment and Other UFO Conspiracies. Okay. But when you go into the aspects in the 80s, there's more to it than just the Philadelphia Experiment. I'm sure there is. Who publishes that, Al? That's published by, uh, uh, let me... I think that this hour of the morning, my thinker isn't working 100%. <laughs> Would there be more than one book with that title? Yes. That book was uh, published and released in 1990. Uh, <clears throat> Inner Light Publications is the publisher. Inner Light? Inner Light. Inner Light. Okay. okay. And another question, that is Dr. Um, von Neumann still alive? Yes, he is. He did not die in 1957, as the public record states. Okay. Uh, another thing is, if this is made into a weapon, uh, would you say, I mean, if we had that much gone that far and it was in America, how did it get away from us? It didn't get away from us in terms of invisibility. Uh, we have shared it with others. Well, are you saying then that some of the world leaders must all be in on it and they have, can they have gone and seen the future, therefore this is why they're so, uh, uh, you know, intent on making it one world because they feel that they have to or there won't be peace and people will be... That's a good question, ma'am, and I'm going to wrap, uh, thank you for the call, I'm going to wrap into that question a little bit. Uh, Al, is it possible to change what occurs in time? Yes and no. Uh, yes, you can if you know what you're doing, but the point is they are more concerned with altering the present by looking at the future in order to make the future come out the way the current ruling elite want it to come out. 
Uh, changing the past is more difficult. It can be done, but it's very difficult. You get into problems of quantum mechanics and quantum physics. I guess what I'm asking really is uh, these world leaders that are, um, according to you and others, uh, in concert headed us, heading us toward a one world government, is there an inevitability about it uh, in that it's going to happen whether we like it or not, or can we change it between now and whenever it coalesces? Uh, it can be changed. There's no such thing as it being cast in stone. Uh, they would like to see, to the fact that it would become inevitable from their point of view. That's why they're trying to change time and events by looking in the future. There is a project called the Project Looking Glass, which is a view into the future. There are other more complex machines today built from the 70s onward where they can travel in time as well as look in time. They have uh, some, shall we say, some restrictions on that in terms of the future. All right, Al. Uh, out of state, you're on the air in Las Vegas with Al Bielik. Where are you calling from, please? Uh, I'm calling from Alaska. Alaska, all right. I, uh, I believe you're absolutely right, uh, correct about the, uh, who did the experiment, the New World Order, the international bankers that took over our gold standard back in 1913. All right. Um, I'm sure you're absolutely right. I'm the guy that predicts earthquakes, and we're going to have some in September. Okay. All right, any questions, sir? What? Any questions from Mr. Bielek? Oh, yeah, questions. Um, gosh, I don't know how you're going to be able to prove anybody to tell the truth, but um, uh, I don't really have a question. Good luck. Thank you. Thank, thank you. Uh, well, I can then indirectly answer his question. Proof today of this is very difficult. The proof was almost in my hand several times, but uh, let's say the government moved faster and got there first. Well, they have lots of resources now. They have vast resources, believe me. All right. Line three, you're on the air with Al Bielek. Good morning. Yes, hi, Art and Al. Al, I'd like to know if you're related to the uh, Dr. Cameron in uh, Canada that was working with the CIA in mind control experiments. Not that I know of. The family name is the same. <clears throat> And of course, I didn't tell the story of how I became Al Bielek, but nevertheless, I am fully aware of the Cameron story in Canada and MK Ultra and the whole CIA project up there. And believe me, when I visited Montreal to give a series of lectures about uh, years ago, I asked this question of my host, if they heard of or knew of the Dr. Cameron, he says, oh yes, we all know about him up here. And the Canadians were not pleased when they found out what was going on. Yes, I do know and, him, as far as I know, he's not directly related. Okay, because he, his father was a Duncan Cameron, and he graduated from Glasgow. I thought you might be related. But his did you say your, your brother, Cameron. was he involved with the sodomy project, that Montauk project? I'm sorry, what was that again? Your your brother, was he was he involved with abducted boys who were, you know, the sodomy project, the Montauk project? Yes, he was involved with the Montauk project. I was also, but as Al Bielik. And uh, we were both involved, as well as some other people, including Preston Nichols. But Duncan was heavily involved with the Montauk Project, that's true. But that is Duncan in the new body. That's uh, another aspect of the story that's hard to go into. But he died in, uh, in the project in the 83, and he was born into, replaced, shall we say, put into another body back in 1963, which had been born in 51. You know, metaphysics, it's hard to believe and accept, but nevertheless, uh, the groups working with the government are very capable of, shall we say, shoving souls around and putting them anywhere as they want. Uh, where are you calling from, then? Butler City. Okay, any other questions? Oh, that's fine. Thanks very right. much. Thank you very much, and uh, good morning. 
this, uh, yes, it's, you're beginning to get a bit metaphysical on us now, uh, Al, but you say it, I'm sure it all winds together. Uh, it all locks together, but I'll try to keep it to hard science and uh, things which are uh, directly observable. All right, out of state, you're on the air with Al Bielek in Phoenix. Where are you calling from, please? Calling from um, Alaska. From Alaska again, all right. Okay. Go ahead. Oh, turn your radio off, sir. That's number one. Turn, about that? turn your radio off. Your caller is weak on the line. I really have a question here. Um, I hear these loose terms such as quantum mechanics and such and such, and uh, if he's anywhere f near familiar with quantum mechanics, he'll understand that any one event can set out a chain reaction of many other events in ever-expanding cone down a timeline. This is as dictated by Stephen W. Hawking, one of the world's leading physicists who claims that we have not got a grand unified theory yet. My question is, how is he going to prove this? All right, thank you. It's a good question. I read up the name uh, Hawkins. I have one of his books. Right, I've read it as well. How are you going to endeavor to prove what you're saying, or even any portion of it, Al? Well, that's not easy. Uh, quantum physics does make certain statements, and then when the Navy engaged in certain experiments in 1973, which when I was given in the way of information, they wanted to go back in time and assassinate the man who was the father of the person they knew would be the new leader of the New World Order. Uh, they assumed that by assassinating the father before he married that the son alive today would disappear. Right. They went back in the past, assassinated the man, and the son didn't disappear. Nothing happened to him. So they scratched their heads and they went to the physicist and said, aha, quantum physics, quantum mechanics and time is quantized as well as the physical universe therefore you only affect the events within the area where you were you do not affect the entire time stream into oh. the future now that is what their statement was and so you, you, you create a temporary uh, disturbance only but not a complete disruption and it kind of folds back into its original line yes <laughs> but that's not entirely true okay because what they were using was a time machine which was operating on a single line reality only. Montauk was capable of encompassing all the alternate realities. Oh, my. Uh, wait, let's keep moving here. A lot of people want to talk to you, Al. Um, out of state, you're on the air with Al Bielek in Phoenix. Where are you calling from, please? Hello? Yes, I'm uh, calling from Medford, Oregon. Medford, Oregon, all right. Yes, um, let's see. The first question I had was, um, let's see, back in the story there, uh, the first one of the things that he said was about uh, Pearl Harbor's attack on the United States and that he was notified and pulled out before that attack. They got him out, yes. Right. Um, why was there no, I mean, well, what about everybody else that was there? I just wonder why, you know, it just it seems kind of unbelievable. No, that's a good question. Uh, Al, if they actually had enough knowledge to get you and your uh, guards out, uh, why not prepare for the Japanese attack and be ready? Because there was a complete setup ordered by Roosevelt to have an attack on the United States in order to get us into the war. That's the bottom line. I've heard that one before. And there's plenty of evidence after the war was over when they started investigating the wreckage, and it was published openly in the papers. All right, we, um, I'm afraid we have to break here, uh, folks. This is the CBC Radio Network. I like the clarity of a digital phone. No more hum or disconnects or clicks, uh, none of that baloney. Neighbors interfering with you sometimes, their signal stronger than yours so that the person on the other end can't even hear you. All of that gone when you own a real digital phone. 
And I'm talking about the 900 NDL phone. And boy, do we have it on sale. If Newt Gingrich had been using digital, either uh, as a cordless or uh, cellular, he wouldn't be in all the big jam he's in right now. So yeah, I know, a lot of people buy it for privacy, and it's a good reason, because nobody can hear you. Nobody. Not a soul. Try, I mean, get your own phone and listen on a scanner. It's up at 900 and I think uh, between 10 and 20 megahertz in that area, way up above cellular. You can't hear a thing. Nothing. A little rise in the noise level, or what seems to be the white noise level. That's all. Totally indecipherable. So that's a good reason to buy it, or distance. I can go a mile away from my home. The price right now, overwhelmingly cheap for what it is. $129.95. $129.95. And believe me, that's a one-time insurance payment, if you follow me. You'll love this phone. You'll never let it go. The 900 NDL from VTech and Bob Crane. Call them at 7.30 in the morning, Pacific Time, at 1-800-522-8863. That's 1-800-522-8863, the C. Crane Company. How many times have you bought a great book but never got around to reading it? Waste of money, right? All because you don't have the time. Well, now you can enjoy all the wonderful stuff you've been missing. How? The Columbia House Audio Book Club. With audio books, you can listen to your favorite authors while you're driving, working around the house, whatever. To introduce you to the club, Columbia House will give you four of today's best-selling books on cassette for one penny, plus shipping and handling. You'll even get a fifth audiobook free if you pay by credit card, and there's plenty to choose from. Bestsellers like Deepak Chopra's Path to Love. And John Gray's Men Are From Mars, Women Are From Venus. Do you like novels? How about Michael Crichton's thriller, Airframe? Or visit the hilarious world of office politics in the Dilbert Principle. To receive four audiobooks, all for a penny, call 1-800-325-6921. Pay now by credit card. Get a fifth audiobook free. In return for your introductory audiobooks, just buy four more in the next two years at regular club prices. Call now, 1-800-325-6921. That's 1-800-325-6921. A Vice President, Al Gore, our Vice President, said the following. Telecommunications industry is, by all odds, the single most important lucrative marketplace of the 21st century. Well, he sure is right. Uh, Microtech is a company developing something called SMR, Specialized Mobile Radio, a great investment opportunity. Already built in New York, LA, Houston, Boston, Detroit, more. But here comes the last site licensed to investors. The door is closing on this opportunity, and they suggest a minimum $8,700 investment now could return to you twenty, thirty, forty thousand dollars $40,000 or more, plus a yearly income for the rest of your life, and it folds, if you wish it to, right into your IRA or retirement plan. Now, you need to meet some investor qualifications, but they will send you a free video and all the information you need to make the right choice. Call toll-free 1-800-444-1049. That's 1-800-444-1049. And now, back to the best of Art Bell. 
let us uh, keep moving if we can. Good morning, line one. You're on the air with Al Bielik in Phoenix. Yes, good morning. Very interesting. I hope uh, your guests can hear me. Three quick questions. Just a few weeks ago, a young uh, colleague of Edward Teller's, Lawrence Livermore Lab, said this story was bunk. Should I disbelieve him in the future about anything else? Two, you're right, they do have some Neumann is dead in uh, 1957. If he's alive now, he'd be about 90. Why did they have him dead? And are there other people you could name that they also had dead who were still alive? All right, you better slow down here, and we'd better get some okay. answers. Wait, let me get down to the, to the chase here. What kind of models did you use for this? And what is to keep a, um, a contemporary electromagnetic bus from making his own model at home? All right. All right, stay on the line, please. Um, Al? Okay. Uh, you spoke with a colleague of Tellus who said the story was bunk. I didn't speak with him. He said he has a radio program of his own. Okay. Well, you can uh, also we had a chorus there of a number of other scientists who also consider it bunk. H. Stanton Friedman, uh, Bruce McAbee, etc. They are all part of the government disinformation team because they don't want the facts out. The government still denies to this day that that experiment ever took place. But if that's the case, then I'll ask you a question. Why have they made it under the revised uh, federal felony laws of 1987, the felony espionage laws, a felony offense to talk about either the Philadelphia experiment or the Eldridge on a Navy base? If there is nothing to it, why is it a felony offense to talk about it on a Navy base? Well, or, or how about this? If it's a felony uh, offense to talk about it, how come you're free? Oh, well, I haven't talked about it on a Navy base, number one. Oh, on a Navy base. I on a Navy base, correct. Well, that's a good question. Off base. Uh, number two, I'm a, what is the modeling for this? No, for Neumann's death in 57. Okay, Van Neumann was dying of cancer, and they pulled him <clears throat> out, cured him of the cancer, put him under what is well known as the Federal Protected Witnesses Program, gave him a new identity, and had him continue. He had to be alive and kept alive at least until 1983 because of the involvement with the Montauk Project on the 12th of August, 83. And he is still alive today. I've met with him. We've gone out to dinner. He unfortunately now has a problem of a split personality, and he's not very often in his right mind. And I think that is probably induced by the government for the sake of covering up. There are other people who have done this, too, also. I don't know if you're familiar with the story of a Dr. Frederick Krippers, who was brought over to the United States as Project, Project Paperclip in 1946-47. He also had a fake funeral in 1962 on Lincoln's birthday. I know his daughter very well, and she told me a rather interesting story. All right, we're being pressed by the top of the hour here. Call her your father. Thank you very much. Okay, there are others of right, the same you. nature. The government does this uh, at their convenience for whatever reason. Well, well, as far as proof is concerned, that's quite difficult. The model of this thing is highly mathematical, involves going back into history of people who have developed the mathematics for it, Dr. Norman Levinson. All right, Al, we're now on the news. Can you stay another hour? Yeah. All right, stay right there. Al Bielik, my guest, will be back. Stay tuned for more of the best of Art Bell. You've got tax questions. Who doesn't? The important thing is, where do you go for answers? Well, try calling the Internal Revenue Service. Teletax is your 24-hour toll-free helpline. 
You'll have access to recorded information on about 150 tax topics, from deductions to dependents to business expenses. Just call 1-800-829-4477. That's 1-800-829-4477 for Teletax. At the IRS, we want to help. In fact, that's why we're here. In the next 60 seconds, I'm going to do something terrible to anyone who's ever wanted to play the piano. I'm going to take away your excuses. I'm George Maladin, and right now you can learn to play the piano using the See and Hear Piano series, the same simple learn-at-home method that's already taught thousands of people to play with a full 60-day money-back guarantee. How can we make such an offer? Simple. The See and Hear Piano series works using a simple step-by-step -step approach covering chord construction, voicing, chord progressions, runs, and the circle of fifths, our audio and video tapes will teach you how to play your favorite songs and improvise like a pro. Call this number right now and try the See and Hear Piano Series risk-free. Stop making excuses and start making music. Call 1-800-905-PIANO. That's 1-800-905-PIANO. Try See and Hear with a 60-day money-back guarantee. Things were really cooking at the safety belt stakeout. When we pinched him. Ouch! Betty gives us a ticket. That's right, and don't call me Betty. But we never wear safety belts. See, we're dummies. Then here's something even you can understand. For a good time, call... No, this. A ticket? Police are now ticketing low-life scum who don't wear safety belts, so buckle up. Surely you can give us a break. No, and don't call me Shirley. A message from the Department of Transportation and the Ad Council. USA Radio Network News, this is Ron Jenkins. Astronauts Mark Lee and Stephen Smith have wrapped up spacewalk number five for the shuttle Discovery crew, putting a new insulating blanket around the Hubble Space Telescope and performing a couple of minor tweaking operations to finish the job. NASA thanking the crew for a job well done. It's been kind of amazing because all the nominal things have gone nominal, but there have been uh, a lot of other things to uh, keep everybody working hard. And I'll also say we uh, right now are getting a uh, beautiful view with the elbow camera of the uh, whole telescope. Uh, it's actually uh, externally, I have to say, it's not quite as beautiful as uh, we left it three years ago, but uh, we all know that beauty is only skin deep. Hubble will be put back in orbit tonight. Then the electronics will be tested, and everything goes right. The crew will turn it loose and move away to prepare for the journey home. Kenneth Starr, special whitewater prosecutors, leaving that post. He'll take over as dean of Pepperdine University in California. Starr insists that does not mean the Whitewater investigation will end, but he does admit he doesn't know who's going to take over when he leaves. See the special division of the U.S. Court of Appeals that would make uh, the decision. But again, we're talking uh, many months from now. Starr won't start his Pepperdine job until August 1st. And tensions are mounting on the Korean Peninsula, despite indications from North Korea that it may accept the defection of a high-ranking diplomat. This is USA Radio News. Are you spinning your wheels at your present job? Underpaid, overworked, retired, or need extra income for the good life? National Vending would like to tell you about the most exciting business of a lifetime in a $35 billion growth industry. Do you want to make an extra $500, $600, $700 a week or more in an all-cash business? A business with no selling required, no debts to collect, and no overhead. Call 1-800-617-6430. That's 1-800-617-6430. Find out how, with a small investment, you can make $25,000 
30000 $35,000 a year or more, perhaps a lot more, and work as little as 5 to 10 hours a week. Call 1-800-617-6430 to find out how you can get involved in this explosive industry and how you can get started. You can keep your current job, and there's no selling involved. Best of all, it's an all-cash business. Call now for details. Timing is critical. Get in on the ground floor. 1-800-617-6430. That's 1-800-617-6430. The president heads for the Big Apple on Tuesday to appear at a Democratic Party fundraiser. USA's John Decker has details. The estimated $1 million that will be taken in from donors will benefit the Democratic Senatorial Campaign Committee. In the face of House and Senate investigations into campaign fundraising, a White House spokesman said Tuesday's event is entirely within the limits of the law. Meanwhile, Senator John McCain, a sponsor of a campaign finance reform bill, is demanding that Attorney General Janet Reno appoint an independent counsel to investigate possible Democratic fundraising improprieties. John Decker, USA Radio News, Washington. An American Airlines spokesman says two and a half million people called the airline switchboards Monday, hoping to take advantage of an airfare war. America slashed its prices by as much as half after President Clinton intervened early Saturday to stop a strike by American pilots. Four major airlines joined in the cost-cutting move, and the war was on. This is USA Radio News. Do you have an interest in high-tech fields like electronics or computer-aided drafting? Career opportunities exist for those who qualify with the proper knowledge and skill. At ITT Tech, these associate degree programs are generally offered mornings, afternoons, or evenings. Financial aid is even available to those who qualify. And there's job placement assistance for graduates. For an ITT Tech brochure, call toll-free 1-800-238-1166. 1-800-238-1166. A Georgian diplomat accused of killing a 16-year-old American girl might not serve as time in this country, but rather in the Soviet Union or the former Soviet Union, USA's Connie Lawn has more. The State Department is delighted that diplomatic immunity has been waived for the Georgian diplomat accused of causing the death of a 16-year-old girl in Washington. But the State Department appears to have worked out a compromise. It could allow the diplomat to serve his prison time in his native country. The U.S. Justice Department will first prosecute him. Under American law, he could receive 30 years in jail on charges of drunken driving and manslaughter. Connie Law, USA Radio News, Washington. The celebration is on in the Netherlands for Blackjack. Blackjack is the latest effort by tulip growers in that country to develop a black tulip. They say this one is the darkest ever. It's been a 15-year quest. Ron Jenkins on the USA Radio Network. Do you wake up with neck and shoulder pain? Try the Contour Pillow, anatomically designed for the natural contour of your head and neck to support and align your spine for a great night's sleep. Look, ordinary pillows lose shape and sag, causing neck tension and back pain. But the Contour Pillow provides gentle orthopedic support. Tense muscles relax. You awake refreshed. The difference I feel in my neck and my back is really amazing. Best of all, my husband doesn't snore anymore. Therapeutic pillows cost $60 or more. Now enjoy the ultimate night's sleep for only $19.95. Order in the next 10 minutes and we'll also include this washable cover absolutely free. Enjoy the best night's sleep you've ever had or return it for a full refund. The Contour Pillow is now available. Order now. For rush delivery, have your credit card ready and call 1-800-841-6767. Just $19.95 plus $5.95 shipping and handling. Don't be fooled by imitations. Order the original Contour Pillow now. Call 1-800-841-6767.
Tonight, while Art Bell is resting, recovering from the cold he caught flying home from Mexico, Chancellor Broadcasting Company presents the absolute best of Art Bell. We take you way back to the scratchy analog days of 1993 to vintage Art Bell in his classic three-hour interview with Al Bielek, followed by two hours with Preston Nichols and the subsequent Montauk experiment. It's a dandy and one of Art's all-time favorite shows. And now, our number three, featuring Art Bell and Al Bielek on the Philadelphia Experiment. Line one, you're on the air with Al Bielek in Las Vegas. Hi. Yes, Mr. Bell, thank you for having me on. I, I, I just caught this on my way home, ran home real quick to get it. So if, if this is a stupid question, it's already been asked. I was just kind of curious. And I'll hang up and take the answer on the air on my radio. Um, did President Kennedy's death have, have anything to do with this? I'm sorry, and President for, who's? Uh, the, the assassination of President Kennedy, was, was, was that involved with the government, any, any part of this experiment, with either bringing him back or... Not to my knowledge. Okay, and as for going into the future, is his, uh, is his death ever solved? Is his death ever resolved? Solved. Solved. That's pretty well solved now. I uh, don't think one has to go much further into the future because enough records have been released, enough uh, movie films are fairly well nail it down. Right. Uh, thank you, caller. And to pursue this just a little bit, why would it not be possible, Al, to go back and stop the assassination? That's a good question. Uh, theoretically, it might be. I don't know if there has ever been any attempt or a desire anywhere to make the attempt to do it. I can see that uh, a relatively unknown person would make a relatively small ripple in time. Right. But my God, uh, President Kennedy, uh, if you were to change that and he was not assassinated, would, would cause a gigantic uh, explosion in time. Yes, he would. It would cause an enormous upheaval because of the fact of what he was doing and the reasons why he was assassinated. Because he wanted to uh, eliminate the Fed and print U.S. notes. He wanted the CIA to reveal the fact that they were not only in uh, drug business, but they were also the other group suppressing the facts about UFOs and ET. So well, I do understand he had signed an executive order uh, that uh, would have had a big effect on the Fed, and that that was then reversed by Johnson. Yes. Yeah, and he also already had issued a large number of U.S. notes, which is legal tender under our Constitution. So he had a number of... Uh, people are out for his head, so to speak, and uh, eventually they did get it. All right. Uh, we've got to keep moving here. Uh, very quickly, out of state, where are you calling from, please? Hello? Uh, no, you're not. Line two, you're on the air with Al Bielek in uh, Las Vegas. Good morning. Yeah, I'm, I'm, pr I'm pretty much on the belie uh, believing side of uh, time travel and Philadelphia experience, stuff like that. I had a question. The time field that uh, the modern-day uh, time machines you're talking about would have would there be anything to, any type of uh, equipment to be able to sense the disturbance in the time continuum when they would use it? Well, that's a good question. Is there a way to detect time travel uh, in progress now? In progress? Yeah, in other words... Yeah, I understand what you mean. To detect the presence of the field. And you sense the field that somebody's playing this game. Yeah. Uh, that I can't answer. I don't know. Uh, theoretically, anything's possible, but I don't know of any way... 
at this point where it could be done. Uh, there should be sensing means for determining when somebody is playing a game of some sort with the time field, but I don't know. All right. Uh, anything else, caller? Yeah. On on the time machines that are like uh, for the modern day, do they still use a uh, like a magnetic field? Okay. Uh, thank you, caller. Do, are they still using uh, a magnetic field? Was the question now? Mean for uh, this type of work? Yes. Mm -hmm. I can't answer what they're doing in terms of current technology because it's gone through many generations. Surely uh, the experiment um, with the Eldridge uh, would have been very detectable. In fact, oh, very. with the kind of power that you were uh, transmitting at 160 megahertz, that, that alone would have been detectable for... Yes, with today's equipment, there would be no question it could have been detected. And, of course, with uh, radar equipment for that frequency only, or the receivers, they would pick it up. But after the ship became radar invisible, of course, then they couldn't pick up the field anymore because it <clears throat> had already unfolded on itself and done the time phase shift number. So it was gone, literally. That's right. The field was not detectable after a certain point. All right. Uh, very quickly, line two, you're on the air with Al Bielik in Las Vegas. Where, where are you calling from, please? Line two? No, you're not there. Out of state. Good morning. You're on the air. Hi, Art. Hello. Where are you calling us from, sir? Ma, Ookabooka land. Oh, I don't think we'll deal with that. Line three, you're on the air with Al Bielik. Uh, Dr. Bielik, I have a question. What is the name of these fundamental set of equations that govern classical electromagnetism? I'm sorry, did you repeat the question? Uh, what is the name of the set of equations that govern classical electromagnetism? Well, if you go into classical electromagnetism, you're going to find that there are discrepancies there, and it does not agree with some of the work. Uh, I'd just like to know the name of the set of the equations. I couldn't give you all of that okay. information. Okay, no, no, that's fine, because uh, the, the name is Maxwell's equations, which probably any sophomore in physics now understands. Understand. Okay, and um, I find that uh, I know Max Dresden, who was uh, John von Neumann's graduate student, I was with him at the University of Kansas, and um, he talked about being at the Von Neumann funeral in 1957, sir. Well, that's a funeral. Uh, yeah, and um, I have heard of Dr. Friedman, who was at the uh, Linear Collider out at Stanford. I've heard him speak, and he seems like a very credible person. I have spoken with him uh, just very briefly, but I've been to a couple of his lectures. He seems very credible. And um, thirdly, I'd like to point out something, that it is possible to distort space-time, but you need something that has a very, very large mass, such as a black hole. So I have to say this, sir, that I, I, I don't believe... Well, all right, hold on. Let him, let him respond. Uh, the only, you just said the only way to distort it was a black hole or event horizon. Of oh, well, so basically a large mass. Yeah, I, I understand. All right, uh, Al, go ahead and answer that. Well, that's in terms of current thinking and where they're admitting maybe time travel is possible in terms of classical physics as it's viewed today. Uh, it does not require a large mass. It requires manipulation of the three basic elements of our field theory. If you uh, manipulate three, namely electric field, gravitic field, and tachyon field, you then manipulate the fourth, which is the time field. It does take power, but it does not take mass. Mass has nothing to do with it, and mass is a misnomer in terms of the real physics, if you ever went through it. Because what they teach today in the universities, in terms of electromagnetic theory and physics, is largely garbage. All right. Out of state, you're on the air with Al Bielik in Phoenix. Good morning. Where are you calling from, please? 
Hello, out of state. Are you there? Somebody's got their radio on. Last opportunity. Are you there? You're at line one. You're on the air. Yeah, I thought questions for your guests. Um, so then the government can send someone into the future to learn anything they want, I would suppose. And what would the aliens think about humans having such capabilities now? Well, in terms of that, uh, they were part and parcel of the Montauk Project, so that they were, in that sense, aiding and abetting the project. They were assisting in terms of the Montauk Project, in terms of the more standardized time travel. That was not alien technology. That was homegrown technology here on Earth. The Germans, prior to the end of World War II, had functioning time machines. Von Neumann had one in the laboratory in 44. And uh, the work that's been done since then, after the war was over, has in part been strictly homegrown technology, that is Earth technology, and in a larger sense, there has been contributions by aliens because of the agreement and the treaty that was made in 1954 with Eisenhower. All right, caller. Thank you. Thank you. Out of state, uh, very quickly, you're on the air with Al Bielik in Phoenix. Uh, good morning. Um, I had a question about the 3839 death ray test. All right. Okay. What exactly was the extent of those tests, and uh, where are those tests to lead us to now? All right, the death ray, Al. That was tested in uh, White Sands, New Mexico, test range 3839, according to secondhand information from witnesses who were there. And uh, what happened was they had a very large laser-like device that Tesla designed. It emitted a green ray, according to the eyewitnesses, and any object it was aimed at, it was a pulse-charge device with huge capacitor banks. It took a certain finite period of time to charge up the capacitors after a firing. Uh, they aimed at a truck or a tank that turned green and disappeared. Then the last test, they apparently aimed at a, they had tried animals too, but they aimed at a mountaintop. What I'm told, the mountaintop disappeared, and that was a little too much for the military people in charge of the test. The story is that they ordered the equipment destroyed and the notes buried. I find it hard to believe myself that if they had a weapon of that capability, that they would bury it and destroy it. But so it, it was basically virtually, was uh, virtually disintegrated an object. All right, thank you. Uh, in other words, it, it made things disappear. Actually, more than just disappear, Al, they just... Were gone permanently. Gone permanently. With the earlier caller, Mr. Critic, who was on earlier, um, I am not a physicist, uh, Al. I've got a little basic electronics, or maybe more than a little, and right. I've worked in microwave, and I know a little bit about magnetism, but I don't know the equations uh, that govern... Uh, magnetism. Well, and, 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 uh, it, but he said he said what were they? Uh, any any sophomore would know in physics, and uh, I I don't know. Uh, so how do you answer that? The question was rather ambiguous in the first place. Yes, you can quote Maxwell and Maxwell's equations, but the problem there is you have to go back to the original Maxwell equations as published well over a hundred years ago, and not the truncated version taught in the universities today, which were derived by Heaviside in 1875. And you also have to consider uh, Dr. Hertz and his Hertzian waves and the theory which he expounded and the current basic theory which is taught in the universities, which is partly correct and partly incorrect. One of the things they teach you, which you may remember yourself from all of your work, is that the electromagnetic wave 
as a radio wave, the magnetic component is propagated at the same rate as the electric field. That is not That's right. true. No, it is not true. No, the magnetic field is propagated at a rate of 0.6 that of the electric field in and a combined radio wave, which is a first-order wave electromagnetically. And uh, a radio wave is propagated according to theory at the speed of light. And of course, you get into an argument there as what is the speed of light. Uh, it is not a constant. It is a, on the Earth and the matter in which we, uh, methods by which we have measured it. But Einstein himself denied that it was a constant, said he was misquoted, that he never said it was a constant other than on Earth and the magne electromagnetic field as we know it here on Earth and on the conditions in which we have measured it. Well, we certainly know that magnetism affects light as evidenced by what a black hole does with light. That's true. All right, uh, let's keep moving here. Uh, line two, you're on the air with Al Bielik. Yes, I'd like to know the name of the man who was assassinated in 1973 to prevent the future birth, and also the, na the name of the members of the secret New World Order government. All right, well, one at a time here. That's quite a tall order. The name of the man who was assassinated, Al? In 1973? Yes. I do not have that name as to who the man was. Insofar as the members of the Secret World Order are concerned, I recommend that you acquire a copy of John Coleman's book entitled The Conspirators' Hierarchy, The Committee of 300. He lays it all out there in exact terms and names all of the people who are part of the Committee of 300, past and present. And it's a very interesting, concise, and informative book on the political conspiracies and how they all of these organizations, like CFR, Trilateral Commission, Bilderbergers, uh, Club of Rome, Illuminati, the uh, wonderful little Skull and Bones organization, <laughs> or they all fit together. All right, ma'am. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, let's see, do we have enough time? Line, line three, you're on the air with Al Bielik in Phoenix. Good morning. Hi, I'd like to know if the electromagnetic disturbances in the Bermuda Triangle are related to experiments such as in Philadelphia. Oh, that is a good question. Uh, where are you calling from, sir? In San Francisco Bay Area in California. Yeah, okay. Uh, what about it, Al? answer is no. The disturbances in the Bermuda Triangle are still a matter of conjecture. When Ivan Sanderson was alive and I worked with him on that, uh, he was of the opinion that it was a natural phenomenon because there are 12 such areas on the planet that are forming an essentially perfect geodesic grid. And as part of the complete grid and ley line system of the Earth, but these are the 12 primaries. The second most active one on the Earth is over in the Japan Sea, east of the islands of Japan, and they've lost some pretty big ships in there, too. All right, that will have to serve uh, as an answer, so the answer caller is no. Thank you very much, and uh, I'll hold on just a moment. This is the CBC Radio Network. Do you have hard water? Are you plagued by that ugly white stuff on your water fixtures? Dishes, ceramic tiles, and toilet bowls, are you worried about ruining your water heater with scale buildup? Well, stop. Stop worrying. You can solve all these problems with a GMX magnetic water system. No maintenance, no messy filters, no big electric bills, and best of all, no salt. GMX conditions your water, maintaining its healthy minerals while eliminating the problems connected with hard water. So your water is great for drinking and plants. The GMX system has an unconditional 90-day money-back guarantee and a lifetime warranty, so there's nothing to stop you from trying it out. Plus, why not consider starting an exciting new home business? Call for information. 1-800-4060-GMX. And guess what? 
The GMX special offer is still open. If you buy the GMX magnets, they'll send you free. One of the most remarkable inventions I've ever seen. This revolutionary product, a $75 value, will clean your clothes without detergent. That's right, more 21st century technology. We use it, and it works. Call 1-800-4060-GMX. That's one 800 4060-GMX. This offer won't last forever, so call now. For absolutely fresh flowers. Now, did you send your Valentine some flowers? You did, right? Well, if you did, you know how good a deal it is. All year long. It is a flower farm in Southern California. All they grow is miniature carnations. Far as the eye can see, miniature carnations, and they're beautiful, and you get some... So, you know, the deal is just incredible. You get this big triangular box full of miniature carnations for $42.95, along with a card from you with your message and name, handwritten, very powerful, very emotional, great for anniversaries, birthdays, any kind of special event at all. They're available 24 hours a day. Try it. That's uh, FedEx, by the way. Next, next day, FedEx during the week. You call today. They deliver tomorrow. 1-800-562-6438. That's 1-800-562-6438. Absolutely fresh flowers. Are you making too many trips to the bathroom? If you are, you know that. And you're not alone. Loss of libido, sex drive, yet another symptom. Well, here's the guy who can help you out, Dr. Michael Kaplinski. Over the years, in his medical practice, he's put together a kind of a soup of all natural things that he has found to actually clinically affect the size of the prostate and then obviously the symptoms. So if you have those symptoms, short of surgery, here's something you're going to want to try. All right? You buy two bottles, you get a third one free, gratis. That means you are now in possession of a three-month supply for the price of two. What you do is try it. Take it for three months. If your symptoms are not better, you get your money back. It's a straightforward, ironclad deal. The number to call right now, 1-800-249-6060. It's offered by a company called Physician's Choice. And the number again, 1-800-249-6060. Good morning, everybody. Welcome back to the show. I'm Art Bell. My guest is Al Bielik. If you've been listening carefully, the man told you how to build something to cause something to disappear or travel in time uh, or travel in space. And uh, Al, if somebody were to take what you have described uh, technically as an outline, the uh, RF field, the rotating magnetic fields, and uh, would you advise them, don't try this at home? <laughs> I would definitely advise them, don't try it at home. Besides, you would never get it to work without certain other key elements that are involved, which are very difficult to get in the way of hardware. Uh, and the system encompassed more than that. You had to have a zero-time reference generator, and uh, that was something which Tesla himself developed in the 20s as used today in every piece of equipment built for the FAA and a lot of other government uh, craft. Could you remake this? I could possibly, but I don't 
think I would want to because the form of the field that was created was incorrect, was wrong. In other words, an open toroid. Though the toroid shape was closed, the field was open in the sense that anything in the middle where the effect takes place is not shielded from outside influence, and that was the problem. The Eldridge was not shielded from outside influence. If they'd used the form of a closed oblate spheroid ship uh, field, I'm sorry, then the ship would have been shielded, and that required a lot more theory, and while well, the theory was available, the electromagnetic complications in terms of hardware were far beyond what they wanted to handle at that time. All right, hold it there, Al. Uh, let's uh, go out of state. You're on the air with Al Bielek. Where are you calling from, please? Yes, I'm calling from California. Uh, I would like to ask uh, Mr. Bielek, um, time and space folds like an accordion. Is this what I'm kind of understanding? No, it doesn't fold like an accordion under normal usage. There are ways of uh, folding it, if you will, <clears throat> which uh, certain alien groups know and apparently use that as a means of propulsion in their ships if the stories are correct. But normally it is not folded. It's in, even envision it more like one of these Charles toys, a helix, in which there are waves going through time. And normally it is a very smooth, even transition and even transmission, but it can be disturbed. And there are uh, things which will disturb it, like the lockup of two experiments or uh, a thermonuclear device that's large enough will uh, break the continuity early. But otherwise, it's a smooth transition, a smooth flow. That's right. And uh, an atomic explosion does create a large electromagnetic pulse, doesn't it? And a thermonuclear device, a hydrogen bomb, is the one that creates the huge pulse. Atomic bomb creates a small one, but not of uh, any great significance. Well, then I have a question. Could that conceivably then, through through just happenstance, uh, a large hydrogen uh, bomb exploding, could it create a time-space disturbance? Very definitely it does, and it was tested and measured as such in Anna Waitak in 1954. Anything else, ma'am? No, you're doing a wonderful job with this. We're, we're just right with you. Thank you. Thank you, uh, and thank you very much for the call. All right, Al, we're going to just take a very brief break here and then go raging through a lot of calls. A lot of people want to talk to you. Stay right there, Al Bielek. We now pause while some additional stations join the network. Good morning, everybody. This is as uh, wild a one as uh, you may ever hear, and it's coming from Phoenix and Al Bielek. We'll be right back. Stay tuned for more Vintage Art Bell coming up right after these messages. This is CBC. Now, here's to your health news and nutrition update. The controversy over screening for prostate cancer continues to rage. Recently, researchers at the University of Toronto concluded that it was inadvisable to test men with no overt symptoms of prostate cancer. Screening for prostate cancer leads to invasive procedures resulting in a negative effect on the quality of life. Screening with the PSA prostate-specific antigen blood test and the transrectal ultrasound resulted in a very small increase in life expectancy of men between 50 and 70 years of age. The net loss in quality of life from incontinence, impotence, and rectal injuries far outweighed the increase in life expectancy, and the dreaded digital rectal examination produced no reduction at all in deaths from prostate cancer. 
A recent look at cholesterol-lowering drugs concluded that their use in patients with only mildly elevated cholesterol levels does not halt the development of atherosclerosis or hardening of the arteries in heart disease patients. There was no significant difference in the progression of the hardening of the arteries between the treated group and the placebo group at the end of the treatment period. In both groups, the diameter of the artery scan continued to narrow. The white bark uh, of the birch tree was the recent focus of study at the pharmacy school at the University of Illinois in Chicago. A compound named betulinic acid was identified that demonstrated the ability to shrink human melanoma tumors in lab animals. The birch bark compound outperformed the most widely prescribed drug commonly used to treat this dangerous skin cancer. And good news for those who suffer from the greatest on-the-job hazard of modern day, carpal tunnel syndrome. 200,000 new cases are becoming reported each year. When the soft tissue in the wrist becomes inflamed, the pressure on the nerve results in numbness and debilitating pain in the arms and hands. Doctors typically re recommend braces, anti-inflammatory drugs, or surgery in an attempt to relieve the pressure on the nerve. A recent study evaluated carpal tunnel syndrome sufferers who practiced yoga twice a week for 10 weeks. Slow, progressive postures and stretches which focused on neck, shoulder, and upper body flexibility and extending the range of hand motion resulted in a reduction in tenderness and swelling, less pain, and increased grip strength. What a reward for the money and time invested. And that's a news and nutrition update from Here's to Your Health. Good health. It's as close as your radio. Talk Radio Network. A war against alternative medicine sounds like a conspiracy. Crazy? No, its members are administrators of powerful medical groups. Well-placed state and federal agency officials paid off by the pharmaceutical and health insurance industries and sham citizens groups. How do we know? They've told us publicly on tape and now you can hear the tape too the occasion the 84th annual meeting of the federation of state medical boards the focus fraudulent medical practice watch and be wary the program is devoted to a no holds barred assault on alternative medicine docs you'll hear the obvious alternative medicine is shaking the money tree and conventional medicine is not happy but there's lots more get your own copy of the tape proceedings just send three dollars to tape AHTA 5419 Western Avenue, Oklahoma City, Oklahoma 73109. It's your opportunity to hear how important medical freedom initiatives are to each and every one of us. Order your tape today. Statistics prove that there is no such thing as a good or a bad memory, just a trained or an untrained memory. You virtually remember everything that you see, hear, read, or even think about. The problem, though, is recalling that information. This is Kevin Trudeau, founder of the American Memory Institute, the world's largest memory training school. You see, everyone has a perfect photographic memory. It's just waiting to be released. Imagine having the memory power to be able to meet 50 people and remember all their names. A powerful memory in business means money. 
and in school means straight A's with less study time. Over two million people have already benefited from the easy-to-learn Mega Memory Home Study course. Now it's your turn. The remarkable Mega Memory system will work for you, guaranteed. Call this number, 1-800-558-MEMORY. That's 1-800-558-MEMORY. To develop your Mega Memory, start with this phone number, 1-800-558-MEMORY. You're listening to an encore performance of Coast to Coast AM with Art Bell. Line two, are you there? Yes. Uh, where are you calling from, sir? Uh, Las Vegas. All right, go ahead. I don't buy it. I, uh, you know, I, when I was in college, I minored in physics. I majored in electrical engineering. And um, everything that you've said is bunk. Well, you're entitled to your opinions. No, well, it's not an opinion. Uh, it, um, you know. All right, what specifically, um, if you're going to say this sort of thing, sir, is bunk, or what can you prove uh, to be bunk? Okay, your statement that Maxwell's equations, you know, are not complete. And oh, were you on the air earlier? Yeah, uh, uh, not on the air earlier. Okay. Oh, the, you're, you, you then go on. Your statement that Maxwell's equations were not complete. Uh, you know, you said that they were not complete. Well, I have a... A book here. It's called you know engineering electromagnetics that derives Maxwell's equations step by step. You know going back to Coulomb's law. There is nothing missing there. And secondly, your contention that you know you would need. Well, let's take them one at a time. Do you want to answer that, Al? Okay. Now you're familiar with Tom Bearden. Thomas E. Bearden. Are you familiar with Mr. Bearden, caller? Uh, no, but, the, you know, but I can't really hear, you know, what the other fellow's saying. I understand. All right, you'll have to listen on the air then. Thank you. Um, all right, Al, uh, go right ahead. What does Mr. Bearden have to do with this? Mr. Bearden is going through that also and derive the fact that the original Maxwell equations as written by Maxwell in the handwritten versions, which are well over 100 years old, are not what is currently taught in the universities because Dr. Heaviside in 1875, because they were hard to understand and they could not accept the idea that in the uh, denominator E as the electrostatic field was, and Maxwell's original equation stated that it propagates instantaneously throughout the universe, which would immediately violate all of the ideas of relativity and C being the limiting speed of everything in the universe. So that part has been eliminated, basically, from most of the college texts. Now, you may have some texts that show the original. I am not familiar with every book that's around. But nonetheless, they normally teach the truncated version developed by Heaviside in 1875, which was an attempt to simplify those equations and make them more understandable. All right. All right. Well, you're, you're over my head. Uh, good morning. Out of state, you're on the air with Al Bielik in Phoenix. Hi. Um, I need to know all I can find out about Nikola Tesla, I think you're one of the greatest people that ever lived, and I really want to know all of them. All right, uh, where are you calling from, Colin? Uh, I called earlier from Alaska, but I did have a question. All right, now, you know, one call per, per customer, folks, um, so I'm just going to pass that one by. Line three, you're on the air. Hello. Hello, where are you calling from, sir? I'm calling from uh, 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 San Diego, California. All right, fine. That's right, by the border, and I'm not at all skeptical, but please answer these three very brief questions for me. Uh, you were about to tell us who shot JFK, and you got interrupted. Please tell us who shot him and why. <laughs> All right, stop, stop. Who shot JFK, Al? Best uh, testimony and uh, 
Uh, enhanced pictures taken as a brooder and other films indicate that it was done by the driver. Oh, yes, uh, that theory, but th that the driver did it, sir. Okay, uh, then please tell me if ex-President George Bush uh, uh, is a part of the New World Order, why did he allow himself to lose the election? And my third brief question is, is President Clinton now, is, is he part of it? Does he have all this information, and is he going to be successful? And uh, I find it hard to believe that George Bush would allow himself uh, to lose that power. Uh, all right, all right, thank you. Part um, two, namely with Mr. George Bush, he was part of the New World Order. He does not run it. He was one of the pawns and gears in the works, if you will. He had a great deal of power. He was former director of the CIA before he became president. And he knew a great many things, but he also was limited in his power. He took orders. He took orders from a higher authority in this country, and so does Clinton. Now, uh, where Clinton is going to go with all of this is hard to say, because the scenario is not determined by the president. It is no longer determined by the Congress or the Senate. They are dictated to up and down the line, and you really have to get the book, the Committee of 300, and other material to understand how this whole thing is orchestrated. Mr. Clinton is being manipulated as well, then? Yes, Clinton is being manipulated. In fact, he was bought and sold, I'm sorry to say, before he became governor of the state of Arkansas. All right. Uh, line one, you're on the air with Al Bielek. Good morning. Where are you calling from, please? Uh, calling from California. All right. Um, this is a fascinating program. Unfortunately, we missed a good part of it. Is it possible to buy a tape on it? Um, yes. Uh, we have uh, somebody. In fact, uh, after the program is over, I'll tell you how you can get a copy, all right? Thank you. All right. Thank you. Uh, out of state, you're on the air with Al Bielek. Where are you calling from, please? Seattle, Washington. Uh, in Washington. All right, go ahead. How are you doing tonight? Fine. I uh, laid down to go to sleep at 1 o'clock and put your show on last as long as I could, and I'm wide awake, let me tell you. Uh -huh. um, I have a few questions uh, for Al. First off, are you familiar with William Cooper? Oh, yes. And do, do you agree with what, most of what he says? It's agrees so far with a lot of what I've heard that you say. I agree with uh, much of what he says in terms of the political sense. Uh, I think his information has been basically very accurate. And there is some dispute, of course. He is the one that has pushed the theory and the idea based on the films that he has shown that uh, Mr. Greer, the driver, was the man who and ultimately assassinated President Kennedy. There are others who fired shots. There's no question of that. I, I've seen Cooper's films. Right. And, and Greer definitely pulled the trigger. Right. Now, even if you go back to the 1963 photos published from the original Zapruder films in Life magazine, you can clearly see, though, that they're not enhanced. You can see that the driver had his hands off the wheel, and the uh, Secret Service man in the right seat had his hand on the wheel. That even shows in the original Zapruder films published by Life magazine. But nevertheless, <clears throat> there is still some dispute as to whether or not Greer was the final and ultimate assassin. There are others who claim there was somebody on the know who fired the fatal shot because it was more than one shot came in at that low angle. All right, Colin, thank you. Uh, Al, you know, um, they just buried John Connolly, um, and there, there are a lot of people who um, wanted uh, the fragments in Connolly's body examined. Mm -hmm. The family of, Con of Governor Connolly did not. Yeah. So he apparently has been buried without examination. Uh, would you urge that they exhume that body and take a look at those fragments so we could, might be able to settle this once and for all? I think that's something that I would not uh, feel qualified to answer in terms of uh, whether or not you're going to find out much out from this body, because after all, uh, the body's buried, it uh, deteriorates fairly rapidly. 
the examination would have had to have been made at, virtually at the time of death or shortly thereafter. But surely the fragments will not deteriorate. If there are bullet fragments, they will not. That's true. All right. Uh, line two, you're on the air with Al Billick in Phoenix. Thank you very much. Uh, apparently the gremlins are at work. Uh, KQMS uh, stopped hearing you at 3, 3 a.m. Uh, Mr. Billick, uh, Mr. Charles Bearden, uh, are you familiar with him? I'm sorry, which one? Charles Bearden. Mm, yes. Uh, is free energy, do you think that's on? Free energy is a vast subject, and uh, a number of people have been involved in research on this, and not only from the theoretical standpoint, but also from the hardware standpoint, have made various pieces of hardware work. More work has been done on this in Europe and Japan and then in the U.S., also in England. Okay. Uh, Thomas Searle is one that has been successful. Dr. Seiko of Japan may have been successful, but he's very tight-lipped, if you will. Uh -huh. And uh, Thomas E. Bearden has published a considerable amount on this subject. There have been others, like the Dini. There's a whole host of names of people. Uh, Bruce D. Palmer on the Zen machine. Of course, the Zen machine goes back to Faraday 200 years ago for the basic principle. And uh, that has been published and was published and is known that he developed, though he didn't understand why it worked. Right. So, yes, there is the free energy is a misnomer in another sense. The, uh, there is no such thing as free lunch. The energy comes from somewhere else. Right. The problem is understanding where it comes from and why. How about uh, T. Henry Murray? T. Henry Murray around was it? very successful. Okay. All right. Thank you very much. Thank you, Colin. You're on the air with Al Bielik. Where are you calling from, please? I'm in the Bay Area in California. Okay, go ahead. Uh, just a quick question. That based on you know the, the knowledge that you now have, uh, it, is the the stories that we have in the Bible are they essentially true or not true or is just stories? All right, the Bible, real or just a good story, Mr. Bielek? Well, I think historically, <clears throat> now if you were the re listener referring to the Book of Revelations or to the Older Testament. And well, why don't you deal with both? Right. In terms of the Old Testament, I think you'll find that historically much of that information is correct. Uh, the problem is how far back you take it because you were missing many of the books in the Old Testament, the books of the Apocrypha and others which are available separately, which show an additional much older history than is otherwise recognized. Adam and Eve are, in my sense, allegorical they were not necessarily real as being the originators of the human race on this planet. But in terms of the Book of Revelations, uh, I would say that much of the information in there might yet prove to be correct because whoever wrote it in the terms of the paper and sense of those days had an insight and apparently had the ability to see into the future and they saw things in terms of warfare which have come to pass. And the terrible uh, plagues which are now coming upon us in many respects, they also saw. All right. Uh, line one, you're on the air with Al Bielik in Phoenix. Oh, uh, California. Yes. Good morning, Mr. Bielik. Yes. And two questions. First, since the U.S. government has used the transfer retrieval mechanism to uh, clean up a mess in 73, is it also used to silence or dissuade UFO witnesses and researchers with the men in black technique? Very hard to hear you. Can you, uh, Art, can you repeat the question? Uh, I don't know if I can or not. Uh, let me, uh, are you familiar with the men in black technique for silencing people uh, like yourself? 
Yes, I am familiar with the charges and the allegations about MIBs. I've never seen one, but I do know people who have. All right, my second question is on the uh, hardware itself. Uh, doubtless refinements and advances in technology have been applied to the project hardware since the 40s. So how long will it be until uh, a stable tachyon drive fold generator will be in unclassified use? Oh, good question. That's a very good question. I don't know, really know how to answer that one. A <clears throat> tachyon drive system and anti-gravity drive system, they exist at least in terms of the anti-gravity drive systems today. The government has them, but in terms of being unclassified and generally available, it's very difficult to answer because who can uh, fathom the mind of the government? <laughs> Out of state, you're on the air with Al Bielik in Las Vegas. Hello. Hi, how are you doing today, Art? Fine. Where are you calling from? Oh, Gilbert, Arizona. All right. I know for a fact that uh, time machines exist because I have one of my own. That's how I got to Ooga Booga Land. Oh. Line two, you're on the air with Al Bielik. Hi. Uh, good morning, Art. Uh, Al, uh, two questions. One, uh, what is the exact title of uh, the book that uh, I should actually look up? The Philadelphia Story, and there's another part to that? The Philadelphia <clears throat> Experiment and other UFO conspiracies. Oh, and other. Okay. Uh, 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 publications is co-authored with Brad Steiger, released in September 1990. 1990. It's still available, it's still in print. Okay. Uh, yeah, I've had some problems in the publication uh, regarding some involvement here, but how involved are the Russians uh, uh, with time and space uh, testing? All right, good question. Are they ahead of us, behind us? Where are they? What was the, the, the Russians, uh, Al, where are they with these experiments now? Uh, in terms of the Philadelphia experiment, I don't know if they ever involved themselves in it. In terms of the Montauk project and that type of work, yes, they had their own parallel project. And when both ended in 83, uh, I know the U.S. one ended in 83 and 12 August. I do not know whether the Russian one did on that date. But I do know through sources that there was a scientific exchange of information hmm. as to what they found, what they accomplished, because the approaches were not identical. All right. Out of state, you're on the air with Al Bielik. Where are you calling from, please? I'm Brock in Washington. Okay. Uh, you're on a, one of those telephones. Get off it. Get on a real phone. Okay. Thank you. Go ahead. Um, I just, I've been listening for a couple of hours now. I just wondered, is there any practical... Uh, method of time travel for ordinary people, or is it only some huge government project that can do it? All right, that is a good question. Al? Well, in terms of the hardware, I don't think any ordinary people would be able to build it. In terms of the usage, anyone can use the equipment. It's not uh, restrictive in terms of a certain type of person, but the government has a total monopoly on it, other than a few corporations who have been working with the government, and uh, it's definitely not generally available. The only other way around that that I can suggest is if you are very heavily into meditation and uh, that type of thing, you can find a way through meditation to <clears throat> time travel, not physically, but mentally or astrally, as they sometimes say, and you can get some of your own answers that way. This is not a physical time travel. So for the individual, it's a metaphysical answer rather than a I hardware. Particularly it is. You're not going to get the hardware and you're not going to be able to construct it because it is quite complex. It's a fascinating answer anyway. Line two, you're on the air with Al Bielik. Hi. Hi. Um, do you have any, like, scientific proof about any of this? Any hard proof, Al? Yes. Oh, I'm sorry, hard proof of what? Well, hard proof of any of uh, any, any aspect of this story. Um, 
I have, but the problem is the proof that I have of this is not <clears throat> publishable because the people who can corroborate the story do not wish to be known publicly. No, no. You know, if this was a true story, ABC would pick it up in a second. You know, um, if aliens actually did exist, and all of this, this would be the best story that ever hit the, you know, this would be the... Well, of course it would, color. but if, if the President of the United States is himself controlled, what makes you think that ABC would be exempt? Oh, okay. <laughs> I mean, if you, in other words, if you buy the story, then you've got to buy the control factor as well, and ABC wouldn't be a... Oh, I don't necessarily know if I, if I do. I'm just... You know, I'd like to believe this more than anything. You know, I would. So would I, because I have been fascinated with and love the idea of time travel. I love it. Yeah. Uh, so, I, you know, I'm, I'm a big fan of Star Trek, and this is just like made my date, you know, my dream come true. But I just see no hardcore evidence of it. All right, what do you say to somebody like that, Al? He sees no hardcore evidence. Let me... Uh, wants to believe, but doubts. Let me give the gentleman uh, two insights. Number one, about a year and a half ago... Uh, unsolved Mysteries became interested in the story that I had to tell, and then at a slightly later date, uh, sightings on the West Coast became interested. Both of them dropped it like a hot potato that refused to touch it beyond the initial inquiry and apparent interest. Uh, so far as the major networks are concerned on live television, none of them will touch it, and we know that because we have tried, and the only one who has touched it in terms of uh, television has been the cable networks because they're not governed by the same set of rules. All right. Um, let's hold it there. We've got very little time. Line three, you're on the air with Al Bielek. Yes, sir. I have a question for Al. Uh, he says back in 1943 he traveled to 1983. Is that, that, that is correct. Yes. Uh, in, I don't know. He said he mentioned that uh, he's traveled in time a couple other times. Has he ever gone beyond 1983? And how much Further in the future, has he traveled, if he did at all? All right, thank you. Is it possible to travel into the future, Al? Yes. Uh, that was down at Montauk. All of the people who were uh, new recruits, if you will, were required to take a trip into the future to the year 6037 A.D. and describe what they saw, and everyone came back with the same description. Let's hear it. I'm sorry? Let's hear it. What's, I, I want to know what's coming. <laughs> hey, the description... Uh, that 6037 A.D. that everyone came back with, because I went on a trip myself, was that you arrived in the middle of a circle, uh, what appeared to be a traffic circle from the city that no longer existed. There was a gold statue there of a horse and uh, some uh, writing on the base that was in gold, the base meaning a pedestal on which the horse was mounted. This traffic circle radiated out in various directions on roads that were still there, but all buildings were obliterated in the immediate area and the far distance you could see crumbling buildings. There was no sign of life of any kind, though there was blue skies and white clouds, but there's absolutely devoid of any life at that point. Oh boy. That was what everyone came back with in the same report. All right. Uh, line one, you're on the air with Al Bielek. Hi. Hello, where are you calling from? Sir? I'm from Las Vegas, and I want to thank you guys for taking my call. Uh, it's very interesting and pretty believable. I just wanted to ask a question about uh, Tesla. Uh, one caller got cut off. It seems kind of interesting. Uh, is there any more information that we could get about Tesla? Oh, there's all kinds of information about Tesla if you're interested in his history. Uh, is that what you mean, caller? Um, 
more about his study or uh, his notes or anything like that. All right. Uh, good. Yeah, that is a good question, uh, Al, very quickly. Okay. What about Tesla's documentation, such as it was? There's a great deal still available through the um, museum at, uh, <clears throat> back in his Bucharest, I think it's Bucharest, back in his home county, or you might say, because Smiljan Croatia is no longer extant as a separate country. It is now part of Yugoslavia. But the uh, museum, which was set up after his death, has a great deal of information. There's a great deal here available in the U.S. Uh, if you go to the International Tesla Society in Colorado Springs, Colorado, they have perhaps more specific information, documentation about his patents, his work at the Colorado Springs Laboratory in 1899 and 1900. That book is available. Lists of most of his patents are available. And, of course, if you want to research the Institute of Electrical Engineers in New York, he was a regular lecturer from the period of about 1985, I'm sorry, 1885 onward. And those records all exist because the society was formed in 1884, and they've kept every book and every lecture on file at their headquarters in New York City. Al, uh, we're coming toward the end of the time. The telephones have never let up. They're still as jammed as they were. Uh, so we may at some point hope to have you back again. I, I, I'm trying to decide what would be the... How old are you, Al? Well, according to my birth certificate as Al Bielek, I would be 66. Uh, according to my... I still can't locate birth certificate of Edward Cameron. I would be 76, 77, and it's quite really questionable what my real age is, but if we use the date from 1916, that would say that I'm about 77. All right, so you're on up there. My question is this. When you are gone, who will tell this story as you have told it, or will the story die with you? No, it will not die with me. There will be another book in preparation. I've already made many videotapes uh, across the nation uh, from lectures, from other appearances, and the information uh, will be well documented. Eventually, the government classification on this project will end on the Philadelphia experiment. Do you know when that is? Well, uh, theoretically, it has to end in August of this year because it's 50 years. And uh, the question is, whether or not they can force its continuance as a classified project, because now it is up to... Are there any aspects of it that are available to, uh, through the Freedom of Information Act, Al? Well, you can get some information through the Freedom of Information, but the problem there is that if they release a report, if they don't cite in the interest of national security, we can't release it, it may be blacked out so there's hardly anything left except the title page and the... Uh, the end page and index, perhaps. Well, then hopefully you'll be with us for a while. Al, we've got to take off. You've got to get to bed. I thank you for being with us, and, and please, uh, plan on doing it again, will you? Listen, do you remember a time when you could buy a new car for $2,000, a new three-bedroom home for $10,000 or less, or maybe a 10-cent cup of coffee, a time when the average middle-income family had only one wage earner? That allowed the wife to devote full-time care for the family. They could still own their own home, buy a new car every couple of years, take a nice vacation every summer, put a couple of kids through college, and look forward to carefree retirement. That year was 1966, only 30 years ago. What happened? Well, to have the same standard of living today, you'd have to net, after taxes, about 10 times the income of that year. <laughs> Very few of us have been able to keep pace. What's happened to our beloved American dollar, the American dream? For the answers to these questions and more, 
I want you to call my friends at North American Trading and ask for their free newsletter on the decline of the dollar. That number is 1-800-877-9799. It's completely free. The number, 1-800-877-9799. Stay tuned for more of the best of Art Bell. My dad taught me the difference between collecting coins and saving money. I thought he'd been collecting U.S. savings bonds, but he was really helping to ensure our future. He told me that savings bonds are a guaranteed safe way to save money, that they're there when you need them, and that they earn interest for up to 30 years. That's ensuring the future. So I started my own collection of U.S. savings bonds, just like Dad's. Ask your banker or employer about U.S. savings bonds for all the right reasons. Alan and Dave talk to Ethel on Auto Talk. When those young kids come up next to me at the stoplight, it really irritates me. They're revving their engines, you know, so I took uh, my Maverick down to the shop and I put a blown 429 in it with a positive rear end attraction bargain. Well, that also can't do me any good because I'm only getting about 5,000 RPM. It's when they sit there and blow those engines up, you know, when they try and catch up with me, and that's what really makes me laugh. Auto Talk, Saturday morning. Say, do you have fields, overgrown pastures, even scrubby wooded areas you'd like to keep clear? Well, listen to what Clem Grabner of Fairfax, Virginia, has to say about his amazing walk-behind DR field in Rushmore. We have 18 acres on the Shenandoah. We camp there. We used to have this one portion brush hogged and then uh, got so expensive that uh, at Jamola, I think it paid for itself the first year. If you're gone a couple weeks, places up to your knees again. So it's um, it's been a real pleasure to have it. Most of it you could uh, you can't cut with a regular mower. This mower that we have is just the thing we needed. It's very reliable. I mean, it's, it's got a good motor on it. You can get a big color catalog direct from our factory all about the DR Field and Brush Mower. Just call toll-free 1-800-FIELD-13. That's 1-800-F-I-E-L-D-13 for your free color catalog all about the amazing DR Field and Brush Mower. USA Radio Network News, this is Ron Jenkins. Astronauts Mark Lee and Stephen Smith have wrapped up spacewalk number five, the final one for the shuttle Discovery crew. They're now back inside the shuttle. At the conclusion of the latest spacewalk, capsule communicator Jeff Hoffman offered his gratitude to the crew for a job well done. Discovery Houston for the EVA crew. We see you're holding at five PSI. Uh, I'm getting ready to turn back over to Mark. Uh, for the rest of the Orbit 1 shift, and I just wanted to tell you how much I've enjoyed talking with you guys during the EVA and how much everyone down here appreciates the uh, TLC that all of you have given the uh, Hubble telescope. American Airlines started it all with a fare-cutting program to win back some of the people scared off by a threatened pilot strike last week. Now four more major airlines have joined in this, the discounting. Travel agent Christian Sturm in Spokane, Washington, says American is cutting its fares by as much as 50 percent, but he says there could be some smoke and mirrors involved. You take it off their full excursion fare. They don't discount it off usually their lowest fare that was already out before the sale. So um, it's a little bit of a trick, but um, they, uh, it still ends up being really good savings for the consumer. 
Some fares to London and Paris are under $500 for the round trip. China remains silent on the fragile health of Paramount leader Deng Xiaoping. Communist leaders and others have cut short out-of-town trips to visit the ailing patriarch. This is USA Radio News. If you're looking for the most amount of term life insurance for the least amount of money, then you want Legacy Group, where tens of thousands of clients have relied on their expertise. Give them a call at 1-800-245-TERM. For more than 40 years, Legacy has given their clients the service and confidence they need. They continually compare the lowest rates from 20 of the top-rated life insurance companies, so you know you're getting the best rates. For example, a 35-year-old non-smoking person can get $35,000 in term life insurance for only $35 per month. That's about a dollar a day for $250,000 of guaranteed level term life insurance. That low rate is guaranteed not to change for 20 years. No matter what age you are, Legacy will give you the lowest possible rate for term life insurance. If you would like a free quote, call the Legacy Group now at 1-800-245-TERM and see how much you can save. That's 1-800-245-TERM. Special Whitewater Prosecutor Kenneth Starr is leaving that job. He'll move to California where he'll become Dean of Pepperdine University in August. Starr says this doesn't mean the Whitewater investigation's over. He says it simply means somebody else is going to take charge. As for Starr, well, he's going to be a very busy man, according to Pepperdine's provost. Our assumption is that... Uh... Uh, when uh, he comes and takes up this responsibility, he will have a full-time responsibility. And that will take place, uh, certainly, as school begins uh, sometime this uh, next fall, uh, probably beginning sometime in August. Peruvian President Alberto Fujimori says he's optimistic over the chances for a bloodless end to the two-month Lima hostage crisis. That's in spite of the apparent lack of progress in renewed talks with Marxist rebels. Three rounds of face-to-face -face talks between rebels and the government negotiator raised hopes of a breakthrough, but so far, no sign that the sides are moving any closer to resolving the hostage issue. This is USA Radio News. Does your home need a new roof this season? If your roof needs replacing fast, then call Sears Roofing now. A Sears authorized expert will examine your roof and give you a free estimate. Sears Roofing is sold furnished and installed by Diamond Exteriors, a Sears authorized contractor, so you know you'll get expert installation guaranteed. Not available in all areas. Sears Roofing is ready to help you, so call now. 1-800-452-6200. That's 800-452-6200. Right on her first international tour is Secretary of States in Paris, France, and apparently talking tough to the French. USA's Connie Lawn has more. U.S. officials say Secretary of State Madeleine Albright is charming her hosts in Germany and France, but has not resolved key differences with the French. In fact, despite kisses from the French foreign minister, the tough-talking Secretary of State has not yielded to his demands on a variety of topics. U.S. officials say they have not agreed to France's call to hand over NATO's southern command to France. The U.S. does appear to agree to a French proposal for a five-nation summit to overcome Russian hostility on NATO. Connie Long, USA Radio News, Washington. Latest reports from Seoul indicate tensions are mounting on the Korean Peninsula, despite indications from North Korea that it may accept the defection of one of its high officials in Beijing. Ron Jenkins on the USA Radio Network. To Roseanne Bazinet. And I'm going to share with you an important bit of information that could help you turn your life around, help you recapture the pleasure you used to enjoy in your life. 
Like most of us from time to time, you've suffered feelings of stress, anxiety, and the blues. You wished you had someone to talk to, someone who's been there, someone you could talk with about anything. Simply call the number I'm going to give you and talk over your problem in confidence with a licensed therapist. Any hour of the day or night, seven days a week, right now if you want to. The cost is $3.95 a minute, charged to your credit card. Reach out to us when you need us. Interact Group Counselors, here for you now, live, by phone. Call 1-800-414-2846 for your private counselor. 1-800-414-2846. That's 1-800-414-2846. You're listening to Art's 1993 interview with Al Bielek on this, the absolute best of Coast to Coast AM with Art Bell. My guest is indeed from Islip, East Islip, New York, Preston Nichols. And in effect, he's going to pick up where Al Bielek left off. And uh, many of you, I know many of you, are very familiar with the story of the Philadelphia experiment and Al Bielek. Don't know a lot about Preston Nichols and the Montauk Project, but as you know, Al Bielek referred to it as uh, part of the Philadelphia experiment, so it's been a great curiosity for me and for many of you. And we are honored, therefore, to have Preston Nichols with us this evening. Let's uh, go all the way to East Islip, New York, and Preston Nichols. Preston, are you there? Yes, I'm here. Well, welcome to the program. Thank you. Pleasure uh, is mine. Preston, I don't have a, uh, any sort of biographical uh, sketch on you, so why don't you tell me, tell everybody who you are. I'm essentially an electrical engineer, graduated from University of Tampa, attended the Polytechnic Institute of New York. I've worked in the uh, military industrial establishment for a number of years, worked on many uh, secret projects, including the Montauk Project. Okay, are you now, uh, are you retired now? I consider myself semi-retired. I've been forced to be semi-retired. Okay. Uh, I have my own business now. You have your own business, all right. Yes. You want to tell us what kind of business? We do uh, electronics manufacturing, small manufacturing, uh, R&D work, uh, testing. We do rebuilding of electronic equipment for the small industries in Long Island here. Very good. Uh, all right, Preston, uh, what in the world uh, is or was, is, is the Montauk Project still going on? Yes, it is. It is? Mm-hmm. Uh, when did it begin, and what can you tell us about it? Well, as far as we know, it traces back to about 1947 when they, when they decided to restart the Philadelphia Experiment to find out what actually went wrong and why the people on the boat were not able to take the uh, field. As we've all heard before, the Philadelphia Experiment is where they attempted to make a ship, a Navy ship radar, invisible. They got total invisibility and the thing disappeared. And they got sucked into a hole in hyperspace between 1943 and 1983. Excuse me. <coughs> I have a little bit of an allergy problem right now. Yeah, it's it's bad all over the United States. Yeah. Allergies are high everywhere. So what actually happened is they 
did a lot of R&D work. The project split into two. The engineering went to Los Alamos, we believe, and that's where they developed the stealth technology. It's on the third level of the stealth aircraft these days. The other part of the project, which was the human factors project, went to Brookhaven National Laboratory, which was the largest human factors <coughs> research in the United States. This is now about 1950, we believe. It joined what was known as the Phoenix Project, which was a very large, all-encompassing research project involving research into the human mind, the mind of man, starting back in World War I and World War II with propaganda, PA systems, leaflets dropping, this sort of thing. It evolved up through uh, chemical research, drug research. Hmm. After they spun their wheels a lot of time out of Brookhaven Labs, they got the stealth technology user-friendly. That means human beings could take the field. I cannot go into what that's all about because I did sign security on that. <coughs> they, made you, they, made you, they made you sign a paper. Mm-hmm. Well, when you get employment, Anything that they have you sign, it would be illegal and jail time to talk about. You'd be uh, convicted of espionage. That's right. The on the Montauk project, they use different methods of security, which we can get into a little later, where I never signed for it. So there will be some, some of it that you can talk about. Yeah, the Montauk project I can talk of, because that I never signed for. In fact, officially, I never existed on that project. Oh. Um, well, all right. Uh, let's back up a little bit. Uh, yeah. I'm, I'm sure that you've heard Al Bielik's, uh description of the Philadelphia experiment. Yes, I have many times. Do you, uh, do you agree with or quarrel with it, or do you think it's accurate, or do you know of any inaccuracies or anything you'd like to correct about what he said about it? Well, essentially, what he's saying is very controversial. I believe there are many different tests of radar invisibility, total invisibility, that the government research did attempt in World War II, and he's reporting on one test. If you read the popular Bill Moore book, Bill Moore compiled all sorts of information, which was on a number of different kinds of tests, different kinds of procedures used. This is why the book is somewhat confusing. I was speaking essentially from personal experience <coughs> in talking with a lot of other people that he's come across, just as I've come across people. The Philadelphia experiment did happen. It was definitely a high-energy physics project. There is other information coming to surface saying that Nikola Tesla had a input to it in the beginning. Correct. And, uh, you know, Dr. John Eric von Neumann definitely did work on it. He himself told me that. And uh, I think Al's idea of what happened on the boat (coughs) is pretty much correct. Because also I've had the same idea from other witnesses like Duncan Cameron, who was also on the boat with Al. So All I right, really so, don't have any quarrels with that. So, so then you think the story is essentially correct? It's essentially correct. I think he may have missed some items and some of the points. One, one thing that, uh, that I've found, as I've interviewed, uh, I, I do another show called Dreamland, mm-hmm. and I interview a lot of people 
who talk about um, time travel, uh, talk about uh, alien spacecraft and the way uh, space might be uh, warped and the way it might be jumped across, in fact, and the technologies that they're talking about are strikingly similar to the one that uh, Al Bielek told us about. Well, <clears throat> again, <clears throat> we're discussing here what happens when you pulse a magnetic field to extremely strong levels. It's well known in the quantum physics world that if you pulse a magnetic field beyond, I believe it's a thousand Tesla field strength, it is highly possible to bend space and time. Now, if you can control this, it is theoretically possible to gain control of space and the time continuum, which would lead to the ideas that all this stuff you hear coming out of the UFO legends has some scientific basis behind us, behind it. Although a lot of the physicists will not accept the idea that there are parallel multiple realities. But your quantum physics is beginning to accept that idea at this point. And a lot of them always have. What was the mission of the Montauk Project? What was the, uh, uh, the what were they trying to do, accomplish? What was the central theme? <coughs> Well, after the stealth technology was developed, it was suggested that this is the first time we have definite evidence that the mind of man is sensitive to electromagnetic field. Let's research this further and develop population control. We can weaponize this thing as to make the enemy surrender. And, you know, I'm sure the possibilities are mind-boggling at this point. Congress said, no, we don't want this. This is mind control. This is too physically active. They were setting up to research literally mind control technologies. They went to the military and said, would you be interested in this kind of weapon? Of course, this is every tactician's dream. So the military said, yes, we are. And they gave them the old Montauk Air Force Station, which is only about 40 miles away from Brookhaven Lab. Mm -hmm. that they can do this stuff in secrecy and not be under the watchful eye of the, con the congressional committees. Well, when you say mind control, what exactly were they able to do to <clears throat> a person? Well, they are able to essentially inject a thought into a person's mind, make them believe it's his own thought, and control what you're thinking and therefore have some effect on what you're doing. They could literally read out what you're thinking. They could modify your thought patterns. Oh, what what? And this was done at a distance using radio waves. At a distance using radio waves. That's what this whole thing was about. Remember, it started by studying the effects of electromagnetics on human beings in the right. cell technology, and it evolved into this device that could literally reach into a person's mind. At a distance. At a distance. Uh, and up to about thousands of miles. We're not sure exactly how far it was. All right. You said you can't talk about the um, the technical aspects of uh, whatever allowed, uh, you know, the, the biologically friendly uh, fields to be applied. Mm -hmm. But can you talk about the technology that allows mind control, or is that one yes, of the things? Yes, because I did not sign for that. They used mind control to make anyone that worked on the project forget what they did. 
Well, all right. How, what, what technology is beyond, uh, behind that? I know radio waves, but radio waves generally are totally harmless and without effect to biological entities. They're all around us. Well, this, as you've probably been reaching, this is coming up to a lot of debate at this point, exactly how harmless are these electromagnetic waves. That's true. Most of our waves that we do deal with in our environment are what we call continuous waves, CW, like coming out of your radio transmitter. Right. Human beings are sensitive to pulsed waves, fast on and off, semi-random fractal base type modulations in pulse form. They use pulse frequency and pulse amplitude. It's a very, very specialized form of modulation resembling some very modern chirp-type radar signals. All right, so it's a, it's a true pulse then. It's not just a pulse modulation. It's a true pulse. It's a frequency-hopping pulse. Frequency-hopping? Yeah, it, it goes from frequency to frequency to frequency. If you tune it in on a radio receiver, it just sounds like a crack at a particular frequency. Then it goes to another frequency, you got another crack, and it hops around from frequency to frequency. Montauk has about 20 different frequencies they hop between 420 and 460 megahertz. 420 and 460 again, that's interesting. Yeah. Um, the Russians are using something, uh, something or another that we call the woodpecker. Well, that's down at HF. That's HF, is correct. Right. But, so that's and not... that's the same, similar type of modulation scheme. Is it? Again, it's a pulse with a chirp inside the pulse. Oh. I've looked at the Russian woodpecker. In fact, we have what we call over-the-horizon radar here, which looks almost identical but much more sophisticated. And when that first appeared on the air, I, I called the FCC and asked them what it was, and they said it was the American version. It was the American over-the-horizon radar. And I said, oh, you mean like the Russian woodpecker? And he said, yeah, it's our version of the woodpecker. I see. And, and so you, then you're saying that uh, with the right kind of pulse in the right frequency range. Not the frequency range, how you hop from frequency to frequency. But remember, you're building essentially a hologram, a holographic type information packet out of delta frequency information and delta amplitude information and delta phase. Of course, phase and frequency is the same. Remember, you're dealing here with very fast deltas. You have to integrate this into essentially a random ordered white noise pattern built very much on fractals. All right. Let's assume then that all of this, which is going to begin to get above some of their heads and perhaps mine as well, uh, all of this would affect a biological entity. How it's would... a very unique type of radio signal. The next question is, how would you make it specific to any a particular biological entity. Uh, particularly okay, that in is very interesting itself. See, at the Montauk Project, we use what we call a witness or a signature. A signature is a group of frequencies, an electromagnetic frequency transform, which represents a particular human being, like a set of fingerprints. You will perceive a holographic thought with the signature, transmit the thought, and then you know, follow it with the signature. That signature would identify it as a person's particular thought. All you have to do is identify the person's signature, and as the signal is being generated, it will be transmitted with that signature. Montauk essentially was what we like to call a mind amplifier. 
So, yes, okay, I'm beginning to get it. So an individual then is required as part of the, in effect, the transmitted portion. Yeah, the overall signal that was being transmitted was generated by a human being at Montauk. Uh-huh. They had a group of sensors that picked up his holographic thought patterns, processed it through a very large computer system, and then put it into a modified radar transmitter. That's where I came into the picture. I was the one that was in charge of modifying the radar transmitter. Oh, that's incredible. Oh, I see. All right, so that's how you got into this. Yeah. You were they actually... essentially built a mind amplifier. Yeah, I understand. A mind amplifier. And, and you... that led to all sorts of things, including mind control, precipitation of objects. You know, uh, there were all sorts of things that were done from this. Well, let's say... They were say... able to create an object out of the background ether. Because Good. if a person right. sitting at the input of this could visualize that object in their artificial reality or virtual reality, this equipment had the capability of making it real. We're talking uh, probably at least 100 million watts continuous, not pulse, power that they had out there. If the thing was modified to what's known as BMUs, which had 100 megawatts continuous power. Did it actually create an object, or did it create um, the vision of an object? It could do either one, depending upon the fidelity of the transform being reproduced through the equipment. But you could picture if your signal coming out of your transmitter was complete enough, it would be theoretically possible to recreate you at the other end. The reason you can't is, one, the receiver doesn't have enough power, then the information channel from the transmitter to the receiver is nowhere near high enough fidelity in the other dimensions and realities required to do it. This is what we tried to do at Montauk, was bring up this fidelity factor of broadcast. What could you get an individual to do? You say you could put a, an idea in an individual's mind. Uh, how much uh, a power of suggestion could you accomplish okay, that? I really don't know because that's the logistics of the project. And remember, the information was very compartmentalized. Now, legends, this was reports from people who I've spoken to, told me that they can get a person to do almost anything they want. This is the way it was put. But almost the sky was the limit. God, that's incredible. You if know, I wanted to program somebody to be an assassin. Yeah, I was just about to say the latest uh, incident occurred yesterday, and I'm not saying that the two are tied together. I'm not going to say but that, they may but not I, be. <laughs> there was an incident in Florida, um, uh, just like so many that we've had, a long chain of them, uh, Preston, in which individuals for almost unknowable reasons get a gun and start shooting people. I know we've been seeing this quite often. I've wondered myself if this is some sort of programming that's being activated. I'm not going to say it is. I really don't know. Well, it's, say it's a possibility. It's something to wonder about. Yes, that I agree with. Preston, is time travel possible? Well, the thing you have to keep in mind is if you go into pure metaphysics, the non-physical mind is a ripple or a transform or a form on the space-time continuum. If you're going to get your way into the non-physical mind, you've got to generate a time wave, which is like a warping or a, or a uh, repetitive bending of the time function. Now, if you could get into this, you have the remnant of a time machine. Now, I know when things were being created 
out of real time. What I mean is when the concentration would be at 3 o'clock in the afternoon and the object would appear earlier after that time. They got very excited, shut the project down for a couple of months and sent us all back to school to learn about time. I know they're interested in time manipulation, but of course, who wouldn't be? Yes. Now, being that we're compartmentalized, I have no personal knowledge of how successful the time portal, per se, was. Again, people who had worked with the time portal tell us that it was stable, and that it was usable. Meaning you could travel in time? Yeah. Meaning physically travel to another time. Okay, now, the newer quantum theories, even those theories appearing in Scientific American, are saying that there are multiple realities where time is different, mm -hmm. and because of the multiple realities, all time does coexist. And it's possible to move from point A to point B in time. And they're saying even possible to go into the future which has a lot to say about is the future predestined or isn't it? Exactly. If you can travel into the future, to me, it means that we're already predestined as to what's going to happen. I believe if you make a time loop from point A to point B, you're just predestined between point A and point B. <laughs> All right, Preston, I want you to hold on for a moment. We're going to take a break here at the bottom of the hour. The new year is here, and how many of you have made a promise to make more money and better your life? Well, when you think about the future... Do you see the economy getting better or worse? With a small investment of your time, you can create security for yourself by learning to trade in the commodities markets. Some financial pundits have just about made commodities a dirty word. However, if you learn the ins and outs of how to do it and how to approach it with the right attitude, commodities can pay off big time. Ken Roberts, a nationally renowned financial educator and multimillionaire investor, has taught tens of thousands of people how to invest in commodities and manage your own money without depending on a broker for advice. There's a step-by-step -step process. First, you learn how to invest with a no-risk approach by trading paper. Then, when you're ready, you start using real money. Call 1-888-GOLD-KRC. That's 888 465 3572. Ken will send you a free audio cassette titled Real People, Real Money, and a 40-page report that explains everything. The call and information is free. Call 888-GOLD-KRC, 888-465-3572. Absolutely fresh flowers. Now, did you send your Valentine some flowers? You did, right? Well, if you did, you know how good a deal it is. All year long. It is a flower farm in Southern California. All they grow is miniature carnations. Far as the eye can see, miniature carnations, and they're beautiful. And you get some, so, you know, the deal is just incredible. You get this big triangular box full of miniature carnations for $42.95, along with a card from you with your message and name, handwritten, very powerful, very emotional, great for anniversaries, birthdays, any kind of special event at all. They're available 24 hours a day. Try it. That's uh, FedEx, by the way. Next, next day, FedEx during the week. You call today. They deliver tomorrow. 1-800-562-6438. That's 1-800-562-6438. Absolutely fresh flowers. Listen. This is CBC. 
Now, I'm well on the way to paying the college tuition for my five daughters. What you do with your money is your business. How you can make more of it is ours. Individual Investor Magazine is focused on one thing, results. Each month, Individual Investor seeks out undiscovered companies on the way up and distills that valuable information into simple, detailed profiles that you can act on. They helped me earn the money to start my own company. Individual Investor highlights growth stocks on the verge of exploding and the hottest mutual funds. I went with one of their picks, and it doubled in one year. For the fourth year in a row, Individual Investor's Magic 25 stock picks beat the experts and the indexes. And so did our readers. For $22.95, get one year of Individual Investor magazine, the Magic 25 issue, and monthly updates. To get Individual Investor, call 1-800-917-8400. What do I do with the money I make reading Individual Investor? Invest it. Make more. When it happens, who will speak for you? Who will decide what happens to your minor children, your property and personal effects, and you? Without a current legal will, the courts will make those decisions. But with a national will kit, you will make those decisions before it happens. The national will kit is lawyer approved and legal in all 50 states. It could also help you avoid painful and costly estate litigation. You'll have a completed sample will for guidance, information on how to choose an executor and witnesses, even where to keep your will and who should know about it. You can probably do the whole thing in about an hour. Order your National Will Kit today, and we'll include a free living will guide that assures your wishes will be followed in case of an irreversible injury or illness. Have a charge card handy and call 1-800-224-1112 to order your National Will Kit. Only $19.95 plus shipping for the Will Kit and Living Will Guide if you order today. Satisfaction's guaranteed. Call 1-800-224-1112. That's 1-800-224-1112. When the Soviets beat the U.S. basketball team in the 72 Olympics, America was outraged. When America's superstar speed skater lost in 92, we were shocked. But when our kids scored 14th in an international mathematics competition, we didn't even notice. America's schools haven't kept pace with the rest of the world. We haven't raised our standards as fast or as far as other countries. As a result, we're losing our ability to compete economically. But it's not too late to turn things around. In some places, it's already beginning to happen. To find out how together we can bring about the kind of improvement we desperately need, call 1-800-96-PROMISE. We'll send you a free booklet outlining how we can keep the promise of a real education for all of America's children and put ourselves back in the lead. A message from the Education Excellence Partnership and the Ad Council. Say, do you have fields, overgrown pastures, even scrubby wooded areas you'd like to keep clear? Well, listen to what Clem Grabner of Fairfax, Virginia, has to say about his amazing walk-behind DR field in Rushmore. We have 18 acres on the Shenandoah. We camp there. We used to have this one portion brush hogged and then uh, got so expensive that uh, at your mower, I think it paid for itself the first year. If you're going a couple weeks, places up to your knees again. So it's um, it's been a real pleasure to have it. Most of it you could, uh, you can't cut with a regular mower. This mower that we have is just the thing we needed. It's very reliable. I mean, it's, it's got a good motor on it. You can get a big color catalog direct from our factory all about the DR Field and Brush Mower. Just call toll-free 1-800-FIELD-13. That's 1-800-F-I-E-L-D-13 for your free color catalog all about the amazing DR Field and Brush Mower. 
Well, I volunteer at the school, you know, and I'd see her sometimes with a rough crowd, but she didn't seem to fit in. Most people are afraid of me. They don't even talk to me. It's not right, a kid like that, hanging around with nothing to do. She just walked right up to me and said, I like your work. Nobody's ever said that to me before. I want to see you paint something, I told her. And that's all it took. She got me to do it. I like it, because painting makes me look at things different. Always kids, helping you make a difference. BBC, Chancellor Broadcasting Company. For the strange and unusual, it's Dreamland with Art Bell. What do we discuss on Dreamland? Two fascinating areas. Is there life after death and are we alone in the universe? Two ultimate questions mankind's been trying to answer for thousands of years. We'll be talking about it this week right here on Dreamland. Broadcast of Coast to Coast AM with Art Bell. Justin, are you there? Yes, I am. All right, this is a fax that came, and actually it's not, it came to me on America Online on a computer service, Internet, and uh, it was Greg in San Diego, been listening for a couple years, loved the show. Tonight's show, if I can't get in, ask your guest about the creature, I say again, the creature that was brought forward in time to the present, actually 1983, I think it was. It was some really? sort of, he said it was some sort of Bigfoot creature. It did a lot of damage at the project, maybe killed some people. I've heard that it might have been 10 to 20 feet high. Please ask him to talk about this. Do you know anything about it? Yes, uh, I was there when the thing was generated. I didn't see it personally. I heard about it. And we believe it was precipitated out of the subconscious of the person sitting at the input of the transmitter named Duncan Cameron oh. who surfaced a monster out of the subconscious, just like the plot of Forbidden Planet. Yeah, it the, can uh, be done, people. The monster from the id. Yes, it can be done. And this thing was precipitated. It was big, hairy, hungry, nasty, mean. We have photographs of it. If you go even to the present day, stand on the roof of the radar tower at Montauk and shoot towards a bunker which is southwest of the radar tower, you'll see a form, a humanoid form, on the bunker. Oh? Although it's not there physically, there's enough of a pattern there that photographic equipment can pick it up. I saw a tape called the Montauk Tour, where we have shots from the roof, and you can see the monster in motion, moving very fast. He turns around walks within a frame of a TV picture. Is it uh, what others have called Bigfoot? It sure looks like Bigfoot. I really don't know. I did not hear that it killed anybody. I heard it just scared the people. Well, that would, it would scare you, all right. Oh, yes. Is there anything at all that you can tell us about the adaptation of the uh, technology to be biologically friendly? Well, let's say first that there are three levels of self. The first two we hear about quite often, which is the radar cross-section, which is how much radar signal does the thing reflect. The second level is absorbing the radar signal. 
Now, if you've seen a picture or seen a self-bomber or self-fighter, you'll know darn well it's a huge pancake, and it's not, it's got, it gives a lot of radar cross-section. Yes. So they didn't do a good job there. And I have worked with the absorbing coatings in order to try to cut down reflections inside of component enclosures, and that stuff doesn't work all that well. Composite materials. Yeah, so what this is saying is there's got to be a third level. The third level is electromagnetic bottle. Now, how they made the thing use the frenzy in a nutshell, this is alluded to in some of the uh, aircraft publications, the electromagnetic bottle. They found out that when they cut off the human being from the natural background clocks, you know, the Schumann resonance and all this sort of thing. He had a tendency to become disoriented. Now, well, no, I, I don't know what you mean. What do you mean when you cut him off from normal human clocks? Well, the Earth has a clock. It's commonly called the Schumann resonance, discovered by W.O. Schumann, which every time lightning strikes in the cavity between the upper atmosphere, the ionosphere, and the Earth, this cavity rings. The frequency is around 8 hertz. It slows between 7 hertz and 9 hertz, typically depending upon the time of day. That's very low. Yeah, very, very low. And this is sort of what clocks our biological functions. Also, this changing of the frequency from night to day is causes us to wake up, go to sleep. It causes a lymphatic flush in the uh, system. Mm -hmm. It also has a lot to do with the alpha beta gamma rhythms in the brain. Now, the other problem, they had to, the original technology created a solid field. They had to somehow focus the field into a shell so that the people were not getting irradiated by this large field. I'm not, I'm not talking atomic radiation, but essentially electromagnetic radiation. There, there, there is a difference. Yes. But either one can be just as dangerous, especially when you're using pulse magnetic fields like they were using to bend space-time to the point where they're just outside of our continuum, so the thing was somewhat invisible, either radar or fully invisible. Hmm. So you could get uh, different levels of stealth, depending on yes. how... Yes, you can. Huh. They go from either zero being in our reality or 90 degrees out being in the imaginary reality. At that point, the object is gone. Where is the object? It exists, we believe, in another reality which parallels ours, which is an auto-rotation of 90 degrees where there's length and width but no height. Now, if you go 180 away, you're in an antimatter reality that parallels us. And, uh, and what is that? We really don't know. I don't know anyone's been there. <laughs> <laughs> and come back, anyway. Yeah. Um, what are they doing at Montauk now? Well, present day, it is a state park. It's listed on all the maps as Department of Parks property. Huh. The state park is annexed on to the Montauk Point State Park. It's known as the Camp Hero Park. Only thing is, the park is closed to the public. Oh. They got a big fence up around it. They got security on the base. They got an electric gate. And there's two power lines going into the park, each capable of uh, multi-megawatts. Now, what's a state park doing with multi-megawatts? Good question. Now, we've also known that there's all sorts of activity. They have what we believe to be a fake 
the program for reclaiming the site and detoxing the site. They talk of removing uh, asbestos. Asbestos. Around the facility, there's the elevated pipe that they use to carry hot water, which has asbestos jacket. Even to this day, they haven't taken that off, and that's the easiest thing to get off. Hmm. And probably some of the most dangerous is that the wind blows, that asbestos is powdering and being blown all over the place. So if they were really removing asbestos, that would have been one of the first things they would have gotten to. Well, what kind of buildings are there? They're demolishing a lot of the old derelict base building. We believe the active area is underground. We've had reports, and I know I've been in the underground, but we've had reports that there's now an eight-level underground, which is huge, goes out for miles. Now, I was also going to mention is there are some cement buildings on top of what we call Radar Hill, where the radar tower is and the computer center is, which is physically part of the underground. And if you put your ears up against the cement walls, you'll hear like machinery running. There are pipes that stick up out of the ground, and I drop the microphone down, and you'll hear the whine of a turbine and the grinding of some sort of sand. Now, for a derelict uh, station, what is the machinery that we hear running? What do you I'm think? I'm not the only one that hears this. A lot of people have reported this. I understand. What do you think they are doing there? Some sort of something going into the electromagnetic for the planet itself. It's been suggested that the planet is tilting, and that's what they're trying, or tilting on the axis, and that's what they're trying to prevent. Who knows? What they're doing is up to a lot of speculation and conjecture. All I can tell you is if you go out there at the right time, you'll pick up a very slow pulse transmission between 420 and 460 megahertz. Again, oh. it's still out there. I got recordings of it. And also you'll pick up a very complex data transmission at 173 megahertz, which is in the guard band for Channel 7. That's why they can't watch Channel 7. If you DF these uh, transmissions, it goes right to the old base. Well, isn't that something? Now, the 173 megahertz transmission, it was done by any civilian. The FCC is having shut them down. In a New York second. Uh, that's true. Uh, do you think that that is some sort of uh, uh, remote control, perhaps? or I, It is some sort of a data link. What the purpose is, I really don't know, because I have no way of decoding it. Uh -huh. Because I recorded it, wideband recording, video recordings, and handed it to different people, and they tried all the known codes on it, and it doesn't decode. So some sort of government secret code, most likely. Is there mind control going on now? There are all sorts of transitions going on right now, which are definitely psychoactive, whether they're on purpose or accidental, I really don't know. And they seem to have effects on a subliminal level on our consciousness. Tell me, uh, you were saying, in effect, that what they were doing was amplifying the human mind. Yes. Uh, is, can that be done with any human being, or are there some humans that lend themselves more toward that. Okay, theoretically it can be done with any human being, but you want a person who is trained that when he concentrates, his whole fiber, his whole being concentrates on the one thing. That's a specially trained person. 
theoretically, any one of us could be trained to do it if we went through the training and we had the capabilities and the qualities, whatever that is. All right. Duncan Cameron is a very unique individual, being able that he can only concentrate on one thing at a time. He can't concentrate on multiple tasks. Yes. He's so trained to go one thing at a time. See, the human being has to create a virtual reality in his mind, and then the equipment picks out that the emanations of that reality. So, of course, the more complete that reality is, the more complete the uh, transform or the metaphysical thought form would be. And so you're saying an individual using this process with that equipment could create anything from a material object to a being or an entity or a monster? Well, we know that they could create objects. When they went to try to create living beings, they had trouble creating living beings because now you need a much higher degree of information and fidelity. I'm sure you do. Yes. Uh, any living, living creature is much more complex and much more detailed. Exactly. It's like taking a TV set and trying to put a thousand-line picture on it. You just can't do it. How far have they come in the fidelity area? I don't know. Since 83, I have no knowledge. What part did Montauk play, uh, or what part do you know that it played, in the Philadelphia experiment? As I recall... Al Bielek said... Well, Montauk is the place where the two sailors came to. Exactly. We're finding that there's quite a few sailors that came from the Eldridge to Montauk and did different things. And the Montauk project was the other end of the time loop between 43 and 83. They used this totally fixed time loop in between two points, actually three points, 63 as well. They used this time loop as like a master loop, the anchor open-ended loop. That means there's equipment only on one end. Okay. Wherever somebody like Duncan Cameron could picture the time vortex going, if the fidelity was good enough, it would go there. But you'd have to have an anchor to hold it all stable, and that's what they use 43, 63, 83 for. What, uh, what made Montauk the other end of it? In other words, what focused on Montauk as the other end, or how did that well, in metaphysics, we have what we call a witness. What this is, you take a photograph of a person. That photograph carries their signature, aura, whatever you want to call it. That's a witness. We made sure that we had a witness from Montauk to the Eldridge by having some of the equipment on the Eldridge physically part of the Montauk system. We had people present that were on both projects. And then they use the Earth's biorhythm cycle as the final witness effect and guarantee the lockup of the two projects through space and time. And there's rumors that this may have even ripped open hyperspace enough to allow all the UFOs that have come in recently since 47. Wow. It has made a major rift in space-time between 43 and 83, no question. Another What's person. going to come in through that? I don't know. All right, again, uh, let's go into, the again, the basic technology that's right. allowing all of this. And uh, in some detail, in other words, uh, if I wanted to set up something that would bend space and time or that I could uh, uh, begin to focus uh, waves to affect biological entities, what kind of technology would I use? How would I put it together? Well, if you did it the way the government did it, their benchmark was, let's kill flies with sledgehammer. Lots and lots of power. 
they had a final amplifier in their transmitter which had an input of at least 200 million watts of power, wasted half of that in heat, heated the Atlantic Ocean with it, and put out 100 million watts. That means to do anything, you would have to build maybe one-hundredth of that. It means you'd have to build a megawatt transmitter and then pulse the thing, frequency hop it and pulse it. Then you would have to somehow correlate this to represent a fractal-based frequency time transform. All right, that gets a little complicated. Let me yes, let me give you let me give you an analogy, and you tell me if this is a good analogy. Go ahead. It's possible. It, uh, it certainly is possible because it was done to send a signal across the Atlantic Ocean with a spark gap transmitter. True. It could be done, but it takes massive, massive amounts of power that is very wasteful. Which they didn't have in those days. They were transmitting some other form of electromagnetics. You consider the coherer they used at the other end. needs millivolts of signals. And if you transmit a kilowatt across the Atlantic Ocean, you get maybe 10 microvolts top. How the hell did that coherer trigger? You tell me. Well, my point was you could send a, a, a spark signal across the Atlantic. It was done, but it required a very great deal of power. You can do it today. There wasn't that much power. Well, compared to the power that you, for example, with a modern uh, a single sideband uh, uh, narrowband transmitter, mm -hmm. you could do it today with far less power. You do it at 10 watts. Yeah, that's exactly right. So that seems like a good analogy to the beginning of the Philadelphia experiment uh, versus the refinements that occurred at Montauk. But still at Montauk, they used tremendous amounts of power. Of course, they were trying to bend the space-time continuum, and it takes tremendous amounts of power. Any quantum physicist will tell you that. It takes something like 5 and 10,000 ampere per meter magnetic fields. Yes, but the original uh, Philadelphia experiment was, as you said, kind of a blunderbuss compared to yes. what could be done today. Well, the Montauk project was much more finesse. That's why Montauk's project controlled the vortex. They didn't control it from Philadelphia. They controlled it from Montauk. Uh -huh. Philadelphia was just another power source. That's all it was. It was an open-ended power source. They had no finesse. All they did was just generate tons of power, put it out in the ether, and by gosh, by God, something happened. What did you actually do? What did you work on? I was... Started out as a technician, graduated up to an engineer. My responsibility was to modify the old Sage radar transmitter. I was the fellow that set up the pulse modulation schemes, the synchrodyne modulation schemes, and set up the frequency hopping. I had to work on the uh, coho to synthesize local oscillators that we used in the transmitter. What did they tell you you were working on? They told me that we were working on equipment to interface human beings to technology, the mind of man, the technology, which was very interesting to me. I should say. I should say. Uh, but you were actually working on the pulsing of the signal that would carry a transmission, not so much uh, that is to affect other other human beings, right? Were you were I didn't realize this until later on in the project. This is what they were really doing. At that time, I was so involved in it, I couldn't see myself getting out of it easily. Well, uh, it seems to me that's a very, very dangerous technology. Very dangerous. It's very dangerous, yes. I agree with you. Do you uh, we all decided towards the end of the project to crash it. Yeah. Uh, oh, you did. Uh, oh, that's yeah. what I was going to ask you. Uh, that's, uh, that's why the monster was created, to crash the project. 
because Duncan especially was saying things that the rest of us didn't, you know, didn't dare say. Duncan found God, got exercised, we don't know what happened, but all of a sudden he called the meeting and said, hey, this thing is going totally into the lower world and the lower domains. It's, it's getting very evil. Of course, we all knew this, but we didn't have the guts to say it. And we all agreed, yes, yes, yes. What do we do? Well, we got to bring this thing down. How do we do it? Well, let's, let's create this big, hungry, nasty monster that will scare them into crashing it. Fascinating. And, and it worked? Yes, it worked very well. All it did was drive them underground, just shut them down for a while. They're still doing it. Exactly what they're doing, we don't know. We're still researching that. All right, Preston, uh, hang in there. You've got a bit of a rest here at the top of the hour, and we'll be back to you. Okay. Preston Nichols is my guest. The Montauk Project, uh, kind of a follow-up on the Philadelphia experiment, is the topic. The Bajan Free Play Radio. AM, FM, and shortwave. It is the number one emergency radio in the world. It is the number one, as a matter of fact, it's really number one in its category period. It is a portable AM, FM, shortwave, eight bands of shortwave. It doesn't use batteries, nor does it plug into the wall because it does not need to. It has something internally called the Bayless Clockwork Generator. It uses you, human power. You crank it for one minute, and you get 35 to 40 minutes play. By the way, it's got great audio. It is 14 inches wide, 10 inches high, 6 inches deep, weighs 7 pounds, comes from South Africa, and soon is going to be in short or zero supply. So don't wait. Now, the price at present is $119.95, brand new, until they're gone. However, for the first time, they've got a few returned Beijings just waiting for a new home. Same warranty, cleaned, tested, as new, $99.95, including shipping and handling. Wow. Uh, quite a deal, folks. So, to take advantage, pick up the telephone in the morning at 7.30. 1-800-522-8863. How many times have you bought a great book but never got around to reading it? It's a big waste of money, right? And it's because you don't have the time. A lot of us don't. Well, now you can enjoy all the wonderful stuff you've been missing. The Columbia House Audio Book Club is the way. With audiobooks, you can listen to your favorite authors while you're driving, working around the house, whatever. To introduce you to the club, what a deal we've got. Columbia House will give you four of today's best-selling books on cassette for a penny. One shiny copper penny, plus shipping and handling. And if you order by credit card, you'll get a fifth audiobook free. Bestsellers like Deepak Chopra's Path to Love, John Gray's Men Are From Mars, Women Are From Venus. <laughs> we'll talk about that one night. Do you like novels? How about Michael Crichton's thriller, Airframe? Have you, have you seen that yet? Or visit the hilarious world of office politics in the Dilbert Principle. To receive four audiobooks for a penny, call 
800-325-6921. Pay now, buy credit card, and get a fifth audiobook free. In return for your introductory audiobooks, just buy four more in the next two years. At regular club prices, call now, 1-800-325-6921. That's 1-800-325-6921. If you've missed any part of tonight's interviews with Al Bulick or Preston Nichols, and you'd like to have a copy on tape, dial toll-free 1-800-917-4278 and ask for tape number 970217C. The cost is $33.50 for all five hours without the commercials. That toll-free number is 1-800-917-4278. You've got tax questions. Who doesn't? The important thing is, where do you go for answers? Well, try calling the Internal Revenue Service. Teletax is your 24-hour toll-free helpline. You'll have access to recorded information on about 150 tax topics, from deductions to dependents to business expenses. Just call 1-800-829-4477. That's 1-800-829-4477 for Teletax. At the IRS, we want to help. In fact, that's why we're here. In the next 60 seconds, I'm going to do something terrible to anyone who's ever wanted to play the piano. I'm going to take away your excuses. I'm George Maladin, and right now you can learn to play the piano using the See and Hear Piano series. The same simple learn-at-home method that's already taught thousands of people to play with a full 60-day money-back guarantee. How can we make such an offer? Simple. The See and Hear Piano series works. Using a simple step-by-step -step approach covering chord construction, voicing, chord progressions, runs, and the circle of fifths, our audio and videotapes will teach you how to play your favorite songs and improvise like a pro. Call this number right now and try the See and Hear Piano Series risk-free. Stop making excuses and start making music. Call 1-800-905-PIANO. That's 1-800-905-PIANO. Try See and Hear with a 60-day money-back guarantee. Things were really cooking at the safety belt stakeout. When we pinched them. Ouch! Betty gives us a ticket. That's right, and don't call me Betty. But we never wear safety belts. See, we're dummies. Then here's something even you can understand. For a good time, call... No, this. A ticket? Police are now ticketing low-life scum who don't wear safety belts, so buckle up. Surely you can give us a break. No, and don't call me Shirley. A message from the Department of Transportation and the Ad Council. USA Radio Network News, this is Ron Jenkins. The crew of the Space Shuttle Discovery finished its last spacewalk of the mission, and during that walk, the crew made more repairs on the Hubble Space Telescope. Steve Nesbitt of NASA says everything is going very well. The mission so far is a success. Jeff Hoffman, capsule communicator, thanked the crew. Astronaut Stephen Smith thanked Houston in return. Well, uh, Jeff, uh, as an IV, I want to tell you it's been a pleasure working with you, and uh We've got a whole lot of confidence of the team uh, down there, and you've been an excellent spokesman, as well as Mark, and it's been a, a, a real joy to work with, uh, with all of you. Thank you very much.
Tonight, the crew makes final electronics tests of the Hubble, then turns the telescope loose in orbit and moves away to prepare for the trip home. Kenneth Starr, independent counsel investigating the Whitewater case and any involvement by the Clintons, is leaving that job to take on the dean's position at Pepperdine University in California. He was asked if that meant there were no indictments pending against the first family. I can't comment at all on the uh, investigation. Uh, as you know, we do uh, our talking uh, in court. I just think it would be wrong. It would be an, it would be wrong to be making predictive judgments based upon what one individual may do. Starr starts his Pepperdine job August 1st. And U.S. Secretary of State Madeleine Albright attends her first NATO foreign ministers meeting today in Paris. This is USA Radio News. Archelini and Wilkins, five reasons you should be investing in gold today. Reason number two, foreign loans. It's common knowledge and has been published that one, foreign investment has subsidized U.S. interest rates. Two, this has caused the U.S. dollar to remain at unrealistic high rates of exchange. And three, foreign investment has, for all intents and purposes, single-handedly created the largest stock market speculation in history. The amount of U.S. currency held by foreign governments is astronomical, which means these foreign governments can exert pressure on the U.S and even impact our national policy. The fact is that your paper investments are linked to variables you have no control over. They rise and they fall at the whim of phenomenon, sometimes as nebulous as fear. There are two sayings. In the land of the blind, the one-eyed man is king, and he who holds the gold is in charge. Get the facts about gold ownership. These facts will be mailed to you free of charge by calling Bartolini and Wilkins, the private gold company in Venice. Call 800-497-6531. The investigation into alleged influence peddling in the 1996 presidential election has brought with it 20 new subpoenas and word from the chief investigator that there could be even more. Dan Burton, Indiana Republican and chairman of the House Committee on Government Reform and Oversight, is working with Senator Fred Thompson's Governmental Affairs Committee. They're looking at possible foreign influence in the U.S. election process. Jeff Birnbaum is the Washington Bureau Chief of Fortune Magazine, and it says Burton's job is a sizable one. Dan Burton, the chairman of the committee in the House that's looking into this, wishes uh, he didn't have such an extensive investigation, but uh, so much has been happening and so much has been flowing, uh, perhaps improperly, into Democratic coffers that he's expanded his investigation, and uh, it looks like he'll have a lot of work to do. The White House has denied campaign contributions to Democrats influence the president on foreign policy decisions. This is USA Radio News. Whoever said a dollar doesn't go very far these days has never heard of Namark. You can get your customized one-color logo imprinted on 24 top-quality T-shirts for only $5 per shirt. Only $5 per shirt for 50-50 cotton polyester T-shirts. It's perfect for business promotions, sports teams, school clubs, family reunions, and fundraisers. For a free catalog, call now, 1-800-634-6271. Save even more with volume discounts. Call 1-800-634-6271. Row upon row of parking meters are standing headless in Washington, D.C. Connie Lawn explains. Citizens in Washington, D.C. have had enough. They are decapitating parking meters. Many of the expensive meters are headless. Vandals have destroyed them so drivers are able to park for free. It's part of a citizen's revolt. In a bankrupt city where nearly nothing works, the parking meter police are the most efficient force. Citizens are unprotected, and violent crimes go unprosecuted. But if a driver is a few minutes late, a ticket is issued. 
Tony Law, USA Radio News, Washington. A supplier strike that could have crippled General Motors truck and sports utility production has been averted. A last-minute deal was reached before Monday morning's 7 a.m. strike deadline. That tentative agreement covers 7,200 United Auto Workers Union employees at five American Axle and Manufacturing plants. Ron Jenkins on the USA Radio Network. How smart you are, you can never know everything about tax laws, unless you're the Internal Revenue Service. We have to know. It's our job. So next time you have a tax question, go right to the top. Ask the IRS. Free. Just call Teletax. It's a 24-hour toll-free helpline with recorded information on about 150 tax topics. They're listed right in your tax booklet. Maybe you have questions about deductions or how many dependents to claim. With Teletax, you can go right to the topics you want and find the answers you need. Whether you're a small business or an individual, Teletax can help. Look in your tax booklet for a local number or call 1-800-829-4477 from a touchtone phone. That's 1-800-829-4477 for Teletax. At the IRS, we want to help. In fact, that's why we're here. Recovering from the cold he caught flying home from Mexico, Chancellor Broadcasting Company presents Vintage Art Bell and his classic two-hour interview with Preston Nichols on the Montauk Experiment. It's a dandy and one of Art's all-time favorite shows. And now, our number two of the two-hour interview with Preston Nichols on the Montauk Experiment. Hey, listen, if you want the best radio made today, and when trouble does start, you're going to definitely want shortwave, believe me. You want the ATS-909, brand new from Sanji. The ATS-909. It's $289.95, and it's worth every single penny. Whether your enjoyment stems from AM, you know, listening to talk shows, that kind of thing, FM, or shortwave, this radio has it all. Believe me, it operates on four AA batteries. It has incredible sensitivity and selectivity without going into overload. It has 40 hertz resolution uh, in single sideband. It has RDS reception on FM, for those of you who know what that is. It puts a little, uh, it puts the call letters automatically of the radio station running RDS or their little slogan up in the window. It's amazing. Absolutely amazing. It has audio that can only be described as absolutely exquisite. Exquisite audio. In every way possible, this is the radio, if you can afford it, that you want. It uh, has been given a five-star rating by World Radio TV Handbook and deserves it. <laughs> uh, as a matter of fact, named the best shortwave portable for 19 97. It is clearly that. And if you order now, you get the 500-page 1997 Passport to World Man radio free. Normally 20 bucks. So 
289.95 and worth every penny. The number to call in the morning at the Sea Crane Company is 1-800-522-8863. 1-800-522-8863. The Sea Crane Company. Are you overweight? Would you like to lose an average 8 to 10 pounds in the next month? We know that fiber helps sweep fat out of the digestive tract like a broom, reducing the amount of fat your body stores as excess weight. Well, let me tell you about a revolutionary fiber. Kaitosan. It's a natural fiber that comes from shellfish. It not only sweeps fat, but also absorbs up to 10 times more fat than other fibers. You can get this fiber in a formula called Kaito Slim. Kaito Slim is effective because you can lose weight without changing your eating habits. And there are no stimulants. It's a gentle, effective way to lose excess weight. Here's the special offer. When you order a 90-day supply of Kaito Slim, you'll get an antioxidant moisturizing cream absolutely free. Call 1-800-557-4627. It's guaranteed to work or your money back, and it's not available in stores. So call 1-800-557-4627. That's 1-800-557-4627. You've got nothing to lose but the fat. Do you have hard water? If so, I've got the answer. You know, that white stuff on cars when you wash them. Even 52 Chevys. <laughs> on dishware, uh, when it is washed, on everything the water touches, including your shower heads inside the pipes where you can't see it, bringing eventually a smiling plumber to your home. Well, GMX will take care of all that for you. I guarantee it. So do they. As a matter of fact, when you buy it, if in 90 days you are not convinced, you get all your money back, no questions asked. The number is 1-800-4060-GMX. And guess what? The GMX special offer is still open for a while longer. You buy GMX magnets now, and they send you free one of the most remarkable inventions I've ever seen. This revolutionary product, a $75 value, cleans your clothes without detergent. That's right. More 21st century technology. We use it. It works. Call 1-800-4060-GMX. That's 1-800-4060-GMX to get that which you cannot otherwise get. In other words, we have so many good photographs and articles like this medical study on the Internet, on the web page, that uh, we know all of you don't have computers by a long shot. So we publish all of this in a newsletter as well. In addition to things you cannot get on the website, in-depth interviews with some guests that we have on the air, well, with facts and information that go well beyond what we have on the air. It's called the Art Bell After Dark Newsletter. So to get a copy of a show, to get the Art Bell After Dark Newsletter, call 24 hours a day, 1-800-917-4278. Are you writing down that number? 1-800-917-4278. Back to Preston Nichols in the Montauk Project. Preston, are you there? Yep. Good. Uh, I've got a number of questions for you, uh, Preston, faxed in, and then we'll get to the telephones. Uh, Art, I would like to ask Preston 
whether there is a possibility that the occurrences at Amityville, New York, could somehow be related to the Montauk Project. I got this thought while reading his book, Montauk Revisited. That's your book? Yep. You mean the Amityville Horror? That's no? Yeah, that's right. I don't know. I was involved as a parapsychology researcher years ago, and we really couldn't tie much of anything to that house. That's the only statement I'll make on it. Uh, you were there? Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, you were at Amityville. About ten miles uh, west of here. What? Uh, very briefly, let's take a sidetrack because that's fascinating. Uh, what did you find at Amityville? I, you know, I've seen the movie. I don't know how much uh, relationship that has to what really happened. Well, we checked the uh, heat. We checked the heat differentials. We checked the static charges. We checked the magnetic anomalies. We didn't find anything. We didn't find anything to back up the bugs. We didn't find anything to back up the bleeding walls. I myself feel that this is something that maybe there was a genuine haunting, but the fellow that wrote the book uh, just blew the thing way out of proportion. All right. But we um, couldn't find anything to back it up. I was involved in a team of parapsychologists that was called in to investigate it. All right. There was even rumors of an Indian burial ground under the house. Who knows what really happened there? I don't know. All right. Um, Dear Art, I wonder if you would ask your guest if the super collider was in any way planned to be used with the project he was working on, Montauk. No, because the super collider came afterwards. Although we have been getting a lot of information lately that they are using particle accelerators as particle beam weapons, of course, a particle beam power source or a particle beam amplifier. This is where they use particles going to the velocity of light doing the mass energy conversion based upon E equals MC squared. I will tell the public that the physicists have reached the speed of light with particles and that they today are using this as a power source or a power amplifier. Imagine a uh, power amplifier that can tap the power of a nuclear bomb literally. This may be where they got all the power to bend space and time at Montauk. We know there was a particle accelerator, and I believe it's active today because once myself and other people walking over, it got dosed to some sort of radiation. Well, I know, I know this. Radiation sickness for a while. Uh huh. Preston, uh, I know this that they have considered using nuclear explosions or controlled explosions. In, uh, in satellites to focus uh, beams, is that...? Is yeah, that to focus a laser. Yeah. Yeah. Do I, I've read the same thing. That's supposedly a Star Wars weapon. Exactly. But we really don't need that. All we got to do is accelerate particles to see. They do it by starting out with a large accelerator, dumping into a smaller one, into a smaller one yet, and each, each time you go to a smaller and smaller one, the velocity just goes up. Remember, as you bring the particles closer in a circle, what happens is the momentum makes them go faster and faster. And at some point, you're going to reach C, the speed of light. And magical things happen when you reach the speed of light. Well, uh, what about surpassing it? Is it possible? Not in this dimension. So that, in, in effect... I'm 100% correct. You cannot surpass the speed of light within our reference frame. You're going to surpass the speed of light. You've got to do it in another reference frame relative to ours. And I say, I believe it's possible to go past it, but not in our reality as we know it. You've got to warp into another reality to go past the speed of light relative to us here. All right. Uh, listen, this comes from St. Louis, Missouri. Uh, please ask Mr. Nichols 
if there's a way that anybody can render himself or herself impervious to mind control by any outside force or protection. Well, what you have to do is you have to consider the level of consciousness and awareness this thing is operating at, and you just got to raise your level of awareness above that. The mind, if it's aware of what's going on, the mind can uh, automatically protect against this. That's part of why I'm putting this information out, to let people know what's going on so they got an idea of how to protect themselves on a subconscious level. You're saying then, in effect, that you're... There's no devices that will protect you. So, in effect, you can protect yourself with your own will. Right. All right, I've got it, I think. This is a message of the New Age, essentially. So the New Age is mixed in with all of this. Oh, yes. Very definitely. Right. This is the application of New Age metaphysical principles to technology. This is what we're talking of. All right. Let us uh, go to the telephones and see what's out there. Um, for Preston Nichols on the wild card line, you're on the air. Hi. Where are you calling from, please? I'm calling from uh, Bourbon, Missouri. Bourbon, Missouri. Right. Turn your radio off, sir. You have it. Okay. You got it? Yeah. All right. Uh, you're on the air with Preston Nichols. Go ahead. Okay. Sure. Hello, Preston? Yes. <coughs> Excuse me. Uh, you got the same call problem I got. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's, 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 the, it's the late night time and the, and the early spring atmosphere, okay? It's terrible, isn't it? Yes, it is. It's, pollen is terrible. Anyway, uh, I wonder if you ever heard of a guy named Edward Teller. Yeah. Okay. Have you Rocket ever read his, uh, a book on the astrometrical uh, universe? Mm-hmm. Okay, and in there you realize that he talks about the unlimited power that is available through the uh, antimatter. Mm-hmm. And this is a man who's very credible because mm-hmm. he invented the, uh, was largely uh, responsible for the invention of the atomic bomb. And he's also a rocket scientist. And he's also a rocket scientist. That's absolutely correct. But we also know, you and I know anyway, and I don't know how many other people know, but uh, he he was also instrumental in some of the accelerators where they actually created antimatter. Mm-hmm. Very true. And when you have antimatter meet real matter, you have Ooh. 100% conversion of energy. Right. Mm-hmm. That's that's not good. Well, if it even happens, that can be quite useful. But it can be quite useful. And the fact of the matter is that you have an unlimited power source. Mm-hmm. Very when, true. When you consider the basic equation of E is equal to MC squared. Yeah, we just heard that a minute ago. That's right. You have a tremendous amount of power that is available. In, in, in consider the power of one neutron, sir, accelerated the speed of light. That's right. And when you have that much something power. Something like a megawatt. That's right. And when you have that much power, you could consider what one ounce of real matter versus one ounce of antimatter could do. And somewhere in our future, this is our new power source. I think in certain sectors, this is our power source today. You think it's already being utilized? Oh, yeah. I've seen evidence of it. God, you know, they talk about the danger of a nuclear plant uh, going south and a meltdown, but uh, if you... If one of these accelerators goes south. Well, that was my question, Preston. <laughs> Uh, if if one of these were to go south, it seems to me the planet could the planet would sort of blink out. It might. 
We've often been, you know, friends of mine and myself, the nuclear physicists, often been joking. Well, someday we'll say, gee, there used to be nice land out at Montauk. The particle accelerator went south, and now there's a black hole there. Yeah, exactly. Well, the thing is, most of these accelerators, from what I understand, I'm not a nuclear physicist, but I know three of them. They tell me that they use neutrons. I think we're all well aware of neutron radiation. Yes. And a nuclear medicine doctor that checked me out said that most likely I got hit with neutron radiation. Probably what happened as I was walking over the accelerator. Yes, they allow you to walk over the damn thing. They must have had a burst in the past, and it made a burst of neutron radiation. We all got it. I see. We all had bitchy sores and sickness and felt disoriented for a couple of days afterwards. There aren't these nice guys that they don't shut off the area where the accelerator is. They let you walk around that. <laughs> All right, on the wild card line, you're on the air with Preston Nichols. Good evening. Good evening. Uh, sir, I hope you'll bear with me and give me as much time as you did your last caller. Well, I don't know. It depends on what you've got to say. A couple of questions there. Hey, Preston? Mm-hmm. Okay, uh, this this things you've been talking about now, okay, it kind of relates back to where the Jews... All right, that's it. <laughs> on the wild card line, you're on the air. Hello, would have been on the air. Let me see. Let's go to the toll-free line. You're on the air. Good morning. Oh, good evening, Art. Yes, sir, uh, I had a question for your guest. Before the last commercial break, he spoke uh, briefly about him and his you know, some of his colleagues uh, turning against this project because things were getting, he said, evil. Um, if you could, have him expand on that and tell us a little bit more about exactly what he meant uh, by the evil nature the project was taking. All right, where are, where are you, please? All right, where are you? Oh, I'm in St. Louis, Missouri. St. Louis, all right. Uh, uh, expand on the evil part of your statement, if you would. Well, I feel the whole mind control aspect of the thing is evil. Man is meant to have a free mind, not to be dominated. Also, uh, they were working in maneuvering and manipulating time so certain people would have power that probably shouldn't have power, or the power group would get more power and they get more oppressive and, you know, the whole nine yards of this. Well, I guess, Preston, you remember the old expression, uh, once they've seen something or another, Pyrrhia, how are you going to keep them down on the farm? Once they've experimented with mind control or imagine or know they can control minds, uh, how are you ever going to stop them? I don't know. only way I can see you stopping them is get the population aware enough that it just doesn't work. Is there any way that a person could know, just as a question, that their mind is being controlled? I guess if you start doing things out of character, that would be a good sign of it. Also, if you had the monitoring equipment, if you knew what to listen for, if you were educated in the radio like you and I are, are, you could probably pick this up on a radio and notice the very sharp, edgy tones that would appear on your radio. Mm. All I right. Can, I can tune in and listen and hear the stuff. All right. On the first-time caller line, you're on the air with Preston Nichols. Hello. Hello. Yes, I have uh, two questions. Uh, one of them, uh, I was interested in uh, Al Bielik talked about uh, age regression, and I was interested, <laughs> if, uh, interested if Preston Nichols knew exactly how to pull this off. All right, where are you, sir? Uh, St. Louis, Missouri. And I have one more question. All right. Quick question. I have a book called uh, Mind Machines You Can Build by uh, 
G. Harry Stein. And in the book, it's uh, a little diagram on an instrument he called a wishing machine. A uh, what machine? A wishing machine. Wishing? Yes. It used uh, with the device. He says that uh, it was, I guess, originally built back in the 40s. And he says it uses an audio amplifier, a couple of copper plates, an antenna, a six-volt battery, and, you know, a couple other little simple things like that. And he said uh, if you would use a picture and you would put it in between the two copper plates, this sounds like a radionics device. Um, maybe so. <laughs> like I said, the name of the book is Mind Machines You Can Build. Right. But with, but with this device, they said at long distances, they could, uh, like like a, a you know, 20-acre cornfield that was infested with bugs or whatever, that they could, would have a 90% kill rate just by consciously focusing on the picture. Yeah, this is typical radionics. Yeah. All right, thank you. All right, to answer the man's first question, age regression. Age, not age, age, A-G-E, right. probably talking of. Right. I'm not going to say this is impossible because we have theories today which are stating that there's an energy lattice, a energetic replication of the DNA of the human being, which is magnetically coupled into the genome, in the DNA, mm. and that there are many levels of DNA, and aging is essentially the loss of control of the differentiation of the DNA from the quantum electromagnetic pattern that we're calling the lattice. If you could somehow restore this control, theoretically you could grow back to whatever portion of the DNA you would activate. Now, Al speaks of being age regressed back to a one-year-old baby. I don't know whether or not the DNA is still there for that. If it is, I don't think it's impossible to do. Now, also, I'm be I run into one other person that the only thing that explains what's happened to him, and he's being truthful, I feel, is some sort of age regression. Now, I have not heard reports from other sources on this. See, when I hear a report like this, I consider where it's coming from, and I like to get maybe five or six reports saying, yes, age regression has happened. I haven't had it. I've only had Al Bielek himself, one other source, which I don't consider at all credible, and now the one we run into very recently. So, again, I'm not going to say it's impossible, but also I think it's a quite fantastic story that I wish was true. I'd like to have it myself. Yeah, you betcha. Look, if, uh, if it is possible to travel in time, and I don't know how to do age regression. Uh, right. I was going to say, I was going to ask you, Preston, if it's possible to travel in time, and I went back to, say, 1950, my chronological age at the end of the travel would still be what it is at the, just roughly the moment I left, wouldn't yeah, it? Yes, exactly. This is why I think if you're going to do age regression, you've got to do something through the DNA. Through the you DNA. You've got to somehow change the differentiation to go back to the genome that you were replicating when you were like 20 years old, let's say. Well, that would and be a... the body would grow young. That would be a very delicate genetic manipulation, indeed, <laughs> wouldn't it? It may be electromagnetic. Electromagnetic. Because it's being suggested by a lot of learned genetics, geneticists, that uh, Dr. Glenn Ryan has uh, shown a lot of research that... Uh, subtle or quantum electromagnetic waves do affect the way the 
double helix is wrapped up. All right. Zero. Preston, hold it right there. We'll be back after the bottom of the hour break. 10-4. Preston Nichols is my guest. For more of the best of Art Bell, right after a word from your local sponsors. This is the CBC Radio Network. Now, I'm well on the way to paying the college tuition for my five daughters. What you do with your money is your business. How you can make more of it is ours. Individual Investor Magazine is focused on one thing, results. Each month, Individual Investor seeks out undiscovered companies on the way up and distills that valuable information into simple, detailed profiles that you can act on. They helped me earn the money to start my own company. Individual Investor highlights growth stocks on the verge of exploding and the hottest mutual funds. I went with one of their picks and it doubled in one year. For the fourth year in a row, Individual Investor's Magic 25 stock picks beat the experts and the indexes. And so did our readers. For $22.95, get one year of Individual Investor magazine, the Magic 25 issue, and monthly updates. To get Individual Investor, call 1-800-917-8400. What do I do with the money I make reading Individual Investor? Invest it. Make more. When it happens, who will speak for you? Who will decide what happens to your minor children, your property and personal effects, and you? Without a current legal will, the courts will make those decisions. But with a national will kit, you will make those decisions before it happens. The national will kit is lawyer approved and legal in all 50 states. It could also help you avoid painful and costly estate litigation. You will have a completed sample will for guidance, information on how to choose an executor and witnesses, even where to keep your will and who should know about it. You can probably do the whole thing in about an hour. Order your National Will Kit today and we'll include a free living will guide that assures your wishes will be followed in case of an irreversible injury or illness. Have a charge card handy and call 1-800-224-1112 to order your National Will Kit. Only $19.95 plus shipping for the Will Kit and Living Will Guide if you order today. Satisfaction is guaranteed. Call 1-800-224-1112. That's 1-800-224-1112. When the Soviets beat the U.S. basketball team in the 72 Olympics, America was outraged. When America's superstar speed skater lost in 92, we were shocked. But when our kids scored 14th in an international mathematics competition, we didn't even notice. America's schools haven't kept pace with the rest of the world. We haven't raised our standards as fast or as far as other countries. As a result, we're losing our ability to compete economically. But it's not too late to turn things around. In some places, it's already beginning to happen. To find out how together we can bring about the kind of improvement we desperately need, call 1-800-96-PROMISE. We'll send you a free booklet outlining how we can keep the promise of a real education for all of America's children and put ourselves back in the lead. 
a message from the Education Excellence Partnership and the Ad Council. Say, do you have fields, overgrown pastures, even scrubby wooded areas you'd like to keep clear? Well, listen to what Clem Grabner of Fairfax, Virginia, has to say about his amazing walk-behind DR field and brush mower. We have 18 acres on the Shenandoah. We camp there. We used to have this one portion brush hauled and then uh, got so expensive that uh, it's a mower. I think it paid for itself the first year if you're going a couple weeks places up to your knees again. So it's um, it's been a real pleasure to have it. Most of it you couldn't, uh, you can't cut with a regular mower. This mower that we have is just the thing we needed. It's very reliable. I mean, it's, it's got a good motor on it. You can get a big color catalog direct from our factory all about the DR Field and Brush Mower. Just call toll-free 1-800-FIELD-13. That's 1-800-F-I-E-L-D-13 for your free color catalog all about the amazing DR Field and Brush Mower. Well, I volunteer at the school, you know, and I'd see her sometimes with a rough crowd, but she didn't seem to fit in. Most people are afraid of me. They don't even talk to me. It's not right, a kid like that, hanging around with nothing to do. She just walked right up to me and said, I like your work. Nobody's ever said that to me before. I want to see you paint something, I told her. And that's all it took. She got me to do it. I like it, because painting makes me look at things different. Always kids, helping you make a difference. BBC, Chancellor Broadcasting Company. For the strange and unusual, it's Greenland with Art Bell. What do we discuss on Greenland? Two fascinating areas. Is there life after death and are we alone in the universe? Two ultimate questions mankind's been trying to answer for thousands of years. We'll be talking about it this week right here on Dreamland. caught flying home from Mexico, Chancellor Broadcasting Company presents Vintage Art Bell and his classic two-hour interview with Preston Nichols on the Montauk Experiment. It's a dandy and one of Art's all-time favorite shows. And now, our number two of the two-hour interview with Preston Nichols on the Montauk Experiment. On the wild card line, you're on the air with Preston Nichols. Hello. Hello. How's it going tonight? Okay, sir. Where are you? I am in Kansas City, Missouri, Art. Okay. Love your show. Thank you. Um, just listening and uh, really don't have too much to say other than enjoying your show. Keep up what you're doing. Right, sure. Thank you very much for the call. On the first-time caller line, you're on the air with Preston Nichols. Hello. Yes, hi, Art. Hello, sir. Yes, um, I'm from Long Island originally, and I just recently moved uh, about a year and a half ago. Where are you now? I'm in uh, Youngstown, Ohio. Okay. And now I'm 28 years old, and I'm um, I'm intelligent. Um, I know for a fact that I've got a 138 IQ, borderline genius. Yet at the same time, I've always wondered why uh, I was never in tune with what was going on politically. 
I never could quite understand the political process. Um, You're not the only one. <laughs> yeah. You know, I'm from Suffolk County. I'm, I'm from uh, Huntington. Mm-hmm. And I moved in, uh, it was July of 81, of 91, rather. July of 91, I moved from Suffolk County. I moved into Elmont in uh, Nassau. Mm-hmm. That was where I had... I, we call it Suffering County and Nauseous County. Yeah. <laughs> that was where I first started listening to political commentary on talk radio. Mm-hmm. Um, after that, I moved to New Orleans, and I really started to get involved. I started to know what was going on. So what's and, the question? Yeah, it, what is the question? How does this relate to my guests, sir? Well, what I'm saying is, um, well, you, 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 uh, you're talking about mind control mm-hmm. as... as Fantastic as it sounds, it's starting to make a little bit of sense to me. I don't know. Um, yeah, this is what a lot of people say. I'm mean, considering considering what's happening. There's a lot going on. Uh-huh. Like, we'll fix this. Um, it, it, Art it, was talking about the people just all of a sudden shooting. It confounds me how, how I was so blind until I moved out of Suffolk County, until I moved off of Long Island, really. Now I'm just well, here, you're, you're sitting right in the midst of this emanation. Exactly. Um, it, it just sounds so fantastic. And Art, I can tell by, by your voice, by you know, the, the entire conversation you've been having, it just sounds so fantastic. But it, it makes sense. I don't know. Well, I, all right, thank based you. based in real science, sir. Yeah, I have learned long ago not to uh, stick up my nose at what appears to be fantastic because I've been surprised too many times. And... Uh, I'm sure of this, Preston, that we as human beings, uh, our government, whoever, the powers that be, would have great interest in mind control, and if they're not working on it, I think that would be more fantastic than, uh, than believing that they are working on it. I mean, it's that simple. Well, I'd like to say at this point that if someone comes and asks me how much of a legend is true, I would tell them the Philadelphia experiment is true, the mind control operation the mind, the mind control part of the project is probably 90-odd percent correct. I'm just not sure exactly how well the time tunnel works. That would be my, asset, you know, my assessment, assessment of how successful they were. All right, so, so, so I thoroughly believe the mind control works, and it's thoroughly possible. The only thing is they could not at that time work on mass population using the particle beam system that interacts with the brain directly. You don't need a signature anymore. So using the particle beam system. So you're you're saying that mass mind control is not necessarily possible. Today it is. Today it is. Today it is because oh, great. see before you used to go in with a signature to the non physical mind. Today they're using a particle beam to modulate the particle interchange between the synaptic interchanges in the brain, either read patterns or the modulate patterns on the brain. Oh boy! So you're saying they could be uh, sending out signals that are actually controlling the masses? Mm-hmm. Synaptic. Wow. Wonderful. Uh, Just consider what is the synaptic interchange. It's essentially ionic, and what is yes. ionic? Yes, ionic no, that's, that's true. No, it's absolutely true. Uh, on, on so what? If you can create interference from one particle to another particle, I'm you can modulate. All right, I've got a caller. On, on the wild card line, you're on the air with Preston Nichols. Hello. And, uh, I'm, I'm calling for Art Bell. Yes, that's me. 
Art? Yes. This is Bob down there in Santa Maria, California. KSMA? Yes, sir. 40? Yes, sir. Good morning, sir. I've been trying to call you. I'm a long-time listener, first-time caller. Okay. Uh, you got you got a copy on me, sir? I hear you fine. Okay, okay. Uh, I had a complaint, but now I don't think I want to complain. I'd just like to talk to you and share a little of my situation with you, if I might. Well, I have a guest, sir. Are you, are you calling for my guest? No, I was just calling. All right, well, well, thank you very much, but please call back uh, at another time. And uh, on the uh, toll-free line, you're on the air with Preston Nichols. Good evening. Yeah. Hello? Hello. Yeah, I, I just wondered if you can tell me he advertised a shortwave radio the other night, and I didn't get the telephone number. All right, I'll give it to you, 1-800-522-8863, one 800 522 On the wild card line, you're on the air with Preston Nichols. Hello. Oh, hello, Art. This Hi. is uh, Lance in Seattle, KBI. Okay. Uh, that uh, mind control device that um, he's talking about is manufactured here. It's in a suitcase. It's like a small suitcase, and it says on the side of it, for animal control use only, and uh, when it's used uh, for people control, uh, you can call the FCC and file a complaint, and they know all about it. It's it's nothing new. Well, it sure is new to me. What is well, it's been around since about 80. What is it? Know. What is it, sir? Well, it just focuses on a specific part of the brain, and then your mind starts to look in that area, and you can you can see things in your in your own mind and hear things. It sounds like you're in a room full of people, and there's nobody around, or you can see eyes blinking in front of you, and all kind of things. It's all in your own mind. It's not it's not outside your mind like a hologram, but it does exist, and it it doesn't take anything except call the FCC to find out. Well, I've never seen one. I've never heard of one. Well, I just thought I'd add it to your program. Sorry. All right, thank you. I, I've never... Have you uh, heard of such thing? I've heard rumors of it. <clears throat> I've heard rumors that this has been developed for years. See, what they're working there, that's mood control more than anything, I think. I know, uh, Preston, that there's been a lot of research done on the effect of low frequencies yeah. on, on human beings. Exactly. Is, is that what he's talking about? Well, if, what he's saying is it can transmit the effect of a whole room full of people, the eyes of head of you. All this might be doing is fragmenting your own memories, working directly physically into the brain. And this could be done with some sort of VLF, ELF-type device. All right. Uh, what about the, uh, the transmissions made by the middle part of our country, very powerful um, uh, ELF uh, transmissions uh, to our submarines. Yeah, I forget what that's called. I know what you're talking of. Uh, I was just wondering if you think that kind of level of uh, low-frequency transmission could affect uh, biological yeah. entities that are close to the source. That appears to be mostly sinusoidal teletype-type modulation. Right. It's not direct on and off. So without the pulsing, you don't think there'd be a lot of effect? No. All right. Remember, the mind itself, the brain will automatically uh, even out a change in level. You've got to change the level so fast that the DC restoration in the oh. neurological system doesn't work. Can't deal with it. All right, on the wild card line, you're on the air with Preston Nichols. Good morning. Hello, is Preston Nichols there? Yes, right here, sir. Okay, uh, you're talking about time travel, right? Yep. Okay, well, I believe in time travel. 
you okay. think time travel like happens in uh, your psychic ability, your dreams? Yeah, some people believe that. Okay, now how can they apply this to technology and science and stuff? Essentially, by taking what a person can dream or generating a virtual reality and transmitting it through a very powerful transmitter and bringing it into our physical reality. Was it like a strong electromagnetism thing, you know, projected from the brain itself? So it was emanation from the human being projected through a very powerful electromagnetic transmitter. Yes, it was. All right, sir, thank you. That's exactly how it was done. In other words, the human brain does generate a signal. It, it is a very weak signal normally, isn't that? Well, it's actually a virtual state signal. It's what? It's what we call a quantum wave. It does not fully exist in our reality. It exists in the reality that the imaginary solutions in our mathematics, you know, the, the sign functions represent. You're starting to lose me, Preston. I don't it, reduce that so I can understand it. Well, you know, when you do a complex calculation, the figure phase angle, you get sine, cosine function, yes. real world imaginary function. Yes. The human emanations are based upon the imaginary functions, not the real. But if you're 100% right, the real world emanations from a human being are very weak, but the imaginary world emanations are very strong. This is why you need typically vacuum potential to, to detect this stuff. Hmm. This is why you're better off with an older vacuum tube receiver. And, of course, I think you're well aware of the uh, debate over which works better. I, I certainly am, yes. Uh, on the wild card line, you're on the air with Preston Nichols. Hello. Good morning. What about the nuclear waste? What about the nuclear waste? Well, I don't think we're going to deal with that one. <laughs> on the wild card line, you're on the air with Preston Nichols. Hello. Radio Free America. Hello. Uh, hello, Mr. Nichols. How are you doing? Okay. Art, I tell you what, you know, I, I wouldn't have bought, bought this for a second if, if there wasn't something really weird going on in the world today. But uh, my question is, um, and Linda Thompson talked about the holograph, but and you were talking about cracking into the underworld. Could this, uh, could, could this be described as hell? Uh, hell is whatever you make it. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm talking about, you know, the, the biblical aspects of what you're describing in, in, in the underworld. And uh, have you uh, ever seen any alien beings? All right. Preston, have you? Yes, I've seen some alien beings. You have? Who or what they are beats the hell out of me. What have you seen, exactly, and how, did, how and where? At Montauk, they had a little creature that looked all the world like the little greys as described by Whitley Strieber. Oh? About four foot tall, and they stunk to high heaven. Stunk? And then we had a thing that resembled a cross between a lizard and a human being. What it was, I really don't know. I have heard that description before, too, kind of reptilian. Yeah. The closest thing, there was an old Star Trek episode where Captain Jerk bought something called a Gorn that sort of looked like what uh, I saw at Montauk. Now, I will say, I don't drink, I don't use drugs, I don't do any of that stuff. I also don't hallucinate. Um, they, they, they were. Have you, ever, have you ever been under the care of a psychiatrist? Nope. No? All right, that, I just had to add that one in there. So in other no, words, that's, that's, a, that's a valid question. Yeah, you know, um, I mean, some of this you've got to admit, Preston, it's wild stuff. I know it's wild stuff, but 
This is why I doubted my own sanity at times. Myself. On the conclusion, it's not me. And I was seeing this crud real. Also, a lot of the other people in Montauk saw the same thing and described exactly the same. How many other people have uh, cooperated what you're saying, or even parts, substantial parts of what you're saying? Oh, about 30-odd people. 30-odd people. Yeah. All right. On the toll-free line, you're on the air with Preston Nichols. Hello. Hi, I'm Mr. Bell. Hi. Where are you, please? I'm calling from New Orleans. New Orleans, Louisiana. Okay. Yeah. I, I wanted to talk a little bit about the, uh, the gun issue, but okay? Well, that's not what we're talking about right now, sir. I've got a guest. Uh, oh, I didn't. I didn't know because uh, your show is not on yet. I see. Uh, I'm uh, on our radio. All right. I'll I'll check back another time. All right. I appreciate it. Thank you. That's New Orleans, Louisiana, about to come on. On the wild card line, you're on the air with Preston Nichols. Hello. Yeah, Art. Uh, I'm curious. Uh, these kind of projects have to involve great deals of money. No doubt about and, it. And no doubt. Yes. And 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 they say to solve all mysteries, you follow the money trail. True. Isn't anybody checking what's going on? I mean, if Area 51 exists, there's got to be billions going into that. And if he's talking, there's got to be billions going into this. Is anybody keeping track of the money? Is well, there I, you know, that, that's find out Are the senators aware of this? Or? All right, all right. Hold on a sec. That's a good question. All I can tell you is this. I don't know about what Preston's saying, but I can tell you darn well Area 51 does exist. Billions do go into it. And that's a fact. And uh, and so, Preston, what about the money angle in Montauk? Well, we had an interest from the office of Senator Barry Goldwater, quite a few in the middle 80s. And I was told that they could not trace any congressional appropriations for the Montauk project. Now, I was handed a list of companies here on Long Island that all either reorganized or out of business today. Uh-huh. The interesting thing to note is right after this happened, about six months to a year later, they started what they called core audits. They said they were looking for a $250 toilet seat. Why would they go ask the worker on the floor, what are you working on? The only reason they'd ask the worker on the floor, what are you working on, is they're looking for hidden projects. Montauk was a hidden project. There's rumors that the Montauk Project was financed by gold smuggled from the Nazis. We really don't know. This is something that Al Bielik has suggested. All right. Uh, Preston, hold on a moment. We'll be right back to you. My guest is Preston Nichols. He's talking about the Montauk Project. Absolutely fresh flowers. Now, did you send your Valentine some flowers? You did, right? Well, if you did, you know how good a deal it is. All year long. It is a flower farm in Southern California. All they grow is miniature carnations. Far as the eye can see, miniature carnations, and they're beautiful, and you get some, so, you know, the deal is just incredible. You get this big triangular box full of miniature carnations for $42.95, along with a card from you with your message and name, handwritten, very powerful, very emotional, great for anniversaries, birthdays, any kind of special event at all. They're available 24 hours a day. Try it. That's uh, FedEx, by the way. Next, next day, FedEx during the week. You call today. They deliver tomorrow. 1-800-562-6438. That's 1-800-562-6438. Absolutely fresh flowers. Listen. 
Well, it's almost over. You've heard me talk about Microtech, the dynamic telecommunications company that's been pioneering specialized mobile radio. It's a great investment opportunity. Since Microtech started advertising on this show, they've built systems in cities like New York, L.A., Houston, Boston, and more. But listen up, folks. They're now offering their last site to investors. So if you think you might be interested, I urge you to act fast and call for the free material. Yes, there is some risk, but find out for yourself how a minimum $8,700 participation in this explosive market could return to you twenty, thirty, forty thousand dollars $40,000 or more plus a yearly income for the rest of your life, and it can be part of your IRA or retirement plan. Write this number down, 1-800-444-1049. Of course, you need to meet some investor qualifications, and they'll send you a free video and all the information you need to make the right decision. Call 1-800-444-1049. That's 1-800-444-1049. You know, one problem with the Internet is you cannot curl up in a warm bed with a great website, or if you can... You're too weird for me. So the next best thing, if you don't happen to have the Internet and you are not privy to the photographs we put up there and the uh, information, then you can get it in the Art Bell After Dark newsletter month by month by month. Twelve issues every year, dozens of color Internet photographs, excellent articles. As a matter of fact, really, articles that interview people that I have interviewed that go beyond the interviews that I did. Uh, for example, coming up, Joyce Riley. Dr. Leonard Horowitz, uh, Major Ed Dames, interviews that go beyond uh, what I have done here on the air uh, in terms of uh, picking questions and so forth that, uh, uh, that I didn't ask. So you'll find all kinds of things in our newsletter. And to get our newsletter, it's only a phone call away, 1-800-917-4278. Is the number. It's good 24 hours a day, including now, 1 800 917 4278. Just ask about the Art Bell After Dark newsletter. Back now to Preston Nichols. Uh, Preston? Yeah. Um, you know, there are a lot of people listening or who would fax me or write to me or you and would say you're crazy as a loon. Uh, what, what, what would you say to them? Um, how would you defend that? Now, technically, you have a lot of details, and I am impressed by that, but some of it is, is quite admittedly pretty fantastic stuff. It's very fantastic stuff. The first, first thing I would mention is people used to say to me, they remembered me from the Montauk days. I didn't remember them until I built the memory blocks I had. This stuff is highly possible. We have a lot of witnesses. I think we have to look at can a thousand Frenchmen be wrong. <laughs> we um, have no real-world documentation, evidence, proof. The only proof we have is that they're doing something strange, even to this day. And we were talking of 420 to 460 megahertz broadcast. That's right. And we're still finding emanations in the same frequency range to this day. I first got excited thinking I was taking up the signal out of time from the 70s and the 80s, but I came to realize, no, this is, this is generated today. If they're doing something like this today, sitting in the specs, sending out a very strong ELS signal that I picked up on coils as pulses without a carrier, and the carrier, if they're still sending out, that means the equipment I'm describing is there to this day producing signal, and it probably was there in the 70s and the 80s, and they probably were playing back then. 
Well, it also raises an awful lot of questions. Um, yes, it and, does. Uh, well, for example, uh, for us, not just the shootings, the mindless head shaker shootings that are going on, but society's behavior in general is very strange indeed and, yes, is, de and is deteriorating, uh, in my view, in the view of most others who stand back and view it. Uh, things are out of control. People, uh, the state of civilization is less. People's tempers are short. And uh, when it's the worst case, they're picking up guns and shooting each other. Well, how would you react if you had a hammer pounding on your head continuously? Uh, you'd eventually get irritated and do something mm -hmm. awful. Right. you got to think of all this stuff that they're sending out in the ether, purposefully or accidentally, is like... Someone sitting tapping on your head with a hammer. Neurological system operates on a pseudo-random ordered pulse function. You read any activity, read any book on brain activity. That's the first thing they say. If you take the neurological signal out of a nerve, put it into an audio amplifier, it sounds like static. This is CBC. is CBC. If you've missed any part of tonight's interviews with Al Bulick or Preston Nichols and you'd like to have a copy on tape, dial toll-free 1-800-917-4278 and ask for tape number 970217C. The cost is $33.50 for all five hours without the commercials. That toll-free number is 1-800-917-4278.